Hello, everyone. Welcome to the debut episode of IndigoCast. Uh, I'm here with Zarek Zahakron. I probably probably murdered that name. Sorry, Ben. Uh, he's the uh, local expert on Elder Scrolls and uh, our resident salt miner extraordinaire. And we have Nerdslayer, uh, MMO detective and documentarian. And we have uh, Shalashaska, who's a uh, really uh, big RPG Cyberpunk, Cthulhu, and Shadowrun fan. Welcome, everyone. How's it? How are you guys doing? What's going doing on? Okay? All right. So, really good. yeah. So I thought uh, uh, for a fun uh, starting topic, we would do uh, RPG Showdown. Where basically, uh, I've got a tier maker here. I have over a hundred games in this list, and we will be uh, ranking them live. So that sounds like fun. I've got uh, three categories. I've uh, got action RPGs. Uh, it's difficult to name, but classic slash Western RPGs that includes like mm -hmm. CRPGs, first person RPGs, things like that. Um, and then Japanese RPGs. I figured that was a, its own category because it's very hard mm. to, very different culture, very hard to compare. I just saw this guy on that list. Yeah. And I. There's uh, a problem. <laughs> there's like 20 of them. <laughs> Well, no, 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 that's not it. Those are strategy RPGs. They don't follow the standard JRPG conventions. That's true. Um, they are strategy RPGs, <laughs> um, but uh, the I do also have, I think, Final Fantasy Tactics on here as well. So, okay, are we live? So there's some representation, yeah. at least. We are totally live. I can yeah. see it. Okay, good. Yeah. I can't, so... <laughs> I'm not going to pull it all we'll on the we'll do a live. We'll do a live. Although it'd be kind of weird having uh, pulling up my stream on stream and kind of going to that like endless mirror mode or whatever. Cool. Got to get multi monitor. Uh, I've got yeah, I've got a ultra wide and a tiny little monitor in the corner, and I'm using every mm -hmm. square inch right now. Um, cool. So let's get started, shall we? Um, do it. I guess we'll tackle action RPGs because at the top. So I've got Bastion. Have you uh, have you all played Bastion? Yes. Very briefly. I have got a really good narrator, but Oh, I love that guy. I, yeah. I really didn't feel it later on, I guess. Like the the game wore, wore on me over time. I played uh Transistor more than Bastion. I know they're very similar. They're mm -hmm. both super giant games. Um if I recall Bastion was purely real time. It didn't have any uh like uh, yeah. pause yeah. or uh, turn-based mechanics or anything like that, right? Um, so it, it definitely kind of the beautiful art and the amazing narration and how it kind of interacts with you, I think that's definitely a plus. So yeah. uh, per our criteria here, which I, I kind of, I picked five things we could obviously add to this. My criteria was uh, storyline, how is it aged, if it's like an older game, and uh, combat, role-playing and choice, and how influential it was. I'd say the narration and stuff, definitely the storyline was very enjoyable because it seemed to kind of be telling your story. Um, so I think it'd be strong on that. Um, mm -hmm. As far as combat, uh, what would you guys rate it? It wasn't particularly complicated. Um, I think it runs into one of those problems of like, if you look back during the time it came out, it's much more impressive. But if you look at it now, there's been so many like better versions of that style of game, I feel like. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. I was just thinking about Braid in that sense. Like oh. that came out around the same time, and yeah. Braid was this unique, colorful masterpiece of indie work. And then there's tons of it now. And I believe that both were like really pushed because they both well not launched but were featured prominently on the Xbox Arcade or the Live Arcade, which yeah. really kind of helped them. Kind of that's how I played them. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, like what... you get that exposure that would make them that big, right? Yeah, that's where it uh, really blew up. I I think it was the Xbox Arcade, same with Braid. Um, so I per those criteria that I uh, the rough criteria, obviously we could we could judge them by the merits. I'd say storyline was well told. Um, it was it was well presented. I should say very well presented, yeah. which goes a long way. Um, I still think it holds up pretty well. Uh, yeah, yeah. From Compared what I Braid, yeah, for sure. From what I recall, yeah, yeah it's, yes. it's a it, it holds up pretty well. Combat fairly simple not terrible i wouldn't it's say forward. it's particularly deep in terms of choice I, I think it's but i mean it is kind of an action rpg type so i wouldn't expect that hmm. now would you say it's been influential in terms of you know dynamic narration and stuff like that i've seen it in a few games mostly super giant games but we've probably seen that in like games like god of war and things like that where they kind of talk differently i think last of us and games like that have also kind of adopted the whole dynamic narration if you do different things they say different things i don't know I think it, it launched the uh, the thousand ships, but they did it better. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was influential. Okay, so I'm I'm thinking uh, probably a B or maybe an A tier. What do you think? Uh, my my tiers here I I wrote up real quickly. <laughs> S tier is a masterpiece, like absolute classic. Whatever flaws it has, you know, aren't really important. It's considered you know top of its game. A tier are great games, but have like some nagging flaws. B tier are good games, but have enough holding it back that they're not considered great. C tier is like fine, but nothing too special. D tier is bad. Either it's like really narrow, really linear, or has like a big problem. I, I think all the successors, uh, I think all the successors have showed us that there are, there are definitely huge amount of room to improve on okay. bastion all right so i'll bring in bastion here i'll probably say b tier we can all agree yeah, on that that's what yeah, i was thinking yeah that's fine yeah. yeah it's a it's a good game but yeah nothing crazy uh it doesn't crazy. push the envelope at the time maybe it was fresh yeah but now not really no yeah i could agree with that okay cool next on the list uh bloodborne <laughs> probably a, a <laughs> very very different game i i struggled and i'm I will get hate, I'm sure, in the comments, but I struggle to categorize the Dark uh, Soulsborne games. I, I think I consider them action uh, action yeah. RPGs because they're primarily about combat. Yeah, um, even though they're very, very different from games like Diablo, they're primarily about combat. So I consider them rhythm games with RPG elements. <laughs> oh yeah, <that's... laughs> you, you, you laugh, but you'd be surprised. You just need to get the the boss pattern down, and that's oh, no. it. Yeah. I, I I get where you're coming from with that. It's just no. you're the first yeah. person I've ever heard to classify Dark Souls as a rhythm game. You know, you have your Guitar Heroes, you have your Dance Dance Revolution, and then you have your Soulsborns. Yeah, my, I'm regretting not putting Crypt of the Necadancer in there, because then we could see what, which is the better <laughs> rhythm game. <laughs> Wait, so is Resident Evil 4 by that nature an ARPG? Because it's, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a similar idea. Uh, right? Damn, mm. the Resident Evil games, I think, are survival horror action adventures. They don't really yeah. break into RPG ter territory in my well, book. Well, 4 onwards. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's 
it's really on the edge. You could argue that it has action RPG elements for sure, especially with like yeah. I think you can like upgrade your gear, your yeah. weapons and stuff. I don't know if there's progression. But, That's a slippery slope, though. If we start including things yeah. due to tertiary tertiary elements, we start getting into Call of Duty. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's got that leveling system. Absolutely. Like um, for me, I've always seen the Soulsborne game, Soulsborne games as Western style RPGs. Even though, yes, they're made in Japan, they're Japanese, they're not JRPGs. They're right. Western style action RPGs, but they're also like, in my mind, true RPGs because even though ultimately the games are about you getting good and you being able to overcome the challenges, stats still matter. Yeah, and for me, that's really something that classifies something as an rpg yeah the the bloodborne games are or the uh, soulsborne games are uh, all about um timing rhythm uh understanding and reacting uh properly to animations and and on top of that it does have rpg mechanics as of loot but it's a lot slower progression than most rpgs like you have to level like five or ten times before you really notice a difference so yeah. it is still like there's people that are kind of like basically run through everything without leveling once you know sure so, um, I've, you also do have your like equipment prerequisites and what have you, yeah. and, like different builds based on how you want to distribute your points and what have you. So, okay, yeah, exactly. I'm going to trigger a lot of people with this opinion, <laughs> but uh, I think Bloodborne is better than the Dark Soul series. So it's got to be at least eight here. Yes. Yeah. I just, I just brought it in here just real quick, just so that, uh, I couldn't have to dig through this gigantic list, but, um, I think it, yeah, definitely is an easy A tier. Um, if you consider it the best of the Dark Souls games, then would you consider S tier, or does it have enough flaws to kind of prevent well, that? Well, it, it's more action oriented. It drives you to much faster. Yeah, it, it drives you to be more aggressive in, than uh, the Souls games, very much so. So it, it's a different play style for sure. Uh, but I think uh, it's more engaging. I will never own the platform it's on. <laughs> I've only played it briefly, uh, yeah. but you know the few hours I have played it, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did the Dark Souls game. Okay. Um. All right. So, we're at A tier. What, what do you think, Nerd Slayer? Have you played many of the Souls games? Uh, you know, I feel like these are the games that I wanted to say the least about because uh, they're just the games that I know the least about. And yeah. frankly speaking, I didn't even like Resident Evil Four, so I don't know if I was supposed <laughs> to like these kind of games. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what do you what do you say, uh, uh, Charlotte Raska? Do you think it's a Bloodborne? Bloodborne is the only one that I haven't played. Oh, okay. Uh, out of those, so it's it's uh, but it's... but everything about it seems like I would enjoy it. It's more of the Soulsborne, which I'm already into. I love the theming of it. I love yeah. the Victorian Lovecraftian setting, and the fact that it focuses more on dodges and interrupts and riposts and parries with the pistol, especially just yeah. makes it feel like it's more dynamic and more action-oriented. Yeah, you definitely... definitely... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. I was going to say definitely A-tier, because from what I heard, the Chalice Dungeons are something that really bring it down a notch or several. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's, just, it's one of those games I'm really hoping comes to PC soon, so I can play it. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, um, I mean, I, we don't really have to... I mean, the, the Soulsborne and... Uh, from software's combat is legendary. I think it's like S-tier combat um, storyline. It's always been about discovering lore through environments and like item descriptions and stuff like that. 
I think it still looks good. I, my, my biggest problem with Bloodborne, I love the theme. And yeah, if you like the stuff, they got some crazy, you know, Lovecraftian stuff later in that game. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem was it uh, was that it was not very well optimized and it's PS4 only. So yeah. I would love to see it ported to PC or like, you know, PS Pro patch or whatever, something like that. But um, yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's as influential as other games. I'd say something like Dark Souls or Demon Souls would be incredibly influential. Yeah. Um, but it's like the later stages. So every, everybody had already ripped it off. So I'd say A tier is definitely mm-hmm. a solid yeah. one for that. Okay. Um, sorry, Chad, I just got so much going on. I'm not able to answer you very well here, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate you all. Um, let's see, Borderlands. So um, I, just as a, as a preemptive, um, I'm not saying that other, you know, if I package games together, it wasn't because um, I don't care about them. It's just because if the game series is consistent enough that it doesn't need to be individually addressed, I'll package it together. Um, otherwise, if, uh, you know, in terms of games like, <clears throat> say, the Mass Effect series, they're so different from the first one to the fourth one that I think they could mm-hmm. be addressed differently. So we could say, like, you know, one is A, one is C, one is, you know, S or whatever. But I think the Borderlands games, you could argue about pre-sequel, that was, was probably not as good. But one and two are pretty consistently good or pretty consistent. Absolutely. Yeah, so... I just recently played uh, Borderlands 2 because they had, I think, some really good sale. So mm-hmm. I do, I yeah. do still think it holds up as well, uh, as well as being a good game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the art style alone is is already uh, it, it. It really helps the timelessness of it because worst case scenario, it just looks cartoony, and that's how it's supposed to look anyway. Mm-hmm. So Borderlands 2 is a great improvement over Borderlands 1, but that's mechanically speaking in terms of you know, the core gameplay loop, it's identical. Yeah. So I've yeah. only played, like, a little bit of Borderlands 1. And while I recognize that people who like this game, it's a good game, so you should like it. I personally hate it. <laughs> I don't like this game whatsoever because I just find that core loop to be quite boring. Like, looter shooters are not my thing. Are you playing by I yourself, mean, out of curiosity? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was Much by myself. Better there we go. Definitely. I've heard that as well. I've heard that as well. I've never had that opportunity. And I can imagine if I was playing with a group and we're like just shooting the shit or whatever. And... I wouldn't play it by myself. So I agree with you yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but, uh, I I bought into I, uh, Borderlands 1. Uh, I was actually like following the game before it was released. It was pretty, it was, it was actually a great example of a sleeper hit because it didn't have much mm-hmm. hype going behind it. And then it just blew up. But um, I played through Borderlands 1 <clears throat> by myself but i think i played most of borderlands 2 with a friend and it's so much better when you have co-op it isn't i wouldn't say it's a i don't think it really lends itself to co-op in terms of like game design but mm-hmm. games like that are just way more fun with other people you know there's absolutely an, there's an interesting question in chat it's how is borderlands an rpg i think this is this is worth discussing um it's a, it's a it's totally uh first person shooter diablo with the loot, with the randomly generated loot and the progression stuff like that, I'd say probably um, two parts shooter, one part Diablo. But it follows like the same. Yeah. It took Diablo's loot system and put it into a shooter, and with some so, basic skill trees, leveling up, progression stuff like that, classes. Yeah. The role playing and choices and consequences, it gets a failing grade for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the combat is really good, and. Um, 
I think it's been very influential on the loot. Yeah. It, it it basically established the looter shooter genre. I mean, I realize there are other looter shooters, and they they were adjacent to Borderlands, but this was what we think of when we say looter shooter. Yeah, yeah. Hel Hellgate had come out. I forgot to put Hellgate on this list, but uh, Hellgate came out <laughs> the year before. But okay. it it was Hellgate was like two parts ARPG. Or like three parts ARPG, one part shooter, and so it didn't handle as well as Borderlands by a long shot. Yeah. Borderlands. Let me show you my uh, my Hellgate London story. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you've uh, had a, you've had a rough story with that one, didn't you? Uh, well, I knew some um, I knew some Blizzard developers, and uh, there they got me in touch with the um, with the Hellgate London people because you know former Bethesda, uh, sorry former Blizzard employees. Uh, anyway. I got into the alpha test and I told them brutally, look guys, I have made better levels in Quake, like in the in the Worldcraft editor, than than you guys have in this game. And like I I'm sorry, but th these levels are atrocious and you need to improve this. Um come full uh, come beta, it's the the same thing. And uh the, the people who got me into it, the people who were um working for Blizzard, they got they had a rivalry going on with these guys. So they were laughing their heads off when I said this to them because it was like, ha these guys left us and look what happened to them. <laughs> it's just like, oh God, I feel yeah. so bad, you know? Uh, yeah, but, it was not handled well. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, I agree with that sentiment though about Borderlands. You think about Borderlands when you think about looter shooters, for sure. That's right. Yeah, yeah it's it, the first It's the first game that comes to mind easily. Yeah, I mean, there, there were... Um, ARPGs sort of before Diablo, but Diablo established mm -hmm. the genre, so to speak. That's right. Um, okay, cool. So from an influential standpoint, I mean, it, it influenced Shadow Warrior 2, Destiny, uh, Division, all these other games, like directly. So I would say influential, big part of it. Choice, whoops, let me overwrite that. Choice, nah. Uh, combat, mm. I, I personally think that, especially in retrospect, shooting was pretty rough but it made up for the fact by having so many different types of guns because you're always shooting different weird types of guns so it kind of it kind of helped cover up the fact that the that the gun handling itself wasn't stellar when you compare it to something like you know call of duty or you know titanfall or whatever but right. or halo From but the special skill and the talent trees that that lends yeah. itself to the quote-unquote rpg elements of the talent mm -hmm. trees yeah, so it's it's a true it's a true action RPG, uh, but it is not a particularly co complicated one. But it does have like the loot, as the progression, the leveling, all that kind of stuff. Um, Storyline, I, I, upon replaying them recently, the story isn't as good as it was back on launch. It's very dated, but it is told with a charming presentation, which gets a lot of points for that. So. I think well, if it took itself more seriously, we would criticize the story more. Yeah. But because it doesn't take itself that seriously, we're kind of like we can laugh about it still. Like some of the quotes, I'm like, oh, that's silly. Like, but it's yeah. I'm not as like carefully scrutinizing, I guess. Yeah, in a game, but that... then it loses all those points because it has claptrap. <laughs> no, no, no. Hold on a second. Okay, so um, spoilers. Uh, skip ahead if you you know or mute or whatever. Mute it if you yeah. But uh, spoilers for this. At the end of the first game, before any of the DLCs, but at the end of the first game, yeah. uh, you it introduces um, inter interplanetary ninja assassin claptrap. That is that is that is the ending <laughs> scene 
uh, of <laughs> that the, is true. Uh, I've heard about that. Yeah, it, it is amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it, there's definitely some ups and downs. Um, a lot of people kind of complained about the bait and switch at the end of the first game. I think the second game was definitely more consistent. But we're also talking about a series which literally has one segment where you're killing enemies named boner farts. So you can't really take it that, that seriously. <laughs> um, I'd say it's at least an A tier in terms of just like influence alone. Um, not, I'm a little not, bit biased, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I there's enough flaws with the story, with the characters, um, the unskippable dialogue sequences that are really, really, really long. And for a game that doesn't take it very seriously, like... Like, like I'd compare it to something, it's not an RPG, but like Doom, for example, it's like, it's like, they know why you're there. You're there to murder demons. So they just like skip past the yeah. story because they know you're not there for the story. Whereas this game is like, yeah, look at how cool and fun our characters are. It's like, no, I, I just kind of want to shoot boner farts, Well, you know, you know how in Skyrim, <laughs> how like whenever the dragon will make a noise that you'll hear like a certain character talk over the main storyline. Yeah. People always joke about that. This is one of those games that you actually want that to happen. Like you just want yeah. someone to just yeah. drive by and just like interrupt the story and you're like, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. It's like go back to fighting. Yeah. yeah. So I, I personally, don't... I'd put Borderlands C tier, but C tier, but. Ooh. Personally, because I think as a game, from the bit yeah. I played, and again, my biases is showing I'm not a big fan of the game. I recognize its influence, but as a game as a whole, I think it's average, but it doesn't do any one thing exceptionally well, other than constantly getting more loot. I Personally. Guess, uh, yeah, I, I could say, like, once you break it down, it's it's one of those uh, some of its parts kind of games. Like, once you break it yeah. down, yeah, the, the gun handling is kind of rough. Um you know the the RPG mechanics like it, it's a it's a co-op RPG so really unbalanced like some classes are considerably more powerful if, especially if you were to do some sort of like PVP thing with that it'd be a disaster. But sniping um, is pretty kind of silly in that game because you can just kill things from so far away and half the yeah. time they can't even. It's just like Mass Effects. Like I don't know what it is, but they put snipers in these games and it's so easy to exploit things. Yeah, so okay. we got like three votes for A tier, one vote for C tier. Yeah. Does that make it a B tier, or does that... Does actually, that... Uh, um, if this were the looter shooter, um, you know... Uh, mm. Tier list. Uh, yeah, oh, tier list. I, yeah. I'd say A tier, but because we're talking about RPGs, it's B or C. And oh. it, I'd, I'd say C Action if we're RPGs. talking about Borderlands 1, uh, one or pre-sequel. But Borderlands 2 is a solid B. Okay, so we're talking about action RPGs, so things mm -hmm. like story aren't as important and choice aren't as important. Yes. This this Unfortunately, I didn't really spend as much time on the judgment criteria. Probably should have different criteria mm -hmm. for different genres, but... Right. Yeah. Or a different it, podcast sometime that explains <laughs> each genre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Everybody in chat's uh, debating about that. Yeah. I love, I love the debate the going on in chat. Yeah. It's yeah. obviously it's a very scientific. Uh, once we this list is compiled, it'll be shipped off to the historians to put into the books. Everyone's screwed. If you have an <laughs> yeah. opinion, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> uh, very subjective, obviously. But um, obviously, yeah. So we're just here to have some fun and talk about role playing games. That's all. Or games with role playing uh, elements in them. This will be inscribed on stone tablets by gaming bosses <laughs> along with WAFD. So, so uh, they actually, I think in Spain, they actually put a, a bought a gigantic piece of uh, stone and inscribed memes on them and buried it. So this, the, the, oh they'll, ins God. they'll inscribe the top RPGs of all time and bury it right next to it. This, the, there we go. A time capsule stone. for posterity. 
All right, so uh, was that two? I'll vote two? for B tier. I'll vote oh, for B tier. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I vote for B tier as well. B, B for Borderlands. B tier. Okay. Okay. B for Borderlands. Surprise, surprise twist at the end. All right, let's get through this. Dark, <laughs> Dark Souls, not a controversial uh, topic at all. All right, what's... Ooh. I'd say so, Dark I Souls. Uh, I, I've, I've, I'll, I'll just say my my part real quick. Um, I'm defaulting to B tier, by the way. I'm, I'm not saying there. Um, Dark Souls is great. Dark Souls is awesome, really great, all that kind of stuff. But it uh, isn't. I wouldn't consider it as influential. I mean, it was, but it was basically a carbon copy of Demon Souls mechanically. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Demon Souls was a lesser known uh, PS3. Uh, uh predecessor exclusive so but uh what are you guys thoughts on that dark souls if we're talking about dark souls one i would put dark souls as an a tier game um especially as an action role-playing game i would put dark souls two maybe b probably c for all intents and purposes (laughs) and then three probably back up to b so like that trilogy for me is spread out all throughout Okay, I thought, this, I thought this was, would be consistent enough to put into one, but I probably should have broken it into three, but again, then again, we'll probably be here until 5 a.m., so... <laughs> yeah. exactly. No, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's just me, like, with my experience with the three of them. But, uh, no, I think, like, Dark Souls in particular is more influential than Demon Souls is, by and large, because it is what popularized the Soulsborne genre. Like, people liked Demon Souls, but people loved Dark Souls. Demon Souls you know didn't get, I mean? just didn't get as big of a reach... Uh, because it was a uh, exclusive um, to PS3, it was a new brand, and it was a, pr- a surprise hit, and they made money off of it. But Dark Souls was hyped. Everybody was like, "Oh, Demon Souls for Xbox? It's awesome!" You know, because back then PS3 was like the uh, the runner up console, and uh, not everybody got to play uh, Demon Souls. Um, so it got a much bigger launch, much bigger reach, and so. Although do, hitting a lot of the same notes, um, it just got a much bigger influence because of that. But mechanically, I'd argue that Demon Souls pretty much pioneered everything that Dark Souls is famous for. But pioneered it, but yeah. Dark Souls, I would say, like not if not perfected it, then certainly solidified it, and then gave it so much outreach that it became a phenomenon. It popularized it for sure. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so we have Bloodborne in A. Would you say the Dark Soul trilogy? holds up to Bloodborne standard, or do you think that Bloodborne was better overall? I think Dark Souls was a lot more influential yeah, than Bloodborne. General. Absolutely more influential, yeah. And um, I, I, let's uh, let's figure this magnitude here, as far <laughs> as how influential it is, because I, I'm thinking about Dead Cells and a bunch of other games that aren't even in the same, like, the same gameplay style. Right. They're completely different games, but they follow the conventions that were learned from Dark Souls. If that isn't influential, I don't know what is. True. So, Yeah, I mean, there was actually a point where people started labeling mechanics and genres and marketing pitches as being Dark Souls-like. And uh, not only that, but to a point where games would tiptoe, they would market themselves in such a way where they tiptoe around copyright and name their games like Titan Souls so that people got that yeah. kind of that kind of feel. It's like, oh, this game's going to be hard, like Dark Souls, right? Uh, like they'd, they'd name their games similar to Dark Souls just to get across that we're being like Dark Souls. It's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be a train yourself until you can beat the boss, kind of get better. 
So uh, this punishing. entire podcast is like the Dark Souls of uh, Tearless. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah that's I, that's I, the joke. Yeah, I would say at least A tier for influence. But um, again, yeah, I know there's ups and downs. I was kind of disappointed with two in terms of um, everything. It it, 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 it dumbed down a couple things and made things a couple a little bit easier. And also the lighting engine was gutted right at the last minute. And it was supposed to have this really nice, like awesome lighting system upgrade and they gutted it. And so the game looked really gray and terrible on launch. But um, three I heard was decent, if not quite as, you know, original as three is good. Three, three is a lot of return to form, but it still takes away a lot of that sort of brilliant level design that, dark souls one has like individually the dark souls three levels are great but they're so sparse they lack that kind of internet connectivity that i just thought made dark souls one brilliant yeah like you took a metroidvania game you turn into an action rpg and like you could reach any point of the map by just progressing through it from like one point to another it felt very good to explore okay so yeah and i'm kind of regretting not breaking it up but it almost seems like we could probably say Dark Souls 1 was an S tier, but the 2 and 3 kind of drag it down. Is that, is anyone agree with that? seems to be what most people's sentiment is, like that yeah. I see. Yeah. I yeah. actually liked 3 uh, more than I liked 1 because it felt like uh, Return to Demon Souls, which I liked more. I like so, Demon's Souls uh, more too. <laughs> oh, and, and you also had better movement, like let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Like 3 plays much better than 1. Yes. Like, as far as the action goes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, A or S, what, what, does everybody vote, what does everybody vote Dark Souls I'm as? okay with A. a? I'm okay with A, too. I think that Bloodborne and each of the Dark Souls games do di- things differently, but they deserve it to be in the same tier. Okay. Yes. Cool. Uh, on that note, Demon's Souls. <laughs> 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 Uh, so, I mean, we're probably going to stick with A, but, um, I personally, my first experience, I, I read this uh, review about, uh, Demon's Souls where it's like, it's crazy game from Japan just came on the PS3. It's ridiculously hard, but it's the most fun you'll ever have pretty much. And I'm like, really? And I looked at it and I bought a used copy and the first enemy I fought killed me. And I was like, damn, this is awesome. (laughs) You see a little guy with a spear, and you think, oh, well, I'm going to take him easily. You go to attack him. He blocks your attack with a shield and then immediately stabs you. Yeah. It's like, how'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I mean, it, Dark Souls did everything it did um, in some ways better, some ways more you know, polished or whatever. Demon Souls, I think, captured the atmosphere better. Um and it, it, the layout of the levels was different. And in Dark Souls, it's like like uh, Shalashka said, it was a kind of like a Metroidvania where like once you go far enough, you can unlock a back door to, to lead back, and it's all kind of interconnected. Demon yeah. Souls had like I think five or six different worlds you could teleport to in different sequences. So in some ways, Demon Souls was a little bit less linear in terms of you could you could go to like world two or three before you did one or whatever. Mm. But mm. um. Yeah, I mean, I, I replayed it, I think, earlier this year or late last year, and and it's dated a little bit graphically for a bit, for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it did kind of pioneer what the Soulsborne games were known as. So uh, yeah, probably A tier. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's objectively better than the other two. It's probably my favorite, probably because I, I experienced it first. But what are you guys' yeah. thoughts on it? Did, you give, did everybody play it? I'm 
Uh, I'm going to uh, say something here. I prefer Demon Souls. However, uh, what I like versus the the quality assessment. I'm sorry, but Demon Souls is not as refined as Dark Souls is. Yeah. It's it's lacking in gameplay and it's lacking in um, pretty much everything. I, it's it's one tier lower than Dark Souls. I'm I'm almost certain of it. Oh wow. Okay. So you're gonna say the B tier, yeah. even though it's your favorite. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Even though it's my favorite, that's because I very often have to separate my personal feelings versus a value assessment on things. Cool. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, Zarek says B tier. I still think it holds up against Dark Souls, even if it's a slightly technically impolished. I, I think that it does certain thing, things a little bit better, some things a little bit worse. Um, what, have you guys played it? Did you jump on the PS3 bandwagon? No, no I no. missed out on okay. this. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I mean, I feel like I need a dice roller or something like that. Um, I borrowed a PS3. Uh, sorry, yeah, <laughs> I borrowed a PlayStation 3 to play that. So. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It was an amazing experience at the time because then nothing else was out there quite like it with the combat and the difficulty. And that game was punishing. I mean, uh, it was a mechanic that most people forgot about that they didn't include in Dark Souls where the more times you died in a particular uh, area there was like this light to dark meter it would go more toward the dark and the game would get harder <laughs> oh yeah kinda, that's fair. yeah just to kind of rub it <laughs> rub your face into the dirt even more um all right uh it seems like a crime to put on b tier i don't know from what i've seen it looks interesting i definitely play it if i had access to it but it just seems like because it pioneered those ideas like zarek said yeah. And Dark Souls sort of like doubled down on them, refined them, made them better, made more of a game out of them, fixed a lot of them, again, without any firsthand experience. Yeah, I'd say a couple of the things yeah. that Demon so Dark Souls did improve, plus the, the technological rut that Demon Souls is in because it was PS3 only, never mm -hmm. gotten a PC release, never will. Um, I've seen it running barely on a PS3 emulator, but... It's got the data technology behind it, unfortunately, holding it down a little bit. So I think a B is fair. I've got to get through this list anyway. Uh, <laughs> and here's a game that everybody loves, Destiny 1 and 2. I, com I combine them because they're I think they're similar enough. Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Did everybody play Destiny? I don't have the most uh, positive opinion of Destiny 1 and 2. So I'll just put that out there so, so everyone knows that I'm biased against it. <laughs> I watched a friend play and decided immediately that this is not something I wanted. Okay. I got Destiny 2 when it was free on Battle.net. And because I'm always looking for games to play with like some friends of mine. And I booted it up, played through the first little bit. Shooting seems fine. It's slick. It's nice. Then you run into the major problem. It's a looter shooter. Shalashuska doesn't like looter shooters. <laughs> so I put that game away <laughs> fairly quickly. Um, but gameplay-wise, it's slick, you know? It feels it feels fairly refined. It feels good. You have various abilities to throw at enemies. The gunplay is great. But once you get beyond that, again, it just doesn't... Oh, it's got nice environments, I guess. Like, that's okay. But Yeah, environments in Destiny are like living concept art they're so beautiful um that's one thing i would say then problem with that the flip side of that is that i really wish they had done something like something 
somewhere between Destiny and Hellgate is like I think the perfect medium. Hellgate was too repetitive, too randomized, too too redundant. Whereas right. Destiny, you're going through the same exact environments fifty times over. Mm -hmm. So you need if, more variety in that for yeah. sure. And that was one of my big problems with it. Also, to go back to what we were talking about earlier with like the previous uh, Demon Souls and then like the Dark Souls series, you have like an, an example of Destiny One is essentially just I think at this point objectively a better game than the second one. And I'm not saying the second one can't <laughs> become better because it just launched you know so far behind where it was supposed to be. But I think that um it it's a, it's the same scenario as uh, Dark Souls because the first Destiny might be better, right? But it's also, it handles worse. It's pretty clunky. I didn't like the first game's uh, combat. I actually thought the power oh, usage really? and stuff hmm. felt really like slow compared to the second game. Interesting, yeah. I'd say that if I was playing on console, um, I had probably a longer and more uh, rewarding experience of the first game. But playing Destiny 2 on PC is so much nicer getting like 100 fps you know smooth mouse movement it was like when i played on pc on the demo i'm like okay this is like i can't believe i enjoyed the the, the sluggish 30 fps console version um but i did so enjoy exactly what it is too for me by the way that might be exactly what it was yeah yeah it does need to on pc is like smooth as butter it's amazing yeah it plays um, really nicely it's, yeah. it's pretty well optimized all relatively speaking you know all yeah uh they, they have some in uh i'd say like Destiny kind of probably gets a higher rating in my book than it should because just because of the polish, like they put almost, almost insane amounts of detail into that game. They have unique sound effects for almost every single gun, just like aiming down sight. Like you hear like the rattle of your, 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 your gun as you like look down the scope and in and out of the scope. Um, if you're using controller, slightly pulling down on the, con on the controller trigger actually you can see your characters like fingers slightly pull and they actually That's had awesome. one one uh loot modifier which actually made it so your trigger was actually slightly more sensitive so your gun would fire slightly more responsively than other guns like really crazy stupid details like that in that game and it you know obviously looks very good uh gunplay very uh very polished you know worthy of bungee gameplay but or uh, gunplay but story-wise completely kind of broken and very middling and that, it, it more more of like a world building uh journal than a than a story you know they're like this area does this and isn't this weird and and rather than actually trying to tell a compelling story so i don't think that it gets very high in the story marks but i'd say i personally thought the combat was really solid um as an outsider looking in i observed that destiny one was pretty garbage when it released and yet <laughs> it th through their dlcs they improved the fundamentals of the game until the game was something that was pretty good yeah then in a shameless attempt to recapitalize on the same things they reset to zero with destiny 2 and they've been building it up with dlcs again uh, they had all of the improvements from the original ready to go, and yet they they threw them all away. That's what I saw. Yeah, I, in a lot of ways they did. Um, they they the real I I bought like I don't know why I was dumb and I was console plebeian, but I bought like the super special legendary edition of uh, Destiny because I had really liked the uh, beta, and I was like, oh man, this is only like a tenth of the game. It was actually more of a fourth of the game, but um. 
the first two DLCs were literally like reverse versions of levels that were already in the game, practically. Really, really lazy. I've never seen DLCs mm -hmm. that lazy. The first big expansion, whatever they called that, um, which redefined the game, added a new planet and added like new classes and things like that. I completely spaced out on what the name was. But uh, when they repackaged the game and launched it again, really heavy double dipping. I did not like their business model at all. But that did make the game drastically better. They redid the whole leveling system, um, made it so that loot wasn't such a uh, random, like progression wasn't such as a random loot grind toward the end and a lot of stuff. So yeah, they, they did a lot of those improvements and they, like you said, undid a lot of those improvements in Destiny 2. But the last one, whatever it's called, Shadowkeeper, the, whatever the last really big expansion for Destiny 2 I heard was a huge improvement. So yeah, just... I'm sure Destiny 3, if it comes out, it'll do the same thing. It'll reset back to zero. It's the, if you ever played The Sims, you know, you know what we're talking about, where like every new Sims game just undoes all their DLC and goes back to the very mm -hmm. base game again. <laughs> so and, in, yeah. in, in that regard, like I'd say combat in Destiny was uh, stellar, but a lot of the problems, story, business model, um, nickel and diming, and just bad uh, project management and stuff would probably keep it down to B tier. Is that is that seem reasonable? I think so. I'm okay with that. So it's a fun game. I I played you know probably hundreds of hours of the game and its sequel, but it's I wouldn't say I'm, it's A tier. <laughs> I'm extremely biased against it because I play the hell out of Warframe. Yeah, and true. Warframe Anthem and Destiny are all in the same uh, little house there. Oh my god, I didn't put Warframe on this list. People are going to kill me in chat. <laughs> well, people have to, said Warframe already a bunch of times. Uh, to be honest, Warframe uh, doesn't really get its RPG elements in until about uh, 40 to 80 hours into the game. <laughs> and that's when it goes full Mass Effect with a cinematic story and everything. And you're like, yeah. but where was this for the first 80 hours of the game? You know? That's, that's sort of why I stopped playing Warframe because it was fun. Gameplay is great and all that, yeah. but it, yeah. And yeah. I wanted that those epic stories that I'm seeing on YouTube and all that, just not there. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I I regret I didn't think of Warframe, unfortunately. But if Warframe aren't here, it'd get a good rating. But sorry, I completely mm -hmm. forgot. <laughs> all right, yeah, uh, now we're gonna get into the D's. Um, the Diablos these out uh did, did we all play a diablo uh one two and three yeah yep i still play modded diablo to this day Bezelbub yeah. and the hell are the best Bezelbub, bezel bub uh i never played that one i played i think we played didn't i think nerd slayer now didn't we play a uh, diablo classic or diablo 2 recently diablo 2, yeah 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 you hadn't played until recently, right? No, I had never played Diablo 2 before. I was one of those weird people who played Diablo mm -hmm. 1, then skipped 2 for some reason. And <laughs> was like, yeah. what the heck happened in 3? <laughs> I haven't played 3 for a while. I, I was a day 1 or even beta on 3. Uh, um, so that's actually the one I've played. played uh, I haven't played for the longest. I streamed Diablo 2 with Nerd Slayer few months ago and i streamed diablo a couple months ago i think with some uh viewers obviously diablo mm -hmm. is one of the most absolutely one of the most influential games ever made yeah 
Like yep. it, it basically carved out a genre. So on that so, merit, uh, definitely gets a bonus from that. So between Diablo 1 and 2, I feel that we're going to go back to the same discussion we kind of <laughs> opened up with Dark Souls and Demon Souls. And like, right. Diablo 1 is excellent, and yeah. I love that game. And But jumping from Diablo 1 to Diablo 2 is just worlds apart in terms of how much of a quality yeah. boost you get from D2. Like across the board, mm -hmm. I don't think there's one single aspect that Diablo two did that, or Diablo did that D two didn't do better in some regard. I yep. hate to say it, but Destroyer nailed it for me. Destroyer, yeah, in the chat there. Uh, uh, what it, uh, one, two, or S, uh, or, or A tier, three is B or C. Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I'd almost say like. I actually did a video, and I regret saying this line in the video, but I said that uh, Diablo 2 made Diablo obsolete, all but obsolete. And yeah. I re replaying Diablo, there's something about Diablo, as great as Diablo 2 is, and I probably played a lot more Diablo 2, um, yeah. a much better multiplayer, much bigger open world, a lot more uh, interesting, varied environments. Um, you know, the character classes and stuff are... A lot more striking and unique and there's a lot much not much crossover diablo was interesting in that there wasn't as much class restriction so you could start out as like a, a a mage and end up as like a warrior or vice versa um you could pick up new books and and learn all these different um ability uh, spells and stuff no matter what class you were if you had the right stats and one cool thing is it actually had randomized quests um yeah. every, diablo every... one nailed the atmosphere yeah of the atmosphere. gothic yes. horror yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. It totally did. That's what I wanted to speak to is actually to go along with what you were saying earlier, Indigo, that um, for me, the Diablo 1, uh, like Diablo 1 in the Diablo series, when you compare them, I know I'm biased, but it's just hard to, to not look at it as personally speaking my favorite game. Mm -hmm. And that's primarily because just that opening sequence of going <laughs> to the cinematic and then also having, and by the way, the cinematics changed greatly in, in Diablo 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite a bit different. But walking up and then and then talking to the character right as if uh, or right as if uh, or sorry right before you go into the dungeon you know you talk yeah. to the guy who's like basically mm -hmm. dying already mm -hmm. that I ran through that exact sequence so many times and I never get tired of it I never get tired mm -hmm. of that sequence of going through and talking to them and seeing what they talk oh you know all this stuff is happening you're just like what you have no idea what is about to happen and then you step into like the first dungeon and then you go down to the next one and then next <laughs> thing you know you're running into bosses and stuff like that. <laughs> obviously diablo yeah. 2 on paper i don't think you can make an argument it's not a better game in so many different ways yeah. and I, I can admit that as a big diablo yeah. 1 fan but something yeah. has to be said about the charm in diablo 1 for sure oh yeah like yeah. It's, even as a product of its time like i still i still think in a lot of ways it holds up and a lot of ways it doesn't because it is very dated but like mm -hmm. it's like Zerk said the atmosphere and like what you were saying as well about the 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 charm of it I don't know. I get a kick of going back to old games and seeing like how they experimented with systems and trying to hold up. And Diablo is certainly one of the better game, like one of the better examples of experimenting with a sort of like a new-ish gameplay style, like a new-ish mm -hmm. RPG that tried to be different and tried to like separate itself from the pack. And I still get a kick every time I open the door and the butcher's there. Oh, I, uh, I, there's freaking... actually yeah, yeah. There's a great story about that where they tried to. Um... They actually recorded and put a cinematic into the game, which shows the butcher the first yeah. time you meet him. But for some reason, it was cut. Um, and I think that's like probably the one of the most brilliant better. things about the game is that 
you just walk into some random door and it's like, oh, fresh meat. And it's like, yeah. and he's charging at you at your speed and you mm -hmm. cannot outrun him. Yeah. And you're like, oh my yeah. God, this big guy yeah. and he like chops you up. And yeah, the atmosphere, yeah. the the tension. The horror is... atmosphere too. Let's talk yeah. about that. I mean, is Diablo 2 as scary as the first one? I don't know, man. I was some, parts the game. some parts some are really parts good. Some parts of it, I think. Yeah. Some parts of it, I think, because like the thing with Diablo 2 is because you're changing locales so often, you don't have the same ability to absorb everything from your environment the same way you could in Diablo 1. Yeah. Because in Diablo 1, you had this village and the crypts in this church and the corruption as you sink deeper and deeper, getting closer basically to a gate of hell. In Diablo 2, it's not quite breaknet, but you go from, like, gothic horror in Act 1 to desert, and then you have, like, Egyptian horror in Act 2, and then you're going to jungle horror in Act 3 with, like, desecrated temples and what have you. And then it just kind of changes it up so much, so you don't yeah. get as much exposure, I think. Yeah, Diablo, okay. Diablo 2 is literally, you're walking into the mob, like, slowly descending into the maws of hell, so it definitely wins on yeah. atmosphere, yeah. So, sure. going back to where you said they were trying something new, I, uh, again, I've spoken with developers of Diablo 1, and they actually talked about how they were programming the melee attacks. The melee attacks are just literally their shooting projectile mechanic, but it's just the projectile ends, you know, right in front of you. Really? And so, yeah. They, they, that, that. That's, that's cool. Yeah, that's, um, that's how bleeding edge the design was back then. Yeah. Now, as far as the games themselves, I'm judging them not only on how they were back then, but how they are now, because I play games with mods. I, I revisit yeah. old games with mods all the time. Yeah. I mentioned, I, I just uh, spouted the names before. Bezelbub is a mod that tries to add in all of the enhancements from Diablo 2 into Diablo 1 while keeping Diablo 1's core uh, gameplay the same. And mm -hmm. that's really cool. It makes the game a lot harder. And then there's the Hell, which just adds in whole new areas and whole new monsters and things. It's a little less true to the original Diablo 1 experience, but yeah. it's, it's going to give you hundreds of hours more content to the game. Yeah. So Then they also the, add a whole section for the Butcher, too, like his own little zone. Yes. Yeah, and does and that run? Plays cutscene. Does that run on the D two engine or? No, no, they both run on modified. Oh, Beelzebub runs on its br a brand new engine, mm -hmm. and then um, the Hell runs on a modified version of the original Diablo engine. Right, right, okay. But yeah, so Diablo one still has a lot of longevity as far as uh, mods and things go, but. Diablo 2 also has mods, Median XL. Yeah. Huge yeah. mod, brand new engine. Um, it actually has its own version of Battle.net that you connect to. Does not connect to Blizzard, because Blizzard would ban you for you know cheating. <laughs> uh, so it connects to its own version of Battle.net. And there, it has its own leaderboards, its own seasons, its own, you know, everything. And it, it's gigantic, so... Yeah, Median I'm familiar with. That's like a total yeah. overhaul. New classes, or not new classes, but new abilities across new the abilities, board. Actually, yeah. no, they do have... Do they have new classes as well? No, just new abilities. New abilities. But yeah, yeah. that... Complete, over, complete overhaul, but, though. Like, the abilities are insane, yeah. Oh, yeah. But regardless, both uh, Diablo 1 and 2, the mods still keep that original aesthetic. And I think that Diablo 1 
has a better aesthetic. It was the founding game. Diablo 2, on the other hand, carries it into uh, multiplayer popularity. Yeah. And so when we think of uh, the Diablo genre, I think Diablo 2 is the defining one, unfortunately, because I like Diablo 1 better. Yeah, I, I think you said, Zarek, or somebody said where Diablo is a better single-player game, Diablo 2 mm -hmm. is a better multiplayer well, game. So they're, right. bo they're both like prime examples of ARPGs in different, in different uh, ways. So do you think they're both just by their merit of just influence and, and pioneering. I mean, they're dated, but do you think by those standards, they both deserve S tier? Is that too crazy? I, I think they are the, the thing that all of these different action RPGs aspire to be. We have, oh. we have Torchlight, we have Path of Exile, we have all of these games, uh, Titan. Van Helsing and Grim yeah. Dawn. And Grim whatever. Dawn, exactly. Yeah. So, like, they're all trying to catch up with Diablo. Cool. And they all don't nail the one thing no. I think that Diablo 1 and 2 nail in particular. And that's, like, mm. we, we've we all basically said already. It's just, like, the atmosphere, you know? Yeah. It yeah. just feels different when you're playing the Yeah. And it's hard to explain that. Yeah. 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 Diablo almost has a little bit of survival horror feel, actually, because you're, like, uh, exactly. you can't outrun oh, yeah. the enemies. You know, as much as you run, they're still, like, right behind you. And, and uh, there's that kind of... In, you don't just respawn in single player, you actually die. Or, you know, it, that uh, Diablo actually didn't invent it, but Diablo 2 invented the, uh, or at least popularized hardcore mode, which made a whole new level of fear for your character. So, yeah, I think S tier for both yeah. of them. Just because yeah, I agree. Of how influential they Oh, were. yeah, we still uh, have Diablo 3 to talk about, too. We haven't talked about Diablo 3. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, 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 this one almost needs to be divided into two. Uh, we'd never get through this list if that was the case, but mm. Diablo 3 vanilla? And Diablo three post expansion are two very very different games. Post like a, you know, loot um, patch. A real time auction house. I I will argue that Diablo three as it was has been destroyed due to it being a live service. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to do your death of the game on uh, on Diablo <laughs> three, there you know how how it died and then was reborn from the ashes. <laughs> exactly but, but, but seriously the diablo 3 as it was on release has been destroyed so i think the only fair comparison is to what it has become even though it was pretty awful when it came out no yeah it, it's hard it's hard to i mean there's some things i liked about the original diablo 3 uh i liked um obviously the auction house was a disaster and the loot and everything was kind of messed up but they oh. did kind of make uh with the expansions and the i think they overcorrected with the, the mm. patches they made it so like I, my, I played an entire play i think two playthroughs on diablo 3 and i didn't get a single legendary item without buying it and then yep. uh there when i after the patches i defeat a boss in like some you know uh portal i forget what they're called rifts and i get like four legendaries off of one guy or something like yep. that so it was a bit insane so it's it, they went from like two, uh, two held back to like uh, throwing out candy. Like a, like every every monster mm -hmm. is a a loot pinata, so it's kind of hard to. It... Well, that's I... in terms of game balance, and yeah. that's in terms of gameplay. One thing that doesn't change, or at least now, I've only played the original. I played the demo when it came out, and I haven't played Reaper Souls. 
But one thing that I, I think I don't know how much it changes is the aesthetic and the atmosphere, which okay. I thought was a little brighter, which I thought was didn't really nail that horror aspect as much, personally. No. I thought it was trying to appeal a little more, I don't want to say appeal to the mainstream, I don't want to say that, but it was definitely stepping towards, I don't know, images that were safer. Seems well, more still power fantasy, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, power fantasy. Velasca. Yeah. If if Diablo three had stayed the way the demo was for the entire game, I would be rating it much higher. Mm-hmm. They front loaded it with some of their best content. Yeah. And right. it it fell apart later. Well, yeah. then it's a good thing I stopped after the demo. Shit. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> the only Diablo game I haven't beat. So I think that that kind of says my opinion mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like, there's actually probably four or five distinct versions of Diablo three, and I would possibly rate them different tiers. Like, they're that different. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there was a version that they teased early on, which had a skill tree. Uh, it had slower, more methodical, more Diablo like pacing. It didn't just become like a like a numb sort of like grind through like thousands and thousands of enemies. And that was like, that looked more like Diablo 2-ish, you know, in terms of the pacing and gameplay, but then they sped it up. They they made it more of a, you know, quick uh, loot grind, made it, you know, made the Call of Duty loadout system rather than, you know, permanent choices and stuff, which you can argue the merits and the, and the pros and cons of. But it seems like since they added those features back in um, with patches, it seems like people did like permanent progression. Um, so they added them back in. So yeah, I don't know. I guess B tier, just as it's all over the grid. Like there's I'm, probably a version that's probably A tier at some point. But I mean, there's mm, probably I struggle to give it above a C. To be honest, I yeah. think it was a, I think it was D tier when it came okay. out, and uh, <laughs> Reaper of Souls elevated it to C tier. Okay, so I, <laughs> yes. I I say B. You guys are uh, C and D. So I guess having C only played the, the demo, I think the demo is C tier. Now, if Zarek says everything gets worse after the demo, then I'm comfortable sticking it in C tier. Uh, D so. for Diablo yeah. three tier. <laughs> it's also like uh, something that should be mentioned, and I'll just say it, and then you guys can laugh at it. Diablo three PvP. So I'll just mention that. Oh God, <laughs> Det- Detroit tier. <laughs> D for Detroit tier. Man, it looked actually really good. They had like traps and and like fire pits and spikes and stuff in the, in the PvP. But fun. yeah, okay. Gave up halfway through, and we're just like, you know what? Let's just forget about it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things. Uh, they they actually promoted. I remember this. They promoted. Um, they 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 talked about this game's development in probably like three or four at least three or four BlizzCons over the years. They promoted uh, dynamic quests. They promoted um, mm-hmm. uh, skill trees. They promoted a lot of stuff that never ended up in the game and PvP. So, just from like the disappointment and the the amount of issues the game has had, it almost seems like it kind of poisons the well a bit. So maybe it, maybe it is more of a D, just because yeah. of, of like the of 10 plus years of disappointment and and even if it ended up being like a c or a b at the end it just was a, a very a big mis- miscalculation of of the game so don't speaking you guys mis- have phones <laughs> speaking i was gonna say speaking of big miscalculation <laughs> i'll just save us all a lot of time here <laughs> so diablo mortal has anybody actually played diablo mortal uh, i'm curious no. I, I played the uh the ver the game that everyone is alleging is the original <laughs> the Diablo copy. Immortal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
And uh, it is definitely, I would say, D tier uh, for, in in mobile game terms. Yeah. Like if this were the mobile game list, sure, it's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, and because it's it's like it's just, just awkward touch controls, and and I realize that there's a whole generation of people who've grown up with these touch controls and. They really like them, but I just can't wrap my head around them. I have never enjoyed them. Uh, my finger slips too often. Go, I, my character goes in a direction I don't want. You know, it's just it, the the controls killed it it for me. The uh, yeah, and and it's like an overall uh, action RPG genre, probably much lower because you uh, mobile standards are like pretty low to begin with. So mm. I yeah. not played it, but based on the the absolute just damage it did to the brand i think that it might it's outside of our it's outside of our criteria our very scientific objective yes. our criteria but basically it's here. basically it's an outsourced game uh carbon copy of another you know outsourced to a china developer carbon copy of a, a formula that was incredibly derivative nope. of the diablo franchise actually and an extremely like badly marketed and planned game i think that definitely knocks it down here's the pegs. thing diablo 3 uh the okay so the people who are making diablo immortal they actually are responsible for diablo 3's china uh version uh mm. and they have a cash shop in diablo 3's china version oh no <laughs> I, i'm serious that they, they they do they have cosmetics and everything oh uh, i don't doubt you i'm just yeah. laughing because it's yeah. so typical i guess yeah, I mean, that is just bog standard um, what the Asian market expects. And yeah. I, I pissed off a lot of people when I explained why um, typically these uh, mobile games are uh, more popular in that particular market because I insinuated that there's a good chunk of people who are in very cramped living conditions who <laughs> don't have access don't don't have the ability to dominate the television so they yeah. have to you know they they their their phone is their sanctuary and that pissed off a lot of people because it's you know hashtag not all people in the asian market but uh enough to where they make a fortune so, well, I mean, there's yeah. other factors, yeah. like the fact that it's only, what, three years ago that China's actually allowed other consoles to be <laughs> sold in China? Mm -hmm. So, like, what else are you going to play on if it's not PC or mobile? And guess what's e what you have easier access to gaming on? Yeah. Like, on the go. I've, I've seen those uh, apartments. Um, and again, yeah, not all people, but me metropolitan centers are generally where the bulk of population is. And I've seen yes. those apartments mm -hmm. where you turn around from your your bed and your refrigerator is like right here like it's yeah. it's a, it's a closet so yes. i could definitely see how that you know space and and everything could be an issue yeah. so yeah just, just the black yeah. market's also illegal in in most asian regions like korea mm -hmm. for example like buying virtual goods is illegal and so that might seem like oh but it's not really legal in america well the difference is is in the western world it's not illegal it's just against the tos so right. it's like, yeah. that's actually a, a big difference right because in one it's supported by the government. The other one, it's kind of like, eh, who really cares yeah. about it? What's yeah. a black market for them is a gray market for us. Exactly. So. Yeah, I yep. only I only put Diablo Mortal in here as a bunching bag just so we can fit something in the bottom <laughs> tier. So yeah. I think we're all in agreement that it's not, probably not the yeah. best. Yeah. 
I think it did damage to the brand, and that's yeah. the the important thing to take away from this. Yeah, damage sure. to Blizzard's brand, even like it didn't not only yeah. damage the game, but it actually like harmed the reputation of Blizzard. Like mm -hmm. they'd be in a pretty bad state. I mean, they between that and then laying off like a ton of people, uh, they'd be in a pretty bad state had it not been for them, like kind of recouping some of that with uh, WoW Classic, but. I don't we'll want to give them any ideas, yeah. but why didn't they just remake Diablo 1 and let that be playable on the phone? Like, I, because I they already remade Diablo 1 and Diablo 3. You can't double dip like that. That's, <laughs> that's you know, that's they, unethical. They, they put a pixel filter over Diablo 3. So that, that's that's all they have to do, right? Because no. you think you think yeah. you want that, but you don't. Oh, yeah. yeah. You think you want to play that. We tried playing it off. It's not that fun. <laughs> we didn't we just will. talk about Diablo 1 for like a solid like 20 minutes, so I doubt <laughs> we want to play Diablo 1, right? Exactly. Uh, we're not, we'll we're not... Uh, talk about Blizzard another time because yeah, I have yeah. a lot of things to say about their internals. Definitely. That'd be a good, good one for a future podcast, mm -hmm. whomever's, whomever's channel we do that on. Um, Grim Dawn. Uh, it's based on the Titan Quest engine. They said, like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They grabbed the Titan Quest engine and made, like, a kind of dark gothic. Uh, still not quite as dark and as gothic as, say, like, Diablo 1, I'd say, but um, got some good class mechanics and overall just a really, really solid ARPG. Have you guys played it? Yep. Nope. It's good. It's good. All right. Glad we figured that out. <laughs> I think G, my G, G for it, good tier. I can start from... <laughs> My issue with Grimdon so far has been, I think it's uh, easy. I think that's one of my problems with it. Mm -hmm. It feels like a really easy game. And, you know, I played much differently back then when I was playing these sorts of games. And I've noticed now when I play an RPG, I pretty much always like to play the hardest difficulty unless it's like a one save kind of mode, you know, like an honor mode or, or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Grimdon was one of those games that I struggled to find any difficulty in it. And also, I didn't really care about the world, even though there's a lot of dark and awesome looking um, monsters. There's maybe not a whole lot of variety early on in the game. That's a big mm -hmm. criticism of it that people have is the environments and also the monsters that you're fighting after a while. They, they're kind of like the same, same thing. And so you get a little bit bored of it. And also, I would probably complain about boss mechanics. Like I'd like cooler boss fights and um, different things like that. But I think for what it is and also the studio that created it, the resources that they have, it's mm -hmm. impressive to say the least. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of uh, expansions and stuff. I haven't kept up with the expansions, but what I played of it, it was, like I said, it wasn't groundbreaking. It was just very solid. They put a recent one out that's supposedly supposed to make the game, you know, that much more enjoyable. So cool. I have not played the newest expansion, but I'd say the game feels a little bit on the slow side compared to the other Diablo likes. Mm -hmm. However, it is extremely well polished compared to the other Diablo likes. Yeah, so it's a it's a toss up. It's like a B point five for me. I think like it's yeah. N n there's a lot of good, actually good Diablo likes. Or they used to call them Diablo clones, but I guess action RPGs mm -hmm. out there. So it doesn't mm -hmm. for me it doesn't do anything cr incredible to stand out from those, but. Uh, for what it is, I think it's very solid. And I, I don't, B tier is not bad. It's, it, you know, there's some great games on our B tier so far. Like, uh, yeah, we're not IGN. Seven out of 10 <laughs> isn't a bad score. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think it's B tier. Like, uh, maybe the next expansion does something crazy, but yeah, there's other games here that are definitely more A S tier, I think. So, and it'll never be remembered in the same sentence as the games that we just described. So I think that that also hurts it a lot, right? 
Yeah. 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 Like if this, if this came out like in 2004, like a couple years after Diablo 2, it would have gotten a lot of attention, but right. and like a really, really high rating probably. Yep. But we'd had like Torchlight and other games out there by the time. So, yeah. The right, world building is just lacking, in my opinion. And again, that's just the coolest part about Diablo 1 and 2. Uh, two sorry. It's just the world building. You feel like everything is just connected together, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, now, this one. This one was a tough one, putting this one into, into a category. Uh, it's like an RPG spectacle fighter hybrid, but uh, uh, near Automata. Have you guys played that one? No, uh, I, I don't want to. I've only heard good things about it, and I want to check it out. But It's it's an interesting one. Have you played it, Zarek? I've played it through... Uh, I, I played it through twice, at least, completely. Uh, one of those games where you have to like, I, beat it five times to get the story or something like that, right? Well, okay, so you play the game once, you get unending. Then you play the game a second time as the character who was your assistant, your mm -hmm. kind of AI follower, and you get a whole new perspective on things because turns out he wasn't just Mr. Follower Guy. Every time that something just conveniently saved you, that was him. <laughs> and so then you get to the uh, third time you play it, and it's actually the sequel to the first two playthroughs. Oh, jeez. So it, it carries on the storyline, yeah. and that's the second half of the game, and it's uh, pretty brutal. It's uh, It follows after Nier um, in the sense that it's telling a story where ultimately the world the world matters, but... I guess the they're trying to tell you that nothing matters except hope and what's going on right here and now. Uh, everything else is transitory. And uh, yeah, so it, is it's near A for art then, or it, it's such a weird game to classify because it's almost mm. like if you took Bayonetta or Devil May Cry, added a little bit of open world RPG elements, and then mm. had it directed by Ko uh, Kojima. Like that's the best <laughs> I could describe. <laughs> The storyline is so freaking weird and it goes in so many twists and there's like you replay it and there's different uh, different uh parts you can unlock and you know different like yeah some of the sequence i only played it probably like the first four hours but well question uh, for somebody who hasn't played it like what is rpg-ish about it just um just out of there, curiosity there is loot you can uh buy and equip weapons there's npcs there's traders i believe there's uh leveling there's leveling yeah so okay. it, it qualifies yeah. slimly but it, it does qualify yeah as an arpg this is a jrpg uh it, oh. okay. yeah as far it, like it follows the japanese rpg uh conventions where you're taking a a pre-generated character a predefined character and you're following it uh, following their story yeah and I see that. Yeah, there are a couple meaningful choices and consequences, but there right. it's only a couple across the entire game. However, uh, some people will... Um, how do I put this? There are certain choices, like doing side quests, that will give you extreme insights into what's going on, where if you just try to power through the main quest, you will think, you'll go like, oh, that was cool. And not realizing that there are a bunch of side plots that make a lot more sense in context. Yeah. So I actually consider Nier Automata the most important game of its year. 
and oh. that's over like per- persona five and stuff like that yeah and persona okay. five was like i, I consider yeah. that like really high up there in terms of production quality yeah. and stuff so would you mm-hmm. say an a tier uh, i would definitely okay um it's uh, not rpg it, enough yeah dns tier yeah luckily it's we possibly miss misapplied it to the action uh, rpg genre so it actually mm. probably does story and stuff a lot better than most of these other games yes <laughs> um but i i, I applied it because uh, i don't know for some reason i have a hard time i mean i think i do have one or two games in the jrpg genre that has like real-time action rpg combat like just mm-hmm. mana but jrpgs generally have the turn-based you know party combat so that's usually kind of one of the staples but i'm okay with a tier what do you guys think I haven't I've played it. I give it to you guys. Yeah, I've watched a lot of streams. Uh, I like how difficult the game is. I like that they want you to replay it. I like mm-hmm. that the combat looks fun. I like that there's a companion system. I've always liked that since Zelda, you know, way back yeah. when, yeah. where you have one that helps you as a foil throughout the story. Um, I, I, I think A is fair. Also, yeah. there's a lot of really meta, interesting, artistic uh, ways that it, it approaches its storyline where you have to like... Con- it's outside of the box too, like yeah. you said, right? The plot. Yeah. Yeah, very unique yep. that way. All right, uh, this one, I have played it. I own it. I have not gotten very far, but it's another uh, Souls-like Neo. You guys played that one? Nope. I've not played Another it. one I've watched. <laughs> I've yeah. watched. You've watched. Okay, from so yeah. from, a, from, an, out on. from an oh. outsider's perspective, I, I know approximately what it does differently. Obviously, there's a lot of differences because it's a different developer and stuff like that. It's one of the most competent Souls-likes that are not made by uh, from software. I'd actually argue it's probably the most competent Souls-like that isn't from software. Um, it launched on console with a 60 FPS mode, which is a huge bonus, I think. Um, yeah. uh, but it, it, what's kind of interesting is it has a lot of different little mechanics, but um, it introduces kind of like a Diablo-like loot system, so you can actually get different variants with different magical abilities to each weapon, and it has fight, different fighting stances. So it kind of adds a different layer to the combat, in some ways possibly deeper than Dark Souls. What, what are your thoughts, and what do you guys watched? Okay. I think, oh, I'll let you go first. I was just going to say that um, I, you know, I looked at what I called Samurai Souls and I said, <laughs> you know, this looks very interesting. I will never be able to stream this. Therefore, I need to put my time somewhere else. And I said, this looks very, the, the gameplay looks very compelling. I, I see this guy's having fun at playing it. That's really cool. Goodbye now. <laughs> just because it, it would be too embarrassing or tough to stream, to, to burn through, you think? I, I I prefer games where I can pause it, address the chat, you know, show yeah. some memes or whatever, and then get back to the game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I streamed Demon's Souls, and, and I was so well-trained and paranoid that I actually managed to get through the full, first area without dying. Surprising. Mm-hmm. Well, aside from the part you were supposed to die. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. It is definitely a kind of nerve-wracking. That's why I can't really do online shooters on streaming. It'd be too distracting. But um, definitely a solid game from what I've played. And uh, I mean, I, I'd say it's at least equal as, if not as um, innovative as something like Dark Souls, I'd say it's probably as polished and try some new things. And they're making a sequel or at least 
they are or are have released a sequel for it. Oh, so Sekiro? Oh, sorry, you meant an no, actual Sek- sequel. Oh, yes, I forgot. Sekiro. I forgot that Sekiro. But Sekiro, I, yeah, Sekiro. I, I, I figured nobody played. Has anybody else played Sekiro? I didn't include that in no. the list. Okay. No, so. been watching that one, but that that one looks, looks like this one on steroids. That one looks yeah, insanely yeah. It looks like... fast and crazy. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, like, what's the mechanic they have in Sekiro? Like, you can immediately respawn, but then you lose all your souls or something. Yeah, so it's like that kind of risk. Your soul. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like this r- cool risk reward factor, even more tuned up from like the other Souls games. So. Yeah, uh, I, I'm. It's also better I, to die sometimes. People will tell you in yeah. Sekiro, it's like it's better to die than to to have to restart a scene or whatever else. Um, some people just re- uh, recommend you die and respawn. I, there's few games that I would call intimidating, and the Soulsborne games are 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 that a genre that I find really intimidating. Like, I, I every time I'd get to a point where I I opened up a gate and got back to my camp or save area or whatever, and like Bloodborne, I'd like save and log off and like exhale because it's just so oppressive going forward in that game is so oppressive you're just like you're fearing for your life at every moment it's pretty uh pretty great all right this is almost like a completely different genre it's so different but uh path of exile have you guys uh, played path of exile absolutely i played the hell out of path of exile now this one I could definitely see being a contender for possibly S tier. Like uh I'm a, I kind of wish it had the random random generated maps like it did in uh, I think later on it does in like uh, whatever act 7 or something like that, but most of the levels are the same with like slightly different spawns and drops and stuff like that. They do flip the map a couple times so you do kind of get turned around when you replay the game, but uh, for the most part, the maps are static, but it compensates for that by just having a a incredibly deep uh, skill tree system. Something like, what, 2,000 points on the skill tree? And mm-hmm. I think now they have 10 acts or something like that. So, like, it's 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 like two and a half games yeah. length of game now or something so like that. What happened originally was they had three acts... And they added a fourth act to deal with all these plot elements that were left dangling. Yeah. And then the game had, you know, uh, normal nightmare and hell. You know, the the three Diablo difficulties. Yeah. And they, when they created their expansion pack, they filled in up to ten acts and pretty much just removed those difficulty levels and just said the game gets harder as you keep going. <laughs> And so by the time you're at Act 10, it's, uh, it is literally as hard as the, um, uh, is, you know, hell difficulty. And then they introduce what are called maps. And maps are the true end game of Path of Exile, where you are essentially going through random, um, randomly generated uh, tile sets. It's kind of like Nephilim Rifts, but without mm-hmm. the timed element. Okay. You know, so that's the best way to put it. They definitely, if I were to boil it down, like they took, they took like the variety of like six or so classes from Diablo two, but made the class, uh, classes and the, um, skill tree wrap around. So you could actually go from start on one class and develop into something completely different, kind of like Diablo one. Then they added some additions that would later be seen in games like Diablo three, kind of like the rifts and the, and the special, uh, you know, like what, what uh, Zarek was saying, and then they just added a shitload of content. 
So okay. it, in a lot of ways, it's almost like the best of all worlds. If you, if you look at it that way, it is kind of like an ARPG to end all ARPGs, at least it's tried to be. Final Fantasy VII used a materia system where in your magic spells are actually these little gems that get socketed into your gear. Yeah. That's Path of Exile. All of your skills are socketed into your gear. And so you can swap them out on the fly. Yeah. It's very dynamic. However, there is also a passive skill grid, which is what Indigo talked about. And that passive skill grid is literally the sphere grid from Final Fantasy X. So you have two <laughs> completely separate Final Fantasy systems inside of Diablo and with a unique world and story, which has a lot of really cool lore to it, especially when you start getting to the expansion uh, areas and you start talking about the living gods. Yeah, and they also did something interesting because you're basically exiled to, uh, hence the name, exiled to an island without money. So instead of, instead of instead of having uh, the the island has no money or currency, so everything's done by bartering, trading. Although so. Zachron's shaking his finger, I'm <laughs> shaking my finger because you start off. Okay, so you so see, yes, the the lore is your character started off on the glorious island nation of uh, Oriath. And you were exiled from this great uh, paradise to the mainland, which uh, Ray classed. Detroit. And the mainland is cursed and is a fallen empire. There is no money. You know, there's only the magic gems and uh, stuff that's been left behind. Because the eternal empire fell and with it, all of its uh, magical artifacts kind of scattered. So that's what you're using are these little uh, like shards of artifacts as your money and yeah oh yeah so every currency in path of exile actually has a purpose within the game for example you might get a, a currency called a chaos orb which can redefine the properties on your gear and that's what you trade for yeah and like early on you're trading like town portal scrolls and identify scrolls and stuff like that is mm -hmm. everything is a barter system like yeah. You can't buy an item with gold. There is no gold. You have to trade parts of, you know, crafting items and things like that to be able to buy. And whenever you sell something, they, they trade you something of uh, approximate value. So it's a really interesting thing. And also probably one of the coolest thing about this game is that it's completely free, uh, uh, free to play, no uh, substantial gameplay additions. Like the, the one thing you could argue you could buy is like extra storage space, which is like a, more of a convenience than anything. Mm -hmm. But everything else you can buy is purely cosmetic, and they've probably the the most honest and and best free to play game ever made, in my opinion. Like, yep, I think so too. So that's I, I think it gives a huge boon, and the fact that it's got like ten acts and they keep on adding to it, and they've never been like screwy. Uh, they even did a, an April Fool's uh, joke one year where they they added. Um, this like very very small microtransaction you buy like a like for a dollar you could buy like 20 these little things which there were little items you put in your inventory and, you, and if you uh right clicked on them they would spat out a bunch of uh fireworks and say you win uh, they're kind of make, making fun <laughs> of like mobile games or something like that yeah. it was pretty pretty awesome like they definitely have the, a sense of humor the last april fools was a battle royale oh, and and, and get <laughs> it wasn't just a joke they actually introduced a fully fleshed out battle royale That's system. That's insane. Wow. And it, it was great. But then they removed it, you know, after Aww. April 1st because 
Uh, but it, if they had kept that, people would have flocked to the game just for that. But it's not the game they wanted to make. Yeah, they didn't want to. They didn't want to have to support that long term. So I can understand their decision. Mm -hmm. But that is awesome. That's yeah. a that's a crazy amount of work that goes into. I think yeah. just from the scope and the honesty, I think they just asked, what do you guys think? I think so too, even though I have a pretty big point of criticism with oh. uh, Path of Exile. <laughs> Go on. Um, that? And I feel like I'm the only one here that m might have a negative opinion. It's yeah. primarily because, okay, when I was younger, I played a game that was essentially like a Japanese clone of Diablo. Mm -hmm. It was called Dark Eden. And this game was essentially, it married a lot of typical Wait. Diablo mechanics. I think MMO I know mechanics. this game. I mean, You're it playing as a vampire, me. right? You could play as a vampire, exactly. That was a big oh. part of it, is you could play as a vampire, a slayer, which was a human, and then eventually they came up with like a hybrid. The reason why I bring this game up is that it had a lot of similarities to Path of Exile, but one thing that it doesn't have in terms of its similarity is actual open maps in which you could actually meet other players and potentially PK them. And so that was like a big part of that game was that it also allowed for people to PvP because you'd go to like the holy zone which, you know, because it's obviously about like Bibles and holy wars and things like that. And the slayers had to get these Bibles. They were talismans or like relics, if you will. They had to hold on to them. But obviously the vampires didn't want them to happen or didn't want them to have it. And so it was this like constant conflict amongst them, which I feel like I, that would be so cool. Path of Exile had something similar to that, where there was some central theme in which they were fighting amongst the other players. But yeah. it's not that kind of game. And so that's why I don't really bring up that criticism because it's like it's so good at doing what it does that who am I to be like, hey, why don't you try this as well? Because it's like it's so good at so many different things. Like, you know how with some games you might be like, I'm going to keep this game like in this exact genre and not compare it to anything else outside yeah. of that because you, you don't want to beat it up too much. Uh, Path of Exile is one of those games that you can do that. You can talk about free to play games and say it's one of the best, you know, yeah. and that's pretty rare, I feel like. No, no, it is kind of a unicorn in terms of gaming. Like it's completely free. You never have to spend any money on it. It's got more content than just about any other action RPG out there. It's got a very, very flexible and deep, uh, you know, character progression system. It's got all these other modes and stuff. It didn't it have PVP at one point, or am I imagining that? It's got arena PVP, but I'm right. sure yes. Eric will uh, rant about that if he's ever tried it. <laughs> it's not very good. I tried yeah. it once and then uh, just disregarded it. It's like Warframe PVP. It mm. exists, but uh, nobody I know for. actually plays it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You're running around waiting to get one shot, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's not the end all, you know, be all uh, vampire slaying game that that uh, somebody needs to make for Nerd Slayer. But um, other, right. if you <laughs> if you don't compare it to that game, it's a pretty phenomenal uh, achievement, and also it was like a pretty much an indie prog uh, production too. So right. yeah, pretty pretty the impressive. RPGs can be MMOs, I think, as well, and I, th I think yeah. Path of Exile shows that maybe you got to take it a little bit more serious uh, in yeah. a massive uh, sense of the mm -hmm. word. Yeah, they, they took it very lightly where they had shared hubs but um and like, you know, persistent user base, but you didn't just run across random people in, in the wild. They kind of, they took a lot of, it's a very nuanced game where they took a lot of like, okay, people want this, but people want that as well. So we'll figure out a happy medium. And sometimes they, you know, may not hit the mark perfectly, but it is cool that you could, you could find a party in town, but your, your immersion isn't ruined by having... 50,000 people trying to kill the boss at the same time. So it's, it's, yes. it's a shared universe, a shared universe ARPG basically. Yep. So. 
All I'm right, just now. happy Nerdslayer brought up Dark Eden. That was a blast from my past. I don't even remember <laughs> playing that until I heard the name. I'm like, wait a minute, I know that game. So I played that game so, way too much. It, yes. it it took me forever to pro uh, put these into <laughs> a genre, and I'm sure I'll probably uh, piss off to you guys. But uh, the Shadowrun games for SNES and Genesis. No, I All think right. Shadow. Well, so my experience here is definitely Shadowrun SNES. Um, I've been meaning to get around to playing the Genesis version forever, and I just have not sat down and played the Genesis version. Thanks, Infinite Backlog. Uh, not the YouTuber, but my actual backlog. Um, but no, I think they're. I think from what I understand from the Genesis version, and certainly the SNES version, they're both ARPGs. Uh, and yeah, I love uh, SNES version at least. It's fantastic. Okay, so the Genesis version um, has the best version of being a Decker that I've yeah. seen in any in any uh, video game incarnation of Shadowrun. When I say video game incarnation, that's because, for those of you who don't know, Shadowrun is based on a tabletop RPG yeah. of the same name. Like It's like Dungeons & Dragons, if all, instead of being heroes out for adventure... Um, I, this is the best way to explain Shadowrun. So you see a big floating castle, and they're like, "I'm not going in there. What's wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like because you don't screw me. around with Aztec with the yeah, Aztecs. Exactly. exactly. You you have to pay me lots of money if you're going to get me to risk my life, and that's that's what happens with Shadowrunners. Is they, they the character motivations don't have to be self created because the world is saying, we will pay you to do dangerous shit, and you'll get money. And so that's <laughs> your motivation right there. And that's, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, You're I, basically mercenaries in an urban fantasy cyberpunk world, and it's fantastic. Yeah, um, imagine uh, cyberpunk, but there's magic, orcs, elves, and one of the mega corporations is run by a dragon CEO. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Uh, I regret uh, I downloaded it, but dragon. for some reason the thumbnail didn't upload for the Genesis version. So I guess we're going to have to mm. uh, find a tier that they both fit into. <laughs> I meant to separate them, but <laughs> yeah. I, I was I, I was checking through the list again, and, I, and one of the one or two of the thumbnails didn't upload. So, um, so I mean, obviously products of their time. I think they're both ninety three, ninety four. I think something like that. Mm. Um. Solid games. I've not played the Genesis, but I, what I've watched, uh, more of a top-down kind of action, uh, yeah. more real-time action, not so much like the aiming and you know shooting randomly into the distance, but I was really impressed by how cool the Matrix uh, uh, scenes were, where you're actually like zooming through a computer system, taking out, you know, uh, counter, you know, ice uh, counter measures or whatever. Um one of the coolest, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, cyberpunk type game RPGs. Uh, would you say A tier or B tier? For those who played it, I I would say B tier because it has some pretty major issues. It's very grindy for seemingly no reason at times. Uh, there's a main story, but it's kind of put on the back burner unless you go to very specific locations. Uh, it has choices, but at the end of the day, none of those choices have long-lasting consequences other than, do you want to side with the Mafia or the Yakuza? And you know, that's, that, that's the only... And it's only what kind of gear you get as a result. 
So um, okay. whilst it tries to be more heavy on the RPG, it's more of an adventure game True. than an RPG. And so that knocks it down a bit. I loved the game, mm-hmm. but it, it's not the, you know, not a great RPG. Yeah, okay, I cool. feel the same way about the SNES version, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the because, same problems, too, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the same problems. Like, there is li- very little to no choice and consequence whatsoever. What progresses the plot are talking to specific NPCs and asking them a specific question. So one thing I do like about Shadowrun SNES is the question system. So you go to an NPC, you ask a question, they'll give you a keyword, and then you can ask other NPCs about that keyword. And It's really nice for that sort of replayability, but... Aside from that, that is your dialogue. You're essentially just asking the same questions over and over again until you get that bit of information to move on to the next quest giver. For Um, sure. The story is what it is. It's a fine Shadowrun story, but, you know, that doesn't amount for much. Uh, And the gameplay, the combat especially, was kind of... Hmm... It's it's functional, but it's not what I would call intuitive because you're basically moving a cursor across a screen and pressing the A button on whatever enemy you have highlighted. So yeah, you know, yeah, it, that, it, it gets old very fast. Yeah, yeah, I'd say B tier is probably right. Um, now, just yeah. just as a a note, how long do you guys have for the stream? Because we still have like a ton of titles, so uh, I'm wondering like uh, what kind of pace. We're gonna have we to... can speed it up on a couple of these for sure. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's I, some I have sets. Two hours. Two yeah. hours. Okay. Yeah. No, we speed I'm it up. Good. I think we might be able to get through it. So let's 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 do sure. it. All right. Titan Quest. Um, very similar to Grim Dawn. It was earlier had a really cool um kind of class hybrid system and Greek mythology and was apparently written by the guy who wrote Braveheart. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, Titan Quest? It, influential, I guess, is the main thing I remember about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, I mean, it got an anniversary edition and an HD, or his anniversary edition, the HD patch or whatever. Yeah, and they got a they got like so, a, a fifteen year late uh, expansion pack for Valha- for the uh, Norse mythology. <laughs> Ragnarok, yeah. I have never played that, so I don't know the expansion. I mean, it never gripped me that much, but I I, I definitely think it was a solid game. It didn't grip me as much as Diablo, but I'd say it's probably on par with Grim Dawn. I, I, okay. it has the same problems as grim dawn i think as well yeah. which is like uh the environments themselves are just like they're kind of bland it, yeah it's just the same old like limestone yellowish white kind of you know colors and i think that gets you see that on a lot of like uh mythology yeah. type you know, themed games where it's always like the same colors and it ends up being boring sometimes yeah i agree it didn't really grip me that much um when Chuck says i was really excited about the kind of greek mythology theme but yeah, me, me as well. I'm a huge Greek mythology buff, but I actually thought that games like Rise of the Argonauts did that better. It was more engaging because it got more into the story mm-hmm. and, the, and the mythology, um, mm-hmm. despite that game's many faults. All right, uh, so we got uh, Torchlight 1 and 2. Controversial opinion. I like Torchlight 1 more than I like Torchlight 2. For the same reasons as Diablo 1 and 2, Torchlight 1's a better single player, Torchlight 2 is a better multiplayer, right? Bingo. Yeah, that's what I feel too. <laughs> yeah, I've only played Torch one, Torchlight two, but I also played it like quite heavily modded. Um, I thought it was great yeah. as far as like the gameplay loop is concerned, as far as like the actual approach to that Diablo s gameplay. It was awesome. It's great. Um, Very but solid then, games. He, yeah, here's the thing though: the story doesn't have much of an appeal to me. 
Because then That's at some point, yeah, at some point you're just kind of going into places to do the loot, yeah. and then afterwards you kind of forget why you're doing it. But uh, the biggest problem as well. Yeah, Torchlight One. Uh, I always knew why I was there. I was there to defeat Ordrock and remove the corruption. I understood that I was going deeper and deeper because you know my body's getting eaten away by corruption. I like it was an easy, simple premise to follow. Um, the and then when you finish it, you go to the infinite dungeon. That's when it just becomes mindless loot. <laughs> Second one, however, uh, it got kind of contrived. You're chasing the alchemist just like you were chasing the dark wanderer in Diablo 2, <laughs> and it didn't make sense. Like, kind a, of a lot of the, like, while, yeah. who, who is this guardian of water? Why, why should I care about them? You know, it, there's just a lot of stuff they throw at you without explaining it. And I felt that Diablo 1, uh, sorry, sorry, Diablo 2 took its time. If you go through town, talk to different NPCs, you got this opportunity to learn all this lore about the world and the different things that you were going to encounter. Because, you know, before you encountered Bloodraven, you actually had uh, a quest that to kill Blood Raven, where they told you about her. So you got to yeah. know about her. You know, same thing with the Countess. There's a plaque, you know, outside that, you know, talks about the bloody Countess before you go into her tower. Yeah. Torchlight 2 didn't have that to a sufficient degree. And mm -hmm. so it is innately inferior to Diablo 2. Yeah, I found, like, a ghost pirate I had to kill in Diablo, uh, in Torchlight 2. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I'm describing him as ghost pirate just kind of goes to show you so, like, the kind of characterization I remember yeah. from that particular That's mission. right. Yeah, yeah so would you, would you argue that Diablo, or sorry, yeah, Torchlight 2 is our first C tier? Because it's a little bit, like, a little bit tired? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree with that. safe to say. Yeah, it's, it's serviceable, and it's fun it's with fine. friends, but that's about it. It's fine. Yeah, it's just, I wrote yeah. here, average, nothing special, but not yep. great, you know? It's it's yeah. a fine game, like it, you know, probably one of the top twenty ARPGs on Steam or whatever. But it, it's yeah. not like something I'd rave about. Grim Dawn beats it out, so yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, so we've got uh, two more ARPGs. <laughs> Zelda, uh, Zelda Breath All of the Wild, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Or actually, I'll do Transistor first. Transistor. Ooh. Um, Transistor is very, very similar to Bastion, but I would argue is superior. Um, oh. uh, Transistor is far more action-oriented, and your your positioning and everything matters in Transistor, whereas yeah. it matters less in Bastion. Right. Mm -hmm. That was my argument. Oh, hopefully I got the hopefully I got the cover for Transistor. I would say yeah. it, Transistor is on the right side. Um, yeah, I, I really like Transistor. I loved uh, Bastion, the narrator, and stuff like that. And, and Transistor has the same premise. Um, but what's kind of cool yeah. is that uh, it's actually the same voice actor, but he has a very different voice. Um, yeah. It's it, it basically the main character's uh, a singer who becomes mute. And uh, one of her closest allies or friends uh, gets killed uh, and with a sword, but the sword kind of inherits his soul. So he's able to basically talk through the sword uh, mm -hmm. continually. And it was one really cool thing is if you played on PS4, 
uh, the light on your uh, the front of your PS4 controller will light up whenever he's talking. Kind of a cool That's little cool. cool little addition they did of that. But again, he kind of narrates. He kind of talks to you and narrates you. But he's actually a character this time. He isn't just a narrator. He's actually talking to you and kind of uh, you know reasoning with you and kind of like admitting things and opening up to you throughout the story. And there's a lot of really cool artistic things in the game. It's got kind of a, almost like a semi-cyberpunk kind of feel, kind of a a weird futuristic cityscape thing. But uh, uh, one thing that really stood out, I think, with it was the music. And um, uh, your character like can't talk anymore, but she can hum. So mm -hmm. it, uh, you could, there were sequences where she was humming along with the music as the music was playing, almost as if it was you know, uh, in environment music. So a lot of really cool as uh, artistic choices. And I agree the, the combat was almost like programming where you're like setting up sequences of attacks and movements without knowing if you're, if the enemies are going to be there or not. So you're basically setting up a script for your character to execute. Um, so it's a very interesting combat system too. And I also had com uh, programming like names for the attacks, but I really, really liked the game, but uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I haven't played it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I just haven't played it. For all intents and purposes, like, from what I've seen from it, it looks like it is an improvement on Bastion in a lot of respects, but mm. having not played it, can't comment on that. And yeah. I've only briefly looked at it. I think Epic I wasn't giving it away for free, so. I played a little bit of it. Not a lot. And I just remember it being more action-oriented than anything else in the storyline again i haven't played enough of it to really uh, uh say nearly as much as you did indigo but um I, I think the story was good yeah it was a little bit almost like dark souls in a storytelling because there was a a rough you know narrative that get you from point a to point b but there's a lot of just like things off to the side where you could like read emails and messages and and kind of get more out of the environment and out of the world building if you looked for it which was kind of nice um i wouldn't say it's like a absolutely stellar uh storyline i think it was a very very compelling uh universe um and i think the fault of the game would probably be that it's actually not really a fault it's just a game that does not outlive its welcome it's like i think six to eight hours long and it does have like i think a new game plus but um, which is harder and you could like, I think you can take your character in and, and fight harder enemies, but there isn't an, a, it isn't like most ARPGs where you can play it for like a hundred hours. I couldn't see myself playing it. It's more for like more than like 15 hours, okay. but um, yeah, I think it's like an A tier, but uh, it, it isn't like RPG, ARPGs like Diablo where you can play it for like 200 hours if you want to. Yeah. So what do you guys think? A tier, B tier? I'm probably most excited about it than you. I haven't played enough of it to make a value judgment. I think B tier is good, though. I think it's slightly better than Bastion, but I don't think it's it's quite on the level of anything else in B tier. Yeah, it, it does kind of get a, a really big boost just from its aesthetic, like its music and its visuals and stuff. Yeah, but um, all right, now uh, I'm. I would be I'm very curious about our opinions for Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> okay. I consider this kick. I consider this the first Zelda RPG because although there isn't technically experience in leveling, you do acquire um 
what were they orbs or something like that that you turned into either adding your stamina or your health. So it's basically the same difference. Mm. There's uh there's loot, there's um various armor and equipment. It's all, you know, they've got durabilities, different stats, uh there's NPCs, there's towns. Like it's got the everything but experience and levels, but a very a very close equivalent to that. So that's why I consider it an RPG. But did you guys I... Okay, you go ahead. Go ahead. I got uh, a lot of flack for making a video <laughs> where I said that Breath of the Wild was a mediocre open world. And that, honestly, everything it tries to do has already been done by other games um, to one degree or another. And it, it abandons quite a bit of the Zelda you know, for something that it did not do extremely well. And I added that they will make another open-world Zelda game, and it will be better. I said that uh, this is just their prototype, and they're going to iterate on it. That they did it with uh, Ocarina of Time, and they were going to do it with this. And people were like, bullshit, this is, this is a masterpiece, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And then, as we can see, Nintendo um, Nintendo announced something this E3, something... <laughs> something about a number two. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't... I iteration. Zarek, I don't get why you got flack for having the correct opinion. Um, <laughs> I, I don't understand it. No, like, uh, I think Breath of the Wild is very overrated, both yeah. as a Zelda game and as an open world game. Yes. I tried playing it multiple times, and it just... I like that it kind of reawakened that explore-everything sort of sensation that you first get yes. when you play a Zelda game, whether it's, like, you know, the original or Link to the Past or Ocarina, whatever. You have this urge. You want to explore everything. You want to see the world. And I like that Breath of the Wild was able to reawaken that for veterans. Mm -hmm. But you had four major dungeons and a whole bunch of mini dungeons that just doesn't feel like a proper Zelda game. Yeah, and everything that they've done, other open world games have just implemented better. Like, I thought Skyrim had better systems than Breath of the Wild did in a lot of ways. It almost felt like 90% 90, 90 of the content was side quests. Like, 90, 95% of the side yeah. content was side quests. Like, it's it's uh i love non-linearity but it almost felt like uh they you know obviously they give you all the most all the tools for solving puzzles right at the get-go so you can tackle all the side dungeons in any sequence you want which is cool but the same content uh in different order doesn't really affect it's just the same stuff in a, in a different sequence and i think that I like, like I said, I really like, uh, especially the physics and stuff like that, where you can like catch yeah. things on fire. You can do all this other stuff. Like I, I love all that stuff. I love physics and games and, but it does it's kind intuitive, of intuitive, which it I think is yeah, very fast. Yes. Yeah. It feels like if Ubisoft in 2008 made a Zelda game, this would be Breath of the Wild. Like that's what I, yeah. I, I kind of felt like. And, uh, it's solid. It's very safe. It's yeah. Very safe. Solid game. Um, but I also probably have a, a bigger negative. I probably think of it much more critically because it got so many 10 out of 10s and people were like, oh, it's flawless, it's flawless. Mm. And I'm like, oh, it's not did you ever... <laughs> at all? I'll, I'll tell you my major criticism <laughs> with the game. And I'll follow up with uh, that as well after him. The, 
this weapon was handed down from my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> and so you take it, you, you slash it, it breaks. And it's like, but it was a legendary heirloom. I one time had an inventory full of weapons and I broke every single one over the head of a monster and I had to just give up and walk away. Because the, Somebody the brought that up <laughs> in, in my chat once. They were like, why is it that they, they thought that this was a good idea to just come up with yeah. this like craft system here and then just kind of like throw it in there? It's just, it feels so antithetical to what Zelda means to me, which is about acquiring power yeah. and that yeah. slow progression of your character getting more and more tools, which helps you beat the next dungeon and then you get to the next. And it's like one thing I wanted to point out about what you mentioned about the side quest thing. I agree. And funny enough, my favorite Zelda game is Majora's Mask for that reason, eh. because the side quests are completely related to the main plot. Like yeah. if you yeah. end up getting all of the masks, it actually affects the way you play the game. You're, the game's much easier. So it's kind of oh, like yeah. one of those it's few complete... games where you do want to do all of the quests as much as you yeah. can. And yeah, it will completely changes how you approach that final boss. And then just like the way that you get the full story by doing all the side quests and seeing how the, those three days progress from everybody's perspective. That yeah, and seeing so how cool. dark it is too. You wouldn't see oh, that yeah. if you didn't do the, the side quests, right? Oh yeah, you like you don't see yeah, You don't realize how messed up that world truly is. And that's yeah. the same reason I love Majora's Mask. It's my favorite Zelda game as well. Yeah, so. I, I, I agree that uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild uh, has some fantastic elements of it. I love the um, the way you have to write your own maps and stuff like that. You have to like mark locations and put symbols and stuff like that. I thought that was a cool mechanic. I love the physics. I like the idea that you have to like bundle up to go to the colder areas and, and various yeah. other things like that. A lot of experimentation and emergent gameplay, but yeah, the, the, it definitely lost a lot of the Zelda kind of soul when they went so side questy, so nonlinear, so open world that it kind of lost any sense of structure. Yeah. Um, that's my opinion, but, uh, I, you know, I still think it's a really good game. It's just, it, it's not flawless. And because so many people claimed it was the perfect game, I, I probably, I'm more critical of it than I probably should be, but I'd say it's like B, B.5. <laughs> It's a game you avoid talking about with like people who aren't yeah. willing to have a more nuanced discussion. Yeah. Because if yeah. they're just that's like, right. want to have a base discussion. Exactly. It's hard to make your point because you're just going to seem like you're a hater or a mad guy. But it's yeah. like if you can yeah. actually break it down, people will see like we have a more nuanced point of view. And that's why we're not rating it as high as maybe everybody yeah. else did. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Because we're not Zelda fanboys. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely some. Uh, I mean, I thought the combat was probably uh, was very good for a Zelda game that kind of took a little bit of Dark Souls inspiration. Um, puzzle the puzzle designs were actually very clever. Some of the stuff yeah. I, I hadn't seen in any other game, which was really good. But then again, it, it almost seems I see what they went for, like uh, where like you have to figure out each puzzle at each time. But it almost under is undermined by the fact that you know you have the solution in your hands at all times. Like you know that every single one of these side dungeons you can solve because you know you have everything. Like it, mm -hmm. there's almost a a a, uh, a merit to having that kind of. Uh, old Zelda slash uh, Metroidvania blocks every once in a while where you, yeah. where you like need to... Like when you go to Gerudo Valley yeah. and there's that boulder in the way. Yeah. You have to do something about it. You can't just like yeah. automatically deal with it because you have all the tools yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to the next Zelda because uh, yeah, if they, if they tweak some numbers, if they improve and, and you know, take the best elements of this and, and maybe take the you know, best elements of like, you know, I don't know, Link to the Past or... or uh, uh, Majora's Mask, they could make a 
crazy killer game. I think the, the structure is there. They just need to kind of polish it, I guess. But, mm. All right. Well, this is our, I think this is our action RPG list. We've got obviously the two Diablos, Path of Exile, a couple Souls likes, and Nier. And we've got a, a thick B tier, but it, it is just kind of like, it does, it, it has become kind of a genre of like solid but not exceptional games. So I think it kind of makes sense to have a kind of heavy B tier yeah. and then. Th things yeah. that you expect, things that you expect and that deliver on, but don't really do much to elevate. Yeah. If, if I were to personally, I, you know, there are a couple of things I'd probably, I'd probably bump up transistor up one and probably like Titan quest down one a little bit and maybe tweak a couple others, but yeah, that's pretty much where I'd rate all these and yeah. all right, cool. Um, so if hey, can... Indigo. Sure. Someone sure. in the chat said uh, they they asked um, you know they really wished that some indie company there would uh, would pick up on uh, you know Daggerfall, do a spiritual successor. Um, it, you have anything to say about that, uh, really quick? Uh, uh, that sounds like a foreign concept. I've never heard that before. I've no, I have no <laughs> never heard. Uh, <laughs> seriously though, OnceLostGames.com. Uh, look, look up the, um, uh, look up the, uh, <laughs> the, the founders there. Uh, you right might at see, the bottom of the page. <laughs> yeah. You, you might see a familiar face there. <laughs> maybe, maybe two or three. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited. Uh, still neck deep and everything, but we're shooting to have an announcement by the end of the year. That's, that's our target right now. So yeah. Exciting. Exciting times. Uh, all right. All right. So, let me clear so this did off. everyone get a chance to screenshot the uh, the immortalized, <laughs> purely scientific ranking of our ARPGs? I guess they can always, oh, go, back to the, they can always <laughs> go back to the on-demand and look at it, but yeah, it's highly scientific. I all right. feel comfortable about <laughs> it because every game on this S-tier list is a game that I could, you know, without a doubt, uh, right. suggest to somebody else. Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, not, not, All not, right. Now, uh, as far as divisive games go, let's let's start off uh, nice and strong with Alpha Protocol. Some big hitters, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Oh, hopefully, I, do I have that in here? Oh, don't tell me I didn't. No, it's in here. Good. All right. Okay, good. So, um, Alpha Protocol is a game that I think was very ambitious, but then just fell very short on what it wanted to do. It did some things very well, but other things it just completely drop the ball on there are skills in that game that are completely useless combat is janky as hell <laughs> but god damn does it tell a Grenade. great great espionage story with some nice choice and consequence in it yeah it's, it's like played it. it's like uh oh. oh yeah it's it's interesting janky janky uh i think it somebody went on record i think it was um uh, what the guy who did, writes for every single video game ever made, um, Felipe Pepe, I think Chris Avalon or somebody oh. said that. Oh, Avalon, game, yeah, yeah, Avalon. The game he was, was lead, he was lead on it. Yeah, yeah, the, mm -hmm. yeah. He is pretty proud of that game, but I think he said or somebody else said that it was literally six months early. So um, I think that I was going to mention that about Atari. They're notorious for that. So I was going to say yeah. uh, that game. In a lot of cases, I blame the publisher on. Yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think but, I echo what you guys are saying. Yeah, it, it's but basically, otherwise, it's like if you marry Deus Ex with uh, Mass Effect, it's got like the kind of Mass Effect dialogue and choices and stuff like that. Um, like Ma it's Mass Effect, Mass, Mass Effect style. One style, where you actually had like you know skills that affected dialogue and stuff like that. But 
the crazy cool thing was that um, there were like a few big missions and some choices during those missions, but you could play the missions in different sequences mm -hmm. and dialogue would be greatly affected by which missions you played in what sequence. So there's actually kind yeah. of a bit of nonlinear storytelling in there. Um, right. And then the way you played those missions would also affect the outcomes of the other missions. Like certain things would only be accessible if you did like met a certain character or did a certain sequence of events prior to that. So. Yeah, and and it also had like kind of a Deus Ex uh, level design where like you could you could make a stealth character that sneak around everybody. You can make like a melee character if you were feeling particularly if you hated yourself. <laughs> yeah, if you hated yourself. <laughs> Sorry, masochistic. That's what. <laughs> uh, you can make like a, a sniper. You can make like a, a run and gun, a machine gun guy. You could do all those different play styles, and and the levels would theoretically support any of those play styles. So it was a very, very ambitious game. Um, sometimes you'd be like walking in front of somebody and they they wouldn't even see you. Like a lot of bugs, a lot of janky yeah. animations and stuff like that. But an extremely ambitious game. It was one of Obsidian's, uh, one of the first times I heard of Obsidian after, I guess, after KOTOR. Yeah. yeah. Like this mm -hmm. is a game where if you leveled up stealth, you could literally turn invisible, walk in front of somebody and they wouldn't see you. Yeah. To mm -hmm. the point where it's like almost breaking, but hilariously so. <laughs> Almost um, like Oblivion and Chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this it's hard to rate this game higher than a B tier, even with like, yeah. personal bias. Um, I actually don't like the game, and I love Obsidian, like most oh, Obsidian oh, games oh. back then. I don't like the game primarily because it just it's hard not to shake the fact that it just feels so like unfinished. You know, it's kind yeah. of like people talk about KOTOR 2 being unfinished, but the core game was still there. Like it's just yeah, it's yeah. unfinished in story mechanics. This one just felt like it's like yeah. missing. Honestly, mechanics. I, I would even put it C tier because as much as I love this game and as much as I'm an apologist for this game, I still recognize that the gameplay is not very good at all. Yeah. And then the main reason you'd want to play this game is for its narrative and for its character interactions. Like one thing I love about it is that every single dialogue response, the way the devs built it was on the JB system. Hmm. One answer would be James Bond, one answer would be Jack Bauer, and one answer would be um, Jason Bourne, <laughs> which, you know, I always found amusing. But yeah. aside from that, like, the game, it it's hard to recommend outside of a certain crowd. Like, th you really have to have a tolerance for jank, you really have to be into RPGs, so... Yeah, I think B-tier perfectly I, describes it, uh, good games with big problems. I think that's, like, the perfect uh, thing, because it... Of jank sorry <laughs> uh, i i just wondered do you have elix on this list oh no i don't oh. that, 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 that game that game is is made 100 i don't have that or gothic i'm all oh all, we don't all, have gothic, gothic? gothic? Uh, on the oh, okay on the prominent pronobites uh fans are gonna hate me i completely forgot about both of those yeah i'm sorry but like you're gonna have to get like a uh some kind of icon or something to, to represent it. <laughs> I, I can I can put. Uh, there's a couple of games in here that I didn't use. That I I have Lord of the Rings online. I'm not going to use that. I can put that. In for okay. <laughs> Lord, of the, Lord of the Rings online is now Elix. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Arcanum. I don't. Uh, I know Nerdslayers yeah. played this. I think. Um, That's and, a great game. Oh yeah. yeah. Game. Speaking yeah. of Steam work type games, you know, someone was talking yeah. about like Steam and then like science and magic being all fused together yeah i yeah. truly believe that no game makes that more uh i guess i would say controversial but does it in a fun and and unique way than arcanum mm -hmm. does yeah um, right 
it it explores yeah. it explores the actual ramifications of a fantasy world going through an industrial revolution in that yeah. no other game even comes close i think yeah and it's built on those same kind of design principles that you get with like the old fallout games you know you got to yeah. approach quests from multiple different ways npcs react to you differently based on what race you are uh, you can't do everything on a single playthrough which i'm a big advocate of personally yeah. like stuff like that is just the intro is completely different depending on how you play it as well yeah if you're a science character, yeah. if you're a magic character, you can't even get on the train. You know, like everyone likes to talk if, about that. If you're mentally disabled, yeah. he'll talk down to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna get into Fallout, and I'm gonna talk about the mentally disabled character. Oh, that's the best part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now you need to get the water chip. Water chip. Water chip. Do you yeah. understand? Uh, no, no. The, okay, the super mutant master. And he goes, there. He, the, the overseer is talking to you, and he goes, there is a bad place where the bad mutants come from. They are bad. Vault is good. Please go destroy bad place. Yeah, they went really far with those. And now, now you can't can't really talk about Arcanium without talking about Fallout, but. Uh... Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Arcanium does a lot of the... It's basically steampunk Fallout and, you know, yeah. with the same level of world building and stuff. Uh, I'd say that... I argue that the combat's worse than Fallout, and that's probably its biggest downfall. But yeah. the setting is just so amazing and uh, and the way... Different ways you can play it. Like, it actually... Uh, like, they did some mechanics, like necromancers can revive people from the dead and interrogate ghosts and stuff like that. Some really, really cool mechanics that were actually later picked up by other games. Speaking of world building... Speaking of Wolven, can I give a shout out to the like the two hundred page manual that came with, <laughs> where it was like written like in the the journal of somebody who was just like traversing the world, and everything's written like almost first person. It's fantastic. It's only seventy page. Is it <laughs> only? Oh, okay. only only seventy. Pages, oh, okay. Yeah. okay, never mind. Then I'm misremembering <laughs> it. But uh, yeah. okay, well that. But yeah, it was a fantastic manual all the same. Yeah. No, no, uh, Trika and uh, slash uh, Black Isle were great at that. They actually. Uh, again, Fallout. They they designed the entire Fallout packaging to be in universe. Like it never breaks character. Yeah. Like even mm -hmm. the even the marketing materials oh. are talking about how you're vault dweller and this is your Hit guide work. to survive the apocalypse and stuff like that. It's really great. Yeah. I yeah. would argue that um, you see, I didn't like Fallout One and Two's combat. That yeah. like I liked the RPG that was Fallout One and Two, and I was willing to suffer through gameplay I did not enjoy to get more of that RPG. Yeah. Um, so I like Arcanum's combat better. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's okay. it's it's faster than uh, than Fallout. Do you do real time or do you do turn based? I, I did real time. Okay, yeah, real time. You can kind of play it like Baldur's Gate, which yeah. um, I've always been more of a turn based uh, rather than real time with pause kind of guy. So I've games been more like Baldur's Gate. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so like uh, games like Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate and uh, Planescape, I'm like. Mm. But games like uh, Fallout, I'm more into. Um, but yeah, it's just different different strokes, I guess. Yeah, I think this is a good game for an A tier. Um, I agree. Yeah, A for arcade. Because like, yeah. nobody in the mainstream is going to remember the game. But like, if you have a penchant for like RPGs, you've probably at least heard of it, or you've seen yeah. a mechanic that they you know showed in their game, or some kind of story yeah. mechanic. Yeah. Yes. The the fact that it's so. Um, uh, so little remembered uh, keeps it from the S tier, but otherwise yeah. it's an excellent game. 
Yeah, yeah. and it, it again fits the description. Great games that are flawed slash dated, yep. and and it's both mm -hmm. of those. But it is it has such great elements in it. Like, uh, I, I saw this uh somebody break down like there's over six different responses the same character can give you depending on what race, how beautiful yep. you are, uh, you know, all these other factors like what what gender and everything like that. So like it's such a dynamic and well thought out world. Like every character is built-in responses for so many different factors and right. even what you're wearing like your clothing will actually f affect your uh, impression mm -hmm. your initial impression that you make on characters i forgot it was like the uh reaction modifier i think it's called mm -hmm. um like all these different factors your your physical beauty your your uh charisma like your you know personability like all those are taken mm -hmm. into effect like a lot of hidden systems running under the under the hood it's really impressive yeah it's Troy also Troy. a game that's not afraid to just say screw you uh playable <laughs> character which someone pointed yeah. out in chat which is totally true like yeah. you better get used to getting your ass kicked in this game because they're gonna mm -hmm. find some way oh, to yeah. get you absolutely may i recommend that we skip ahead to fallout since we've already been talking about uh, a bunch about a fallout sure. i'm fine with that yeah yeah, yeah i think that's like, i think i think it would be a good bridge to move into fallout now uh, we can talk about, let's talk about the entire franchise i'll bring all the sh all the fallouts up and we'll just debate them all that's all right so okay. yeah Okay. So uh Fallout seventy six is the <laughs> God's gift to role playing bestowed upon us. We need from to create the a, we need to create a seventy six tier above the S tier for Fallout seventy six. <laughs> I actually replayed Fallout seventy six's main campaign recently. Um because everyone kept shouting from the the heavens that oh well Fallout seventy six is good now. And I realized something immediately. <laughs> These are people who continued to play the game. They did not make new characters and start mm. over. <laughs> and so I made a new character and started over from scratch. And it has not improved. It is still as buggy, glitchy, it crashes. Um, so, and it has so, terrible quests. And you're so the Eric, one of those positive people. Is that Instead of in West Virginia, Fallout Four or Fallout Seventy Six should have taken place in Detroit. <laughs> uh, modern modern day Detroit is uh, the pretty. Modern day house. Yeah, yeah. Detroit tier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Detroit tier. Uh, I don't even know why I have Zelda CDI tier. I thought it was funny at the time, but um. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say I love Zelda CDI, man. So you're not gonna. <laughs> no, 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 they no, made no. three of them too. They made a lot yeah, of games. Legend, so. Yeah. The <laughs> one. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, oddly enough, the battle royale for Fallout 76 is actually very well done. I I okay. played about uh, 30 matches and won about 12 of them, and I really enjoyed it. So I would argue that the battle royale elevates Fallout 76 <laughs> from the Detroit tier <laughs> to the CDI tier. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to watch the CDI after this in, in oh. celebration for Fallout 76. Okay, so it, depends, it depends on which one. There's, I think there's three different Zelda CDI games. There's like the meddling, the med, there's like the meddling uh, uh, platformer, which uh, with terrible platform mechanics. There's the one where you play the Zelda one. herself. And then there, there's the one with the terrible animator animations i think right yeah there was faces of evil wand yeah. of gambalon and i can't remember what the third one is yeah yeah Ganon's in it and then they have that yeah. one like undead magical guy it's one of the yeah. ones. And... yeah yeah my favorite part was where zelda 
runs her sword across this wizard and he's shouting, You killed me! And he melts. <laughs> and, and and after, and she it just shows a close up on her face and she goes, Good! <laughs> my favorite you part did it, Link! The oh. genie. You guys remember the genie with the, the carpet? Oh my, oh my god. god. Squadala! We're yeah, off! Squadala! We're That's off! <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, all right, so now, um, obviously, there's going to be, like, people in chat are already saying Fallout, New Vegas, S-tier. Uh, mm. What do you think about that? I, it's definitely no. flawed. It, it got kind of the, the similar early release treatment. It got, like, it was, like, 16 months development, which is incredibly Ooh. short for a game like that. But yeah, I think it, it's, it's a very, very good game that, unfortunately had a small-ish scope and rush development, which caused some bugs, but... Too many issues, I think, to be considered an S-tier. Yeah. Because yeah. I know we talked about were... issues with standing, right, with S-tier, but I don't know. This one seems like one of those that just has... I couldn't even play. Like, my third playthrough, I, I legitimately had to start over, because I've had yeah. so many bugs in my yeah. game. It's just like, yeah. how many games does that, does that happen in, where you just can't even play? You have to restart. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of if this were the Fallout list... I would argue that this is the pinnacle of what Fallout can achieve. Okay. However, this is not the Fallout list. <laughs> this is the uh, this is the general RPGs list, and yeah. it is flawed. Okay. Yes, uh, very flawed. Very, yes. very flawed, but also great at times. You know, the it is great factions, the yes. ending, like no. you can actually like talk your way to a good ending if you got the right build okay. of character and stuff i'm happy like you brought right that choices. up because i kind of want to expand on what zarek said so mm -hmm. fallout new vegas is the ultimate achievement of what a bethesda style fallout game can be it is mm -hmm. what i would hope that any first person fallout game can achieve in terms of role playing in terms of gameplay in terms of world you uh realization however I don't think that it does any one thing better than Fallout 1 and 2 do as completely contained role-playing games. I'm a huge advocate of New Vegas. I love the hell out of it. But it's simply because of the change in style of game that it's not able to capture the same magic and have that same kind of sleek gameplay that the first two had. Well, I exaggerated when I said it's the pinnacle of what <laughs> Fallout could achieve, I, well, I'm, it, is the, it is the pinnacle of what Fallout has been able to achieve because, unfortunately, uh, the technology was limiting at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and that's basically what I'm getting at, too, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The, the big problem. I think yeah. that The Outer Worlds is something I'm looking forward to. Same. Yeah. Definitely. The linearity yeah. of yeah. that of Fallout New Vegas, I think, also has to be mentioned. Like in terms of uh, how the mm -hmm. beginning sequences work, mm -hmm. I feel like if there was more choice to change that, you would have so much variety because you can play, like you said, the main plot line. I think at least four different ways. So yeah. imagine if you could just change the whole start of it. Do yeah. you do you always have to be the messenger who gets shot? Like that's what I'm saying. Like if you could change to that be, aspect. To be that... fair, Fallout One and Two had that as well. Fallout One, you're always starting in the vault, uh, in the vault, getting the water chip. Fallout mm -hmm. Two, you're always the cho chosen one in Oroko. So that's nothing new to the series. Okay, fair um, yeah, I, it, I get what you're saying, it, and like I agree with you to an extent, but that's just a continuation of the same kind of setup that we've got thus far. I I, th I think it's interesting to say though that um. 
in specifically Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 4 share like all the games you you start with at the same uh area per se in the same uh mm -hmm. role but you don't necessarily have a specific uh job or a specific um they, they'll give you like the the wanderer the vault dweller etc but yeah. the courier almost the courier suggests a lot more than a you just happen to be one of many people in a vault like a courier almost seems like you had a pre a predestined yeah. Course that's, of action, that's exactly yeah. my point and, and i think yeah. um the vault thing that you mentioned i'm okay with starting from the vault because i get that that's the whole mm -hmm. hook of the game sure. but i guess like if i'm also the messenger and then i also have to go through that it's kind of like why don't you just get rid of that part and then just make it a little bit more open-ended i think earlier on yeah yeah because yeah, like, again four did that or tried to do that and then also have the story and, and <laughs> yeah I think so, the writers had something to do with that one, though. Let, let's be honest here. Uh, Fallout 4 had Emil writing it, and um, Emil uses a writing principle called Keep It Simple Stupid, which is... What's the uh, theme of Fallout 4? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Androids. Android. Androids. That's, that, that's literally what he said in yeah, that, presentation. That's what is a, the theme? That's become yeah. a, a meme uh, between Sh uh, Shalashka and I where we were writing and we're like, this writing needs more, more, some more themes. How about we add some dragons and, and robots? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is, what is the theme of Skyrim? Dragons. Dragons. <laughs> What's the theme of cyberpunk? Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to go past uh, dragons, right? It's like the trap. I feel like maybe AI is the new trap. It's like now it's androids. Oh no! Shit! Wait till we get android dragons. Oh, okay. Why don't we have, have Snatcher so on here? <laughs> oh, if they, if they make another, uh, oh, they already did. I was about to say if they make another fault, they're gonna add dragons, but they already did. Crap! <laughs> it's seventy six. <laughs> God, uh, I completely forgot about that already. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh. So uh, we're going to be divided on the the CRPG fallouts. I think that yeah. they're my favorites, but I yeah. can concede that if you don't like the CRPG combat, you're not going to like them mm -hmm. as much. Yeah, I, I I liked Fallout One and Two for different reasons. I think Fallout One had a more consistent and uh, consistent and uh, realized storyline, but it was yeah. much smaller. Fallout Two was much bigger, but was less consistent. Fault one had an had an amazing villain and an amazing kind of end game, you know, where like the super mutants were taking over and actually destroying villages and stuff. But Fallout two just had yeah. so much more to do. And yeah. I, I as a game to, as for, for gameplay, I like Fallout two better. For storyline, I like Fallout one better. So it's a kind of a toss up for me as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, I would say they're both like. If I if I had to pick one to play, I'd say Fallout Two, just because there's more to do. Yeah. But for Honestly. like a consistent storyline and ending and and plot and everything, like I think Fallout has like the perfect plot for the for the Fallout series. Like, your vault dweller, you're like one of the first vaults to open up, and there's this menace that you start hearing about, and you just have a simple MacGuffin get a water chip to save your vault. I think that's like a a perfect yeah. setup, pretty much. You're not a special, works. you know. No. Yeah. You're just your your yeah. uh, gopher. You're literally just yeah. You drew the short straw. But all, but all that works so well. Like personally, I would venture to put Fallout and Fallout Two as S tier myself. I would agree, um, but, but I was also yeah. speaking to my biases because I do <laughs> love that old school gameplay. But even if you look at that kind of gameplay, as it were, 
it really does hold up when you compare other compared to other isometric RPGs. Like the biggest flaw it has is its inventory system, which is a bit of a mess. But I don't know. Yeah, I just think it it it's it's a game that can't really be made anymore. Like the, just the the sheer openness of it. Like you couldn't make a game where you you like pimp your wife, murder children, and do all this other like you know get yeah. high on drugs and start punching people to death with power gloves like that kind of stuff i don't think you'd even get away with anymore without getting like a an adults only rating or something like that but yeah. it's almost like a capsule of of crazy 1990s unrestrained uh awesomeness in like a, an amazing world building package and i think it's just kind of almost like a it's almost like a a capsule of time in a way as well the original yeah. Fallout game but like, you know it, it is a testament to rpgs in the sense that i never did any of those things you were talking about i played a morally good character mm -hmm. yeah and you, you know it's not, not like the game was pushing you in the direction of being you know a, a terrible degenerate person <laughs> you just had the option to do yeah. that if you wanted to and that again that is a testament that really says that these are role-playing games yeah and that's why i think it they deserve s tier i don't like fallout 1 and 2 that much personally but again i, I mention this frequently i often have to put aside my personal bias in order to recognize quality and th the quality's there i agree well, with uh, that statement yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. the biggest original fallout uh, fan in fact i didn't even play fallout 1 i i went back and watched people play it so mm -hmm. I can't say that I had a hands-on experience, but I'll say that um, when I look at Fallout 2 as a game, I, I see one that maybe, while certainly being um, not overtly uh, inspirational for other games, I think it's hard to say that it's a game that's below S tier. Just like you said, just simply because I don't even know if you make games like that anymore. Yeah, like, Do they even um... make a game like Fallout 2 anymore? If there were oh. other Fallout 2s, maybe you could argue that it was just flawed, right? But yeah. I feel like there isn't a Fallout 2. So I mean, Fallout like, the, the closest we have is what, like, Wasteland 2? Or right. I haven't played yeah. it, but, like, Atom RPG, maybe? Sort of? I don't know. I haven't played it. So. Yeah, Atom RPG oh. approaches that, but um, there's just certain... Uh, it it kind of... Uh, almost every RPG since then kind of pulls its punches. You know, it exactly. doesn't ever goes quite as yeah. far. And because of that, it almost kind of... It's almost unbeatable because I think culture and society has gotten like too uh self-censoring to even try that yeah. anymore you can yeah. also see that story told at the peak of its hysteria if yeah. that makes sense right yeah. like how do you beat that like the <laughs> cultural differences from then and now it's just like you get to experience what culture was like back then yeah. but obviously in a particular lens because they made it fall out <laughs> for sure yeah oh, fall out one and two I, I think really make me curious what Fallout New Vegas could have been if they had, you know, un unlimited time and resources to make it. For sure. Oh, because, man. What, yeah. yeah. What Van that's... Buren could have been. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know if Van Buren was going to be great, but um, uh, even to this day, Chris Avalon says that, because that was his baby um, project uh, right at the end of Interplay, he says that the original Fallout 3. Um, is so different from what New Vegas ended up being that you could probably make that use the same design document and make a very different game. Like it even had like an mm -hmm. anti it had an anti protagonist party that would venture around the world simultaneously as your party and do other stuff. Like, that's some really that's really cool ideas. Yeah, but that sounds rad. Another podcast, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, Are we gonna talk about Fallout Three now? Fallout Three. Or? Do we have to? 
<laughs> okay, so Fallout 3, I'll get my hot take out of the way. I don't know if it's a hot take anymore, but it was a hot take back then when everybody was loving the game. I could yeah. never stand the game. I never thought it was a good game. I, I When I beat the game, that was one of the few times ever in my experience of beating an RPG that was so hyped that I legitimately, after I beat it, was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is how it ends? Because the plot for me was just like, oh, yeah, here's the main character. Here's the main uh, point of uh, contention. And then now you got to care about all of this. It, they yeah. just drop that all on you under that last like action scene. And you're just like, what? Like, I don't... And then after it, it was just like it clicked in my head. I didn't, I didn't think it was better than Oblivion. So, mm. I mean, Oblivion so with similar, guns, right? No, They're no, so no. similar. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. Like, I, I tell the story where I bought um, Far Cry Two and Fallout Three together, and I've been waiting for a Fallout sequel mm -hmm. for like ten years. And I was, I was more engaged with Far Cry Two just because it had like atmosphere. It was consistent, and it was an RPG. You know, it wasn't really an RPG, but Fallout 3, I just, there's so many things I liked about it and like, oh, I know this, a power armor, great. Oh, awesome. The, you know, Gek and whatever, but it just seemed kind of like they took a bunch of these elements and didn't really know what to do with them. So just kind of dropped them in a big pile and expected Liam Neeson's narration to carry it. And it didn't really like, uh, or, you know, Liam Neeson's character, uh, your dad, the dad character to kind of like make you emotionally invested in the story. And I just wasn't. And I kept on, I kept on getting frustrated by the things I used to be able to do in Fallout games, but I couldn't anymore. Or... Just the fact that Bethesda aren't really good at shooters, you know, and they, so, so that's an excuse to be monochromatic either. Like just because it's the fallout green. universe, a question I have to everybody green, green. is, yeah. is that an excuse to have such a monochromatic like color scheme? I don't really know if it or, is right. No. Yeah. Um, with fallout, fallout three is weird for me. So when I first played it, I thought it was really neat to see fallout from a first person perspective. I thought it was yeah, a really cool sure. shift and I will say, yeah, they're not very good with gunplay. However, how they incorporated VATS into a first-person game I thought was really, you know, unique. Because you're going from this turn-based system, you found a way to keep it to, you know, satisfy the series regulars. Let's turn it into, you know, the system that we got in Fallout 3. Um, as a game, I think if you're willing to accept a Bethesda game, uh, you know, jank aside and memes aside... Gameplay wise, it's still okay. It's still fine. It's still it's it is still fun to uh, to explore the DC railways and explore the world. But I think that's where it ends for me because, like, like what was said before, the plot was nonsensical and quite stupid at the end. Why couldn't I send the super mutant to go into the tank because he's immune because something about destiny? <laughs> um, <laughs> some bullshit about that. Um, and you know, gunplay was it was what it was. The mm -hmm. overarching story was not fantastic, but I don't know. It, it was fun to like stomp around in the wasteland, get like some guns, get a gun that yells at your enemies <laughs> and gives away your position yeah. when you're sneaking. The DLCs are also uh pretty good, and I think they should be mentioned if people don't know. Chris Avalon, I think, wrote the majority of the DLCs, so. They're pretty good in Fallout 3, like the DLC uh, storylines, but the main story, obviously, on its own merit, maybe not so great. I, I think B tier is pretty fair. Um, yeah. Just because of the you know colossal size of the game, it has to be given some level of credit, and it also like like uh, you it said. Uh... Oh, go, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying it has interesting areas. Right. Like, there are yeah. part, parts right. of it that. Yeah. Okay, so remember I mentioned Fallout's one and two. <laughs> I 
I didn't like them as games. I liked them as stories and RPGs. Yeah. And that so I put I put up with the game I didn't really care for. Uh this is the opposite. I liked them I liked Fallout 3 as a game. I loved Wandering the Wasteland and it, it actually felt like a wasteland. You know, that that's my thing with New Vegas is everything feels just a little too rebuilt. It it works with the story but I never really felt that um you know, hopeless, this is a wasteland and I am in it, you know, kind of mm. the, the meme of immersion. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's where I first really felt that for Fallout was in Fallout 3. And mm. so I, I think as an RPG, Fallout 3 gets a failing grade. Uh, however, the game itself, the sandbox, the... Um, uh, you know, uh, being the quote-unquote lone wanderer, that elevates it. And yeah. so I think um, I, I think B is fair because, you know, failing grade plus um, great equals, I guess... Average? Average, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree, and I did like how um, Fallout 3 felt really destroyed. That's one thing I didn't like as much with New mm -hmm. Vegas. Like, New Vegas, I, I kind of felt... It, it had some good world building elements like you the people had farms you know how what they ate you know you mm -hmm. kind of got more of a sense of them living but at the same time you kind of felt like this is kind of a western area and isn't very developed maybe they lived like this before the bombs you know you, you didn't really get the idea that anything had, outside of like maybe vegas itself you didn't really get the idea and that still had you know working casinos and stuff like that it didn't really get the yeah, idea man. that it was horribly 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 destroyed like i fallout 3 definitely got that you got the rebar yeah. and the crumbled buildings and, I, and stuff like that so and i think that's a theme that bethesda dropped the ball the ball on because fallout was never a post-apocalyptic game per se it was a game about rebuilding after the post-apocalypse it was about rebuilding civilization that's what it became Where, for sure yeah yeah um i would like say, even in fallout one that was the big vibe i got yeah uh, go look at the title screen of fallout one it, it is the post-apocalyptic rpg <laughs> No, no, I get yeah. that. I get yeah, that. I just mean thematic. It, 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 it evolved. I mean thematically, it's, proper thematically, yeah. not like like uh, that's one. That's one thing I <laughs> Fallout probably two didn't... is what started the rebuilding. Yeah, okay. it, it that's that's uh, very true. And then the Fallout four, I think, went too far. Like there, there was a, there's a point... need any help. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> no, quick. There's a settlement needs their help. Okay. <laughs> Fallout four dropped all these really cool hints of world building, like the Commonwealth provisional government and stuff like that. It's like, okay, so you destroyed the only interesting thing right before the player got there. Yeah. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> It's like they they dropped a nuke on the world building. Um, yeah, Fallout Four. There's just so many, like even Fallout. I say Fallout Three probably did this better than Four, where it felt like, oh man, this this is a really charred, messed up, destroyed. You know, the the the, the crumbles of of DC. You know, but Four, I'm like, that paint job is 200 years old and it still looks pretty damn good. You know, like that lawn chair isn't even toppled over. You know, <laughs> even if it wasn't within the blast, I think 200 years of oxidization would pretty much melt that thing down to nothing. You know, yes, like, things like that. I'm like, never. Oh, uh, never it, mind the lore inconsistencies yeah. with like how where Cram was created. Yeah, and, and then the, they're saying you're looking into this a little too much. Yeah, it, it, I think it really shows the difference between um, 
world building and, and attention to detail when you get like classic RPGs. Uh, like I, I would say Fallout 1, probably the best example where you, they kind of really think things out. People have farms, you know, this is how they live. They got tents, you know, what would they actually be living in? You know, shanties made of rusted uh, metal. And then Fallout 4, they're like, um, you know, there's like guns lying around in the sewers for no reason. There's like, you know, there's like, it was very more gamey. It wasn't very organically designed in a lot of ways. I, in my, that's what my experience was like it, it, they wanted to show little tidbits of people's lives, but that wouldn't exist after 200 years. Like the evidence yeah. of that would have been, would have been gone, you know, decades ago. And, and you're talking about the gamey elements, the randomly placed loot and things like that. Yeah. Bethesda actually prides themselves on that because that's <laughs> one less thing they have to do themselves. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> uh, remember radiant AI, their whole idea was going to be the entire game basically uh, plays itself. Yeah. You know, for uh, while you watch, they didn't. They only had to build the specific towns, and they randomly generated the terrain for Oblivion. So, oh yeah, yeah. a really good example. Somebody mentioned in chat, pipe weapons, which are clearly post-apocalyptic uh, uh, inventions in like two hundred year old sealed vaults, things like that. Like that, sh that sh is impossible. Like why? Why uh, would any? Why would anybody make the a lore? Uh, you know, they'd have the lore community has already uh, has already stated that uh, don't you see pipe weapons are pre-war just like uh, the X zero one my eyes are going this way the X zero one power armor is also pre-war. Oh my god! Yeah, it's like, it, it, they forgot to mention the the lore of how the the plumbers rebelled and made weapons out of the out of the extra pipes and, and fought yes, against exactly <laughs> things like Plumber that. Just like we riot. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like my. Go back to what you were saying, though, Indigo, about uh, the immersion aspect. Mm -hmm. I I agree that although I was uh, very harsh on Fallout Three, it did a much better job of that than Fallout Four yeah. for sure. Yeah, no. Uh, if we're gonna look at this as RPG, like purely as an RPG, Fallout Three, I can at least say had the veneer of an RPG. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fallout 4 stripped away <laughs> a lot of that RPG, so it was basically like a shooter with a Fallout skin with the lightest of RPG elements just yeah. to make it a Fallout game. They made a couple of cardinal sins to like, uh, uh, giving your character a name and, and a profession. Like, you always play Nick or Nora. I think those are the characters' names, I don't remember. Um, yes. uh, voice protagonist, you play Nick or Nora, a uh, pre-war vet, uh, or a pre-war lawyer, um, you always have a child. That's always your main uh, your main thing. And they did a really bad job of, of emotionally investing in that child, in my opinion. And uh, they Is it did the fact that you only had ten minutes to meet them, or <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's the fact that you're constantly looking for your child. Where's my child? Where <laughs> I find them? Now let me go do a hundred hours of side quests. It's kind of like yes. the institute. It's kind of like <laughs> every '80s or '90s movie ever. Like when you see a really happy family, it's like, oh, she's gonna die. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's the very obvious like emotional investment yep. time. You know. Uh, and Harrison then, Ford, the video game. It's when it's <laughs> when uh, developers or writers think they can do development by just saying what happens. It reminds yeah. me of like the more recent uh, Spider-Man movie. Um, I think it was the Amazing Spider-Man, but like the second one. Whenever um, Peter meets or talks about, uh, he talks about. Uh, why am I uh, forgetting his name? The guy who ends up becoming the Goblin, who's the son. Harry uh, uh, Osborne, Osborne. Henry, uh, Harry Osborne. Uh, is is it Harry? His son? Norman is the dad. Harry's the son. No, I kept thinking Norman for some reason. Nor Norman becomes Green Goblin. Willem, yeah. De okay. Willem in, Defoe. Yeah. 
<laughs> William Defoe, exactly. Yeah. So that scene, what cracks me up about that scene, if you guys go back and watch that movie scene, it's this scene, or it's this uh, scenario exactly, where uh, Peter is like, yeah, uh, Harry was my best pal. And they show one scene of them being <laughs> friends together. And then immediately after, they're like, all right, now we hate each other because like we actually disagree. And it's like, what? <laughs> one, one scene was scene, enough for us to no, be like no. your entire comic series of like Harry and Peter's relationship. <laughs> yeah. The one scene was him being an asshole to Peter. It was. That's the funniest part about it is he was <laughs> being mean to him in the scene. <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, to so, pick yeah, up the pace. So... Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, so I was going to say, so we agree Fallout 4 is C tier at the most. I, yeah, I, they did improve combat quite a bit. Um, they, mm. you know, they they kind of uh, greased some wheels, but they they took out stats and skills, made it all perks. They kind of dumbed down. The dialogue system was completely destroyed. They narrowed. They made basically mandatory characters like the um, uh, the whatever his name is the the guy you know settlements under attack whatever you know. <laughs> Preston, 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 Preston yeah. something. What was this? You can thing? ignore Preston, Preston you, Garvey. You can, Sorry. but they they built an, like an entire gameplay feature around around that one around that one uh, guy, where it would be much more interesting if it was you could be a raider, or you could be you know uh, you could be one of the um, Minutemen, or you could be like you know. Maybe side with some other faction. Uh, I don't know. It's just it, when it's a Kesar's. Uh, the, they do actually <laughs> yeah. do oh. that. And, and one of the DLCs. You right? have to understand something. Fallout Four actually did something that no other uh, Bethesda game of its time, like not like not Skyrim and not Oblivion, would let you do. You can go up to the Brotherhood of Steel, meet them for the first time. And you can blow Elder Maxim's head right off the moment you meet him. <laughs> and you will become permanent enemies with the Brotherhood of Steel at that point. Uh, but you, they do give you the option to do that. Now, the, the factions are really, um, really silly, but they do exist. And you can side with one or the other. When you do just, uh, decide which one you want... You're going to alienate the others unless you do it in a very specific order. They, the game has nuance. It's just it's buried under so many levels of crap. Yeah. And it, you, you won't notice it if you aren't looking for it. I've and, played 400 hours of Fallout 4 with heavy modding, and it took me ages to figure this stuff out. Yeah, and, and it's, it, the game kind of tricks you into thinking that those things don't exist, so you don't bother. Mm -hmm. and so i think mm -hmm. i don't know if that's like secretly brilliant or just deceiving it, it's deceivingly simple i guess i don't know how to describe that it's but. also like in new vegas you felt like the different uh different ways to play the main plot were also different ways to kind of like approach like maybe philosophical decisions whereas like in fallout 4 a lot of the a lot of the ways that you uh Im are, are impacted by the factions it's more so like you lose content and that's kind of it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like yeah. you're getting like an addition of content and it's like a new thing is being opened up. It that's almost right. feels like they close chapters whenever you get to a certain yeah. part of the game. Yep. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned in chat that uh, they call him Kaisar. Uh, it, it depends on which NPC you're talking to. Yeah. Right. The, the, uh, the quote-unquote Roman soldiers will call him Kaisar, which is his, yeah. you know, the proper way to pronounce it. And then the... Um, the the foreigners, the people who do are not part of the legion, will call them Caesar. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. I'm glad you yeah. 
told me that. Yeah, I know. It's a, one of the one of the most interesting bits of world building I, I think in the yeah. series is like the a sign of respect is calling him by Caesar rather than Caesar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, I, and it immediately tells you who's loyal to who, but just by talking to them, which is yes. a neat, neat touch. I'm really embarrassed. I think that I I don't think that uh, Baldur's Gate got onto this list. It's on my list, but it's not on. Yeah, I totally uploaded it, but it didn't end up on here. So go ahead and grab the Shadowrun icon. <laughs> which yes. the one that's missing okay so shadowrun's yeah. the placeholder i figure we could probably take yes. take on the crpgs together uh yeah. just in in, a, in respect of time okay uh the, the 90s 90s era crpgs uh, thanks for the cool. super chat duder so yeah um i figure let's see i think that's about all of them I've got Temple of Elemental Evil, Neverwinter Nights, Icewind Dale, again, Neverwinter Nights 1 and 2, Icewind Dale 1 mm. and 2, Torment, and Shadowrun's a placeholder for a Battle, or uh, Baldur's Gate 1 State. and 2, and expansions. Uh, I think those are most of the true CRPGs. Forewarning, I'll probably cry about Neverwinter Nights 1 and 2 being linked together, but... I, I know. Oh no, no, no! I, I completely know where you're coming from and why. <laughs> I, 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 I specifically but, split up uh, Code Four One and Two just for you because I know you'd have very different opinions on them. But. Well, oh yeah. The issue with uh, Neverwinter Nights, in my opinion, is that uh, people judge the game based on the main campaign, which is like a, a tech demo and not the yeah. expansion pack. Right. Yeah. 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 The best parts of Neverwinter Nights, for both Neverwinter Nights 1 and 2, are the expansions or the premium right. modules. That's what really makes the game shine. Yeah, and towards that, the underdog is a really good expansion. Yeah. And let's not forget the, um, uh, what do you call it, the persistent world servers, which were MMOs yes. in their own right. Oh, yeah, actually, it even was... today, even today, there are persistent role-playing servers. I looked them up, like for yes. Ravenloft in particular, there are persistent role-play servers for Ravenloft running on Neverwinter Nights 1. It's crazy. Yeah. Purely for role-play, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had great well, systems. Technically speaking, Neverwinter Nights was the first MMO, if you kind of want to have that argument, because they Not were Ultima the first Online? ones... No, they were one of the first ones to have a playable You're... service. Okay, on so ah, okay. hold on a second. We're, we're talking about a different Neverwinter Nights. We're talking about the yeah. AOL one. Right, but I was saying... Oh, like, Neverwinter yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, That's like, like that old, old so it school, has some yeah. history, and, and it was yeah. quite surprising for some if they didn't know that history whenever they had such a strong a grasp hey, of how to do multiplayer. The one built on Gold Box, yeah. Uh, if you want to see a death of the game, uh, look up Shadow of Serbius. The AOL bought out <laughs> uh, Sierra merely to kill Shadow of Serbius because Oof. it was competing with Neverwinter Night. Oof. Damn. Yeah. Uh, recently, hey. they got an emulated server up. For uh, for Shadow of Serbius, but since Verizon owns the intellectual property now, they don't mm -hmm. care about it. Verizon doesn't do games, so yeah. Yeah, yeah as far right. as uh, Neverwinter uh, Nights goes, I respected the games more than I liked them. But the yeah. the multiplayer and uh, community made servers and stuff are like absolutely legendary. It was one of the most uh, yeah. flexible video game RPGs ever made in terms of yeah. that. And so... like some of the some of the custom made modules as well really kept that oh, game yeah. alive. Like yeah. uh, as its base. I don't know. I'd say it's me. Here's the thing: like I find the older isometric RPGs, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, more more memorable because yeah. of its art style. 
I liked that Neverwinter Nights tried to push that 3D envelope, but like all early 3D games, it just you have mixed results. And unfortunately, it seems tacked this... on, especially in the first one, right? Oh yeah, it, it, it does not look good. Like in the first one, it does not look yeah. very good at all. It's very um, jank. It very jank. But in uh, it, it approaches it. It they were still around that time. I forgot who had the license at the time. I think it was Infogrames or whatever. But it was around that time where like they were trying to take the Dungeons and Dragons license and like make it into something popular with the mainstream where mm -hmm. uh, like I, I kind of oppose right around the same time Neverwinter Nights came out and then uh, Temple of Elemental Evil came out and Neverwinter Nights tried to make that into more of like a, you know, real time kind of, you know, interpretation of the rules. Whereas Temple of, El ML Temple of Elemental Evil was 100% D&D 3.5. Like it was exactly yeah, it's a that. module. Yeah. It's liter the thing. literally Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. Neverwinter Nights is actually simulated real-time combat. It's not true real-time combat. Like, there are okay. still turns. Yeah. It's Every couple seconds that... is a turn, I'm guessing, yeah. All the exactly. rolling is happening essentially behind the scenes, right? But you're yes. still trying to create the same veneer that you're playing such a game. Yeah, they, you can see actually a um, the dice rolls down at the bottom when you go to attack and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure that's all the case. I I wasn't. I'm sure that they did all that. The only difference is that when you're in turns, you can actually do mechanics that you wouldn't be able to do in real time, like five foot step, uh, without a chance of attack of opportunity, or you know, you you can do a targeted attack, or you know, all those other things like the the the, the minutiae that you can uh, do in Temple of Element Evil, even though the game was very buggy on launch, and you know, not a particular. It's a very classic setting but not a particularly compelling one to, in terms of story. Uh, I just really admired how uh, if you want like the, you know, 100% true to form D and D temple really, really nailed that to a T even though. And that's, and, and that's both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. yeah if you because, <laughs> yeah. Like as much as I love the translation of tabletop rules to a video game, the problem is the video game it does not have the same nuance that a DM has. When I DM yeah. games, sometimes I pull punches because I don't want a total party wipe, you know, as their level one. Sometimes I will change encounters on the fly to make the game more fun for everybody at the table. A computer can't do that. A computer no. can only no. done when it's coded. So when you're playing by those merciless 3.5 rules or 3.0 rules, I can't remember if it was 3.5, mm -hmm. then you are a slave to dice rolls for better yeah. or for worse, right? So I hope you're a fan of saves coming if you want to play Temple of Elemental Evil. For there's sure. also, like in Neverwinter Nights as well, there's a lot of um, penalties for not creating your character in the in the right way, I guess, if you yeah. want to put it that way. Yeah. So, like yeah. these old school uh, RPGs also, they're not very forgiving when it comes to making your character. One thing I wanted to bring up about Neverwinter Nights, uh, one uh, in particular that I liked so much about it, the reason why I think it's a little bit different than the second game, is that the, fir the first game, there's a lot of parts in the game where you could legitimately fail. Like, you can actually, like, fail the plot. And there's yeah. a really good scene where you meet the wizard. And it, I can't remember his name, but he's Halaster. in one of the expansions. What's, what would you say? The Mad Wizard Halaster of Undermass. Yes, it was the Mad Wizard. But th you remember how you could talk to him in a number of different ways? And one of the funniest ways you could talk to him is you walk up to him and you, let him, uh, you legitimately say, I don't think you're that powerful. That was one of the dialogue options. You're like, mm -hmm. I don't think you're that powerful. <laughs> but immediately the dialogue stops and he just casts a fireball and just like murders all <laughs> everybody in the party in one hit. <laughs> and then you have to reload the game. And then you're like, okay. And so the next time, of course, 
me playing it, I was like, well, let me pick the other, you know, angry option. And he kills you in like a different way. But like the point being <laughs> is he was like, okay, you don't believe me? I'll just kill you. <laughs> yeah. Wait, let me see if he does that every time I click that. Right. Yeah. No, I think but I just like them playing with that idea yeah. of like failing and characters in the plot being way more powerful than you. So it's yeah. like you're not thinking to yourself. It's, it kind of reminds me of like the way they handle gods and like divinity. Yeah. You're thinking yeah. to yourself, like, I'm not going to go against this person because they're they they are way more powerful than me, and I don't have this god complex that maybe you do when you play uh, other RPGs. Yeah. yeah. So hordes of the Underdark and shadows of Undrin Tide. I think we can uh, we can bundle those in to Neverwinter yeah. Nights when we talk about it. So I think we're talking about it right now. Let's let's figure out where we're going to put Neverwinter Nights. Um, I mean, just from its really really ambitious multiplayer. Uh, features and yeah bundling all together with the expansions that improved it you'd probably say a tier just for the how it moved the the genre forward and hasn't really been matched since really in many games i think that divinity kind of does something similar with its like storyteller system but i or uh, whatever they call it the kind of dm system but not quite to that extent yeah. you can't just open up modules though no. and completely customize everything like you could in neverwinter nights which is just, yeah. it was just yeah. like I mean, yeah. I spent hours making my own modules. And it's like, think about the amount of replayability. To, to, to let people in chat know, they created in Neverwinter Nights 2, Baldur's Gate. Uh, they, they made the plot <laughs> oh, line. And you can play and it Icewind as Dale. Yes. And, and, and Icewind Dale. Dale. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yep, yep, yep. So if you don't feel yeah. like playing the old school games, no problem. Just go play Neverwinter Nights 2 and play the storyline. <laughs> Although why sure. you'd ever turn your back on Thacko, I ne don't have any idea, but you, know, you do you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I would say, as much as I really, really like how true uh, Temple's uh, combat is, it has some big problems, just in terms yeah. of the story, and it was very, very buggy on launch. Mm, and, yeah. uh, so I think that B tier is accurate for that. Icewind Dale kind of gets like kind of swept under under the rug because it doesn't really do anything particularly different from Baldur's Gate. Well, mm -hmm. here's the big but... difference between Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate. Icewind Dale is a dungeon crawler first and foremost. It is entirely built around the combat. It improves the combat from Baldur's Gate, but that's what it has going for. It has fewer role-playing options, its story isn't quite as epic, and it feels a lot more compressed than Baldur's Gate 2 does. Yeah. Now, if yeah. you really like Infinity Engine combat, then, yeah, it's great for what it is, and it's a fun time. But it's also a step down from everything that makes Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment as special as they are. Yeah, I think Baldur's Gate stood out because it was the most uh, impressive representation of a and d uh, game pretty much up to that point when they, we'd had the dungeon crawlers from like, you know, Eye of Beholder and and various other like, I mean, I remember playing the Dark Sun games back in the day, I don't know if anyone else played Oh that, yeah, but, um, yeah no, I remember but, those, and but, even before that, the gold box games like Pool of Radiance. And yeah, Pool of Radiance and stuff, but like, Baldur's Gate took the entire D&D experience and put it into a a functional and polished game better than any other game had done before. So kind of like, I'd say it's probably, I'd say an A tier. I don't, I don't know if it's, would you consider an S tier? I'm not sure. It, it, I'd say definitely influential, definitely polished. What are you guys thoughts for? Uh, I think narrative wise, it's hard to say that it's better than Planescape Torment. Yeah. And I yeah. also agree with Shalaska's yeah. point that I thought Icewind Dale was like a better combat version but it's like a worse game narrative wise. L less ambitious. The main point of those games. Less ambitious and also came out like I think the last Icewind Dale like 2001 or 2002 like was already kind of like years ahead and it hadn't really developed. I think that's probably why Because because I was factor modding it. 
Yeah. Like whenever I and and how uh, the current state of games in addition to, you know, how they were back in the the good old days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I back when I, I was a child. Say, <laughs> when I walked 15 miles, but no, um, to the local game store. Uh, buy a physical I, I, expansion pack. I think that Never Winter Nights is honestly better than uh, Baldur's Gate when you factor in all the modding, the modules, the multiplayer, all of it. Like yeah. the, the way it's all set up. And so I I have trouble uh, putting Baldur's Gate any higher than it. And I, I would argue that if you did, you'd have to elevate Neverwinter Nights as well. Yeah, I think yeah. that's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah I, I, th I think Baldur's Gate was very influential, kind of set the standard mm -hmm. for D&D games to that point. Absolutely. But ne Neverwinter Nights tried to go beyond with multiplayer community, stuff like that, that had never really been done before or since. Now, the wild card here, Torment, I don't think, like, combat-wise or... I mean, it's Infinity Engine game. It kind of has the same structure, but its story and its setting... Its setting is... One of the most interesting settings, I think, in in uh, in uh, any RPG, but uh, but its stories and, and the way it handles your character is almost like a like a satire or a criticism of RPGs, which I think might could elevate it higher than the others. What do you think? What do you think about that? That's Chris Avalon's style, though, because that's what Kotor yeah. Two is as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. hundred percent agree. For me, like Planescape is my favorite of that those old Infinity Engine bunch. Um, it's the best video game that I've ever read. Um, but uh, aside from the fact that I'm, I'm a big fan of the yeah, I'm a big fan of the Planescape setting for D and D as it is. It's very introspective. It's very philosophical. Like yeah. what happens when you take all the planes in D and D, where all these deities and all these creatures come from? Let's smash them together and let's have this one central city that like holds them in place that you can access all of them from, and you get all this like spillover from them. And it's just kind of exploring the weirdness that is Planescape, but at the same time doing this introspective story that uh, hooks on this central theme, proper theme, of you know what can change the nature of the man. Can you change the person you are through rebirth and rebirth and reincarnation? And I it, think it just nailed it on the head. It's such a compelling story. It took death away as a, as a punishment. Like it's like yeah. more of a nuisance. It was an interesting idea. I mean, it, it's very. It lives and dies by its storyline and setting, but um, considering that's one of the most important parts of an RPG, definitely, yeah, it's a factor. What are your, what are your thoughts on it, uh, Zarek? Uh, Planescape. I'm thinking about this because I, I'm contemplating. <laughs> because remember, remember honestly, this is going on the stone that's being buried in Spain, so you got to really <laughs> think about it real hard. There is no changing your mind. <laughs> this is another example of I played it for the story, but the actual game was not. At all interesting, no. and I Completely could have, agree. you know, I, I this would have been better served in my mind as a book. Mm. That's well, yeah. Lucky for you, they did novelize it, and it works just as well as the game. <laughs> exactly, that, that's my point. So I'll recommend as, that to everybody. Then, as so a role, as a role-playing <laughs> game, I think it, it it simply cannot be a tier. It can't be. not a tier. Okay, it, really? It, yeah, it is not a role playing game. It is more a cool. uh, 
a ja- a, a, vi- a Western visual novel. <laughs> Wait, but even with like the choice and consequence and the way you're able to alter the story as you go throughout, you don't you think are, it's... You are able to, but hmm, I, I guess... I think it, it, it sneaks you into... You mean a- you can't create your character? Is that what you're kind of saying? Like you can't really change who you are? Oh, or, that's well, part of it. That's but... the theme of the game. Yeah, well... Well, sorry. I, <laughs> yeah. I, sorry, honestly, being pedantic. No, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's hard to it's it's such a good concept and such a good story that it elevates it much higher than it, than it has any right to as a game. That's right. the problem. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, like as a yeah. story, it's S tier. Uh, yes, but, but as a game, but it's, as a game, it's like B tier at best. I can, I can agree with that. It, so, yeah, it's combat yeah, is awful, honestly. Out of all the Infinity games, it's combat yeah. is easily the worst. And also, it, t- it takes away in- incentive to, to do combat well because you die or whatever, you know? No big deal, yeah. so. Well, you're just ready, essentially, until the next point of uh, text pops up. Like, that's how I, I yeah. felt like I was when I was playing the game, is, is I'm just kind of skipping through to get to the story because it's like everything else yeah. is in the way. Whereas I feel yeah. like Neverwinter Nights, don't get me wrong, the combat's not great in that game, but mm-hmm. there is like PvP servers, for example. P- uh, people do PvP on the community server. So there was enough depth in the game that people could actually have conflict. So I, yeah. I don't know. When I was going through Undermount, and I do remember, like, oh, there's a tomb there. Like, what are we going to get inside? You know, the, the, the different. And then I found the longsword, and the longsword could talk. <laughs> and it, it, you know all, all of that neat stuff that that was um uh, there was that moment to moment gameplay in Neverwinter Nights and I, I just I I was right there with you where uh, with Planescape where I was just like okay let's get to the next story beat let's get to the next story beat and I didn't feel like it was a game I felt like it was a a nuisance to get to the next um, story beat, and and I, I overall the game is good. I, I enjoy the game because, the, as you said, the storyline elevates. But we never we need to remember that there are multiple elements that make up a game, and it fails at one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it does. Like B tier game, S tier story setting. So I guess round it down to A tier, just honorary A tier. Yeah. I guess. I feel like it's yeah. hard to say it's worse than an A tier game because yeah. now you're starting okay. to you're going to start to compare its finer points. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think we'll be able to get into JRPGs, but if we're if we speed up, we might be able to get through uh, Western RPGs. I don't think we'll be able All to right. tackle okay. JRPGs. Maybe we can do yeah. JRPGs and MMOs uh, as a sequel sometime down the road. <laughs> That actually sounds works like for a me. good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it works for me. Because there's actually a lot of, yeah. there's like 15, there's probably like 20 Final Fantasy games alone, so we could probably... Well, there's a lot of overlap, this. too, because in most current MMOs, you're basically the chosen one, which is like it's the true. plot of pretty much most JRPG games. And two and <laughs> yeah. two of the Final Fantasy games are MMOs, so it actually fits there you really go. Well. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Darkest Dungeon, this is a really odd one. There's a couple of really odd ones in this list. Uh, it's more of a roguelite RPG, but... I think it kind of is elevated by the really compelling aesthetic and it doesn't really tell a story aside from the emergent story that your characters go insane or die or end up killing each other or do all sorts of crazy stuff. So it doesn't really have like a a scripted story per se, but it does, it does kind of, it kind of create you to end up having war stories in the game. So I don't know if it's even comparable to any of the games really, but 
It is an emergent gameplay sandbox, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. It, it does not have a crafted story. And admittedly, you are not taking on the role of any one character. You are this omnipresent person commanding this party of uh, uh, hapless adventurers, uh, adventurers who most likely, and this is the, the really screwed up part, you will use until they are no longer useful and then cast them aside, which is one of the things the narrator says. Yeah. And and it and it's brilliant uh and ballsy uh saving autosave and auto loading system uh mm-hmm. makes you attach to your characters like few other games yeah. are. Like if your character dies, he's dead. Like he, he gone. Yeah. So I do I, like that I aspect. As a notorious save scummer, I hate it. But <laughs> uh no, I love I, I, I like the game as a whole. Like art artistically it's brilliant. It looks so good. Mechanically, it plays on that art, art, that art that it does so well because you're basically delving into these these decrepit crypts as long as you can until, like Zarek said, they're useless and your characters are no longer able to be used. But like, also, yeah, madness play into it, like the stress of being an adventurer and how that deals with, you know, with all of it put together. It's, it's such an iconic, uh, such an iconic uh, mechanic too, like. Uh... You know, I, I, whenever like something happens at work, I'm like, you know, stress meter, you know, <laughs> like I just, I, I kind of visualize it in my head because it's, it's handles that so well, but yeah, it's a, it amazing how much story it tells without telling any story at all. Like yeah. just the fact that, it's oh like yeah. It's like the video game version of bo- uh, boss monster card game. Yeah. 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 Kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, like the video game version of that, which I feel like is pretty cool. It's pretty unique. So I'd like to put it higher than B tier, but it's. I mean, I like the combat simplicity. It actually almost, it almost plays them kind of more like a JRPG when you think about the combat. But I think um, it could be rated higher if we didn't also just rate all of those games above it. Uh, you know, you know. What yeah. I mean? <laughs> I, 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 it, just, just now from, we're gonna go into the argument: is like, is Darkest Dungeon on the same plane as? Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's weird because <laughs> it, it's it's almost like the no. combat style is almost more like a JRPG. With a four-person party um, and turn-based stuff, the uh, game is more co- combat-heavy than most R- RPGs. So it's a it's a weird duck. Mm-hmm. So I'll just put it, keep it at B because we gotta get through this list. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. A very, very game. like an uh, you know very very honorable B, I guess. Uh, so we're now going to review the greatest uh, RPG of 2018 according to the Australian Game Awards. <laughs> RPG of the year. The game advertisements? <laughs> no, uh, Australian game. Uh, oh, I, I added this. Yeah, it's just a little. Because oh. the Dorito Pope puts on some good game advertisements once a year. So Dor- Detroit Become Human Become uh, Human won the Australian Games Awards uh, Best RPG of tw- 2018. So it's therefore S- an RPG, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Even though it's not an <laughs> RPG at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's that's definitely D tier. It, it's uh, not even the best of their brand of no, game. No, no, no. no. Detroit Become Human is obviously D- Detroit tier. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why there's debate here. <laughs> yeah, the, the issue here with uh, Detroit Become Human <laughs> is there are multiple endings, and when you've watched all of the endings, they contradict each other. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's like it's like they thought of different twists, and instead of like, 
Oh, let's pick the twist that you'll discover in different ways. Let's just go run with all the twists and make them alternate endings or something like that. Yes. So it's impossible for both endings to exist in the same universe. Yeah. So yeah, Detroit is uh, actually fitting in Detroit tier, I think. Yep. I, so I was just... joking about D tier. It's, it's worse <laughs> than Fallout 76, to be honest. As an RPG. As an RPG, yeah. yeah. It's, As an RPG. it's not even an RPG. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, As a game, I'm sure it's fine. Let's uh, yeah. tackle the Deus Ex games. Uh, possibly Ooh. one of my favorite games ever made. Possibly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I should also say about Neverwinter Nights, by the way, that's one of my favorite games. So I kept yeah. my bias away as much as I could. But yeah. that's one of my favorite games of all time. Top three. <laughs> So now we've so far we've been doing a good job with that. Anyway. Yeah, so I had to break all these all four of these up because they're so very different. Um I almost did Deus Ex one and two and then Deus Ex three and four because they're you know, by developer per se, but they all have their own unique uh cocktail of good and bad. No. Um Deus Ex is quite often referred to as one of the best games ever made, probably just due to the fact that it had a it was eerily prophetic of 9-11 and various like uh you know uh surveillance state uh mm. whatever patriot act all this kind of stuff like this is mm. before all of that and it predicted and like was ch chillingly accurate to a lot of the stuff it well well before it happened and mm. it has some of the best uh level design for any first person game ever in terms of like different ways to beat each level um, and when it isn't horribly breaking, it does have legitimate choices and consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Like, I think I was yeah. mentioning privately, like, when we were working on, on the video with Indigo, like, I played through that game how many times? I don't even know. And it wasn't until, like, maybe a few years ago that I realized you can save your brother's life. And <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought the correct choice was always just leave the apartment. Spoilers, <laughs> I guess, for anybody. Yeah who's never played this game but yeah like it's subtle it's like buried in there but it's subtle and it's not always obvious how to make that choice like uh with anna you know when lebdev's uh lebedev's airfield you know there's three different instances that she can die so yeah they actually had a lot of surprising a lot of choice and it's not obvious uh that there were were that many different alternate uh story paths and things like that but yeah i was mostly impressed with just the level of emergent gameplay. Like I, I remember That's... distinctly times like picking up and lifting up barrels, pushing them off ledges and killing people with like inanimate objects just because you mm -hmm. could. So. And actually like level design that lets you play it differently. Yeah. Not just like you can take skill points like in human yeah. revolution, which you guys are going to laugh, but that was my first time playing the Deus Ex franchise. That's a good game. And, yeah. and I remember yeah. playing yeah. it yeah. and I was like, what's the point in the stealth points? If like, the stealth barely works and, right. and everyone was like well dude you got to go play the original you know you got to go play this one you got to go play that one and so it was just like obviously that means i'm kind of saying my bias here that i think the human revolution and on it's going to be hard to rank those above the original um but i don't know much about invisible war so i'll have to hear what i refuse to acknowledge invisible war exists <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm serious think... invisible war is very divisive yeah and even the, even the game designers hate it, it so <laughs> gets a bad rap it's not it, as a very disappointing follow-up to deus ex because it kind of simplifies more or less everything but taken on its own it's not that horrible it, it has some enjoyable moments it's okay 
but so, then that's about all yeah, I can say about to, it, really. Back to original Deus Ex, I'd like to add something. This is an RPG that has managed to do, uh, managed to be in a theme, uh, or a, not a theme, but a, a setting um, that is overrun with stupid cover base shooting. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, we're talking, you know, the Splinter Cell and, and games like that, you know, yeah. which are uh, arguably many levels dumber than it. It managed to rise to the occasion while, while being in the same general, um, genre, uh, not genre, but um, uh, flavor, I would yeah. say. Sure. And that's, it, it makes it pretty unique. Yeah, it's also one of the most unique settings for a RPG, like a, you know, near near future cyberpunk, um, very much conspiracy theory uh, centric, and yeah, the memes are great. You know, I was gonna say that's how I know Deus Ex the most is because I wasn't there and I didn't play it until much later. The memes yeah. are actually how I found out about the game, which is just funny to think. Yeah, about. the memes are. I linked in chat for people who can't see. Uh, some hilarious glitch where <laughs> one of the characters gets stuck on the on the door in the middle of the conversation, so the door just keeps opening and closing <laughs> as he's like talking to you. One of my favorite ones is, is what a uh, shame. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite ones was like uh, um, I don't remember the exact. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, basically, like there's a character just like you know, will you please help this guy? You know, my father or brother, or whatever. You know, he's in help, and like you can just gun him down, and then you talk to him again. It's <laughs> like you know. He's dead. How could he He's like, what a shame. Oh what a right way to die. You know, he's a good man. <laughs> you see, that that's what I was talking about about the glitch is because yeah. the the thing is that he like he's supposed to encounter a certain person who could potentially kill him. And it the game doesn't understand that it's you who killed him. He <laughs> the game thinks that he died as a part of that event. And yeah. so it mm-hmm. triggered the scene with her. And that, that's just an example of one of the glitches. It's yeah. trying to respect the fact that you can fail this particular objective and then it, it just borks out when you shoot him. Yeah, it, it was a very interesting game. I mean, it was right at the tail end of the 90s, you know, 2000, I believe, when the first game came yeah. out. And yeah. I almost quit in the first level because the first level is like so dull. But once you get into the game, like when, when you get into like Unetco and you're like, I'm like flushing oh. toilets and throwing things around and people are like noticing when I go into the women's bathroom and like commenting <laughs> at meetings. And I'm like, this is like, it's an incre- incredible detail. And oh, yeah. I, I love how every object is interactive pretty much. Like every single plant, every single light switch, every single sink. It kind of, yeah, it kind of, like- it kind of started that trend. Uh, I mean, technically, uh, System Shock the year prior kind of did that too. Like they're both very much in line with the Looking Glass Studios kind of super hyper immersive games. But yeah, it really yeah. started that trend. So I, I think because of that and it's like weirdly prophetic uh, storyline and level design, I think it's S tier just for like influence and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I agree up the time too, yeah. especially compared Easily. to like many of these other games. You can go back and play yeah. it and you're going to enjoy it more than you would these other yeah. games. Yeah. I'd oh, argue entirely. it is a true RPG. Yeah. Unlike oh, yeah. several entirely. others. Yeah. Entirely. Now, I completely agree. Invisible War uh, swapped engines, swapped protagonists, went into the future, and probably made I, I, one of the 
biggest single mechanical uh, screw-ups I've seen in a video game where they took away ammo types and turned it into universal ammo. And that was like the most botched yeah. system ever because like you'd have a limited, you'd have a maximum amount of ammo you could carry. And like a rocket launcher would use like 10 ammo and a pistol would use one. And so you could accidentally run out of ammo like late game and it would get like all messed up and a lot of really weird uh, things that, you know, the protagonist was even more generic than JC. Like JC was kind of like a, yeah. a, some boots to fill, but there was kind of a little bit of charm to him. There, I wouldn't There was say. personality to him. Like you kind of yeah. knew what JC stood for and how he responded to it, whereas Alex yeah. was a lot more like a little, a little more blank slate. Um, yeah. Also, one thing that kind of turned me off from Invisible War was the was that all of the endings in Deus Ex were canon, and just like everything, <laughs> it's like, well, we don't know which one the player picks, so yeah, they all happened. Yeah. Um, which Daggerfall. You know, just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elder Scrolls uh, Two did the same canon. thing. Oh yeah, we're we're, we're going to tackle Elder Scrolls in a second here. Um, but yeah, the flaws aside, though, it still had the immaculate level design in some ways. I actually enjoyed some of the hubs better in Invisible War. Like they actually were more fleshed out. There's more apartments yeah. and and little like knickknacks and like I I would constantly like crawl through vents and steal uh, bags of chips out of people's cupboards without them knowing and things like that. Like a lot of yeah. almost it, it actually kind of mimicked Thief, uh, the Dark Project in a way in some cases. The original okay. did too, but yeah, it did, third act especially was like, well, this is a really really flawed third act, but um, yeah. Overall, like, whole, though. yeah, it's probably the worst mainline Deus Ex game, but that's still a, it's still a good game, I would argue. Like, uh, I don't know, the fall exists. Yeah, that's not a mainline. That that game doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> this game may right, not I exist as Eric, but yeah, the fall, the fall was just a mobile, a mobile piece of trash. But yeah. uh, I, I, I wouldn't say it's a. I'd say it's like probably C tier. I'm guessing maybe yeah, B tier. No, I wouldn't put it anything above that. I think. Yeah. I, I defend it because I don't think it's nearly as bad as the reputation. What do I know? I defended Daikatana for a half hour, so what do I know what I'm talking about? Yeah, But it, I don't think it was that bad as people... Daikatana is literally unplayable without the community patch. I, I agree. No, entirely. But, yeah. yeah like um, I, I have B tier here. It's good games with big problems. I would say... say it's uh, a, a B, B tier, I'd say good games with severe problems, which I guess would be C tier, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but Human Revolution and Mankind Divided were actually they added a lot to your repertoire and a lot of like flashy effects and stuff and like breaking through walls and Typhoon abilities and all that other kind of stuff. And you know, yeah, I hope you like hope you like Yellow. But uh, yeah, they tried to create a narrative around your your cybernetics and the yeah. the ability. To, you know, or, sorry, not the ability, but the whole drama surrounding. I guess the open accepting uh, acceptance of cybernetics. You know, you yeah. start to yeah. That of... intro is super well done. I think that was right. like I a great way to introduce you to because you all of a sudden have an emotional con conflict with the cybernetic augmentations you've gotten. It's made you yeah. something more than human, but at the same time, you're somehow less than human too. So it's a very interesting, and you also it's tied in with a very big loss for the character. You know the his girlfriend i guess but yeah. i thought i thought that intro is really well done um pacing wise yeah. there's some very very long and kind of like points in the game where i'm like this is this could have been cut down a couple hours or like half i an didn't hour finish here. it so pacing yeah. affected me enough to not want to finish it 
But... I really like some of the callbacks to the original and how it yeah. worked itself into the lore. Like, some of the Easter eggs. Not even, like, full out. Like, you know, Tracer Tong, he makes an appearance in, in Human Revolution. That was nice. But, like, some of the appearances, like, uh, the Bob Page Easter egg. That yeah. was cool. Just as somebody who came into it from the original. It's like, oh, wow, like, I, I see how you're realizing this connection and narrative and how you're developing the background for Deus Ex. And... Yeah. Um, sorry, did you want to say something, Zarek? The game space felt a bit fragmented to me. Hmm. I could kind of see that. Um, it wasn't as... I, I don't think it the hubs quite felt as complete as prior Deus Ex games. They yeah. were they were definitely yeah. more mission based. It seemed, which mm -hmm. I got, which one of the things that's one of the things I really liked about Deus Ex um, was how you'd like you kind of felt like you came went back home, like you kind of felt like there was yeah. a place to return yeah. to. Whereas, Every location in Deus Ex the original that served a gameplay purpose also maintained the suspension of disbelief that this is a place that people could be. Yeah. Um, and I will say this about Human Revolution as well. Um, they fixed this in the director's cut a little bit, but when the game first released, the one of the biggest takeaways, the, exactly, the bosses, yeah. was that there was only one way to tackle bosses, and you didn't have that same kind of open-endedness that you did in Deus Ex uh, with I, multiple different tactics yeah, ones, like, I, that reflected your skills. Yeah, I think that there were a couple points in the original Deus Ex that had that problem too, but the kind of cool thing about the original Deus Ex was that they didn't treat bosses like they were somehow uh you know superman like if you yeah. shot a grenade if you shot a rocket launcher at the boss he'd explode you know like yeah. <laughs> they they took like maybe one rocket or so and then they're 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 dead so the bosses weren't like bossy boss you know characters like in human revolution and yeah, bullet sponges yeah bullet yeah. sponges like you actually had to work at him for several minutes to actually kill him yeah but then, yeah, with the, the director's cut, they added like turrets and stuff that you could use to turn against them and and use yeah. your other skill sets. So I think that with the with the director's cut, it actually probably elevated above the original game's bosses because oh, they gave yes. you those other options. But hmm. I, I, in in my opinion, it's a very it's a very true to form, if if not as original or as iconic or as influential. It's a very like they checked all the boxes. They've got the vents. They've got the hacking. They've got you know. I think they even added a new type of. Did they add like robots? No, the, the original game had robots, but they had like they checked all the major boxes that Deus Ex did, and they understood the level design and the importance of having three at least three paths for every objective. So I think it was a very solid, if imperfect, return to form. Yes, I agree. Is I didn't it, finish it, so I can't. Uh... I can't comment in the same way as uh, the first one, which I played like twice. Yeah, yeah. It definitely drug on. In the ending, I liked it. Like, I, it wasn't quite this implemented the same way as the ending for Deus Ex, but yeah. in Deus Ex: Human Revolution, you still had that same kind of multiple choice ending that you know mematically was boiled down to. Well, you just press a button. Like, <laughs> yes, but it follows in the same spirit. Yeah, I'd say A tier for Human Revolution. Yeah. Now, Man Mankind Divided, that one obviously has, I think in some ways it's better than Human Revolution, but it obviously was not a complete, they, they had to cut it short. They okay. cut off the last act and people didn't like the kind of narrower, narrower scope.
But let I, me ask you: Did you augment your pre-order? <laughs> uh detroit tier <laughs> oh jesus oh, God. uh yeah that was really bad um yeah I mean, that's a more of a publisher thing unfortunately yeah the microtransactions but... like what are microtransactions doing in a deus ex game i'm sorry yeah there's zero reason to exist in this kind of a game i would say that human revolution had a better story than mankind divided it, it told a more complete story it had emotional bond it had the it hit all the right beats out of 3x structure deus ex mm. mankind got cut short but it had i think possibly the best hubs in the series or some of the best hubs in the series they're very fleshed out very interconnected almost like metroidvania-esque hubs yeah in the game which were very impressive that's why i was criticizing the hubs in the previous game you know why I was saying like if, if the previous game felt fragmented by comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it, level design is stellar. It's very interconnected. Like you'd find you climb up this way, you know, find this key, hack this, you know, terminal, unlock this door, then go on the ledge into the adjacent through the adjacent window and get into another apartment building it was all very real it felt like some place where people actually lived and it was mm -hmm. had a lot of just like random uh refuse and stuff like that um my my one criticism of the newer games is that less of the environment is interactive like nearly every single object in deus ex 1 and 2 were something you could pick up if you had enough strength something you could you could throw or mm -hmm. destroy or use as a platform or a projectile, you know, if you want to toss it right. at somebody, you can. Uh, there's a lot of, like, window dressing in the later games, which I was a little bit frustrated with. But they still do, like, you know, the faucets still work, the refrigerator works, things like that. But Yeah, but you can't stack up, like, those heavy objects and make a barricade no. if you're running away from guards like you could. They, they subtracted the physical element, like, the physics yeah. element. I, yeah. I think that's one thing you feel in, like, you look at Half-Life and Half-Life 2 and then look mm -hmm. at like current gen games and you can see that as well, like what's lacking there. It's like back then games had such a big focus on the physics as well because yeah. that was a, an integral part of playing the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, everything had a weight attached to it. So, you know, you could lift up that, that table if you, you know, augmented your strength. You could, you know, push that thing off if you want to. And yeah, I, I still remember like just spending like probably 10 minutes just like you know pushing pushing boxes around to like make a platform over a wall that you weren't supposed to climb over like there was actually even accidental things in the original games where you could like put mines into the wall and then use those as stepping stones to climb up walls that, uh stuff like that but mankind divided uh, yeah like a it's more flawed but i think that the level design is superior than human revolution so i don't know is it still a tier or does the story kind of bring it down to be the story definitely brings it down if we're going to compare this mm -hmm. on the level of an rpg we have to understand <laughs> that story matters yeah yes. okay i'm fine with I'm that. lives with matter yeah all right um oh boy so all stories got... matter yes <laughs> so... but, but i'm just mentioning their their terrible terrible pr campaign oh yeah no i know exactly that's the why all lives it. matter yeah yep 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 uh <laughs> So, uh, I think if you've played it, I'm assuming we're all in pretty good agreement that Divinity Original Sin and 1 and 2 are pretty pretty great. Oh, shit, man. I'm Absolutely. playing through that right now, and it's blown my <laughs> mind. I like, was just playing yesterday. There are, there are many Ooh. ways to do the tutorial island. 
Yeah. That's oh yeah, you mean that's just amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just did a, a sixth playthrough through that, and I actually still mm. found a different way. <laughs> to yeah, play it. and yeah. I think that that's pretty damn impressive. I, so I, I just finished. I just finished the first act, and I'm at 27 hours logged into Steam. I did. So. I did uh, probably 60 hours of side quests, completely optional side quests, in the second act alone. Probably, yeah. yeah like it was. An incredible amount of content and incredible amount of choice. Like uh, I, I consider it definitely one of the best uh, CRPGs. Easily and uh, easily. really good it, combat too. Those, surprisingly good combat. Honestly, Divinity: The Original Sin one and two are the modern S tier games. You have something I, like agreed. You have yeah. something like say Pillars of Eternity. Yeah. You know, I I realize there are a lot of people who are fans of Pillars, but Pillars is bog standard. Let's do Neverwinter Nights again. Yeah. Whereas well, not even that. Let's do Baldur's Gate again. Yeah. So it's even more of a step back. Yeah. But as but, and I say this as a huge fan of Pillars, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. They're definitely yeah, Infinity exactly. Engine 2.0 games. Yeah. It's it's yeah. but Divinity the Original Sin uh went and said, okay, let's see what we can update, modernize, and evolve about the uh the classic you know turn-based rpgs of the past yeah that's a, yeah. a big th a thing is and I, I when i say modernize i do not mean streamline there like people tend to conflate the two but yeah it's it's a case yeah. of they they really do divinity the original sin belongs up at the top yeah, S -tier, like if yeah. I were to put Pillars of Eternity at an A tier, which I would because I think it's an, an mm -hmm. excellent excellent nostalgic a recreation of those Baldur's Gate Infinity Engine games, I would put yeah. Divinity, like the original Sin games. Well, I only played two, so uh, but I would put them at S tier quite easily. I, I completely yeah. agree for one central reason, and it's that like if you play Pillars of, Pillars of Eternity and you don't really like CRPG combat, you're gonna be bored out of your mind. Like yeah. I don't really like CRPG combat, and I played it, and I was just like. It's, I know it's funny because I love playing CRPGs, but I don't like the typical combat because after a while, mm -hmm. I'm that kind of person where it's like, can we change it up? Like, let's yeah. do something new and different. And that's where you look yeah. at Divinity and it's just a no-brainer. A lot of the innovations that they bring to the industry, fields and combo fields and things like that, which have existed in games for ages, but for some reason, we haven't really taken advantage of in RPGs. Other thing that I wanted to mention is that... Um, I feel like I should also bring up maybe like one of the few bits of negative criticism I have for Divinity 2, which is just going to be centered around the party system. I wish the dialogue yes. options worked more like they did in SWOTOR, where you had to roll mm. on them. And so <laughs> then you could choose if people could. Because it's weird to go from listening to your friend talking to somebody, because I play with somebody else. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the conversation ends and you have to exit the conversation on your own. I don't know if you guys have tested this, but no. it leaves you in the conversation. So you're sitting there, you're like, oh, is he done? And so you have to go and press that little like a uh, tiny ear and it's the X button. You press yeah. the X button and then you're ready to go. It's but it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like that little yeah. hitch. Well, you notice it, but that's because otherwise the game has not a whole lot of flaws. No, well, I, it, I'd it, say that it, the it, sorry, go ahead. No, I'd no, say the originals uh story didn't capture me. The the gameplay pretty much has stayed consistently excellent between the two um the original story and setting didn't really capture me but the second one was considerably improved um so i probably should have broken these two up but as a package they're both really high high quality games and yeah mm -hmm. with two i think yeah. being the, the better out of the two with and i love the fact that everything's narrated and i think was the the expanded edition or whatever that adds so much to 
the flavor. I just like, I love listening to all the ways that describe stuff and it's like written as well as a novel, you know, that's a really yeah, the soundtrack I, too, to accompany all of very that, good. right? Yeah. I very mean, good. like sometimes I'm just listening to the music and I'm just into it. And I feel like it's pretty hard I, to do that. The fact that you can pick your own combat instrument as well. Um, yeah, yeah like I also have a problem with the, the dialogue in original sin too, but it's a little different. Like you do have dice rolls for the occasional persuasion check. Like you pick which kind of persuasion you want. I don't particularly care for the fact... Well, one, I don't like that you don't get all of the NPC party members on one playthrough. Like, you have to leave... If you're playing with an origin story character, you have to leave at least one of those five characters behind. That I don't particularly care for. The other thing is, I don't like that you can have the same conversation four different times by picking a different NPC and then talking... Or a different character and then talking to the NPC and then re-going through conversations. Like, you can't on the fly switch over to another character to do a persuasion check based on who has better stats for it. That's right. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about Neverwinter Nights, right? You played uh, the second one in the expansions. Remember, Storm of Zephyr had the mm-hmm. party system where you could actually choose options uh, in the dialogue yeah. with your teammates. And it's like, yeah. so these, these concepts have, ex- have existed before. Oh, yeah. And that's what I'm basing it on. That Baldur's Gate 3 is going to have that. I'll bet I hope it's so. going to I have that. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I honestly consider. Uh, them like the best crpg creators right now so i'm really really oh yeah really interested to see i mean i know Baldur's gate 3 is basically just a brand at this point but because yeah. yeah, they're not yeah. it's not going to be connected to the original story and the the ball spawn is uh bail spawn is like that's done Gone. so but i'm curious that's, to see what they do so i'm very happy that it's like a century later the bail spawn saga is done they're going with a new direction yeah. it's just Baldur's gate it's in the same city but new story which i'm okay with there's no barbarian with a pet uh, ger- uh, space uh, hamster, though. All right. Apparently, Minsk <laughs> is going to make an appearance, according to rumor. So apparently, he's been petrified, and he's going to be broken out oh, of that is... a century later. So Minsk is coming back. That sounds terrible, actually. <laughs> I regret that. Also, he's a ranger. <laughs> Did you guys hear what they said about wanting to make Baldur's Gate kind of like Neverwinter Nights in the sense of like they wanted mm. to be the, the the next D&D RPG game to like last the, you know, last the test of time? They were talking about they wanted it to be more than just, you know, a single player game. They're trying to also design it around the idea of having maybe uh, community run servers. So, but obviously that's early on. Who knows where they're even at with developing the game. And also that could just be something they were thinking about. Yeah. Right. So uh, as far as um, Pillars 1 and 2, I bought Pillars 2. I have not played it yet. I've heard uh, generally good things about them, but they're very much like you know, infinity games for a newer audience. Um, I, I know, I think you've played at least one or two of them, right? Uh, Nerd Slayer. Yeah. So I, uh, pillars of eternity. I've played both of them. The first one I quit in like uh, an hour. Like mm-hmm. I, I could not even make it through the beginning sequence. So I came back and tried to play it again and I quit like a couple more hours in. Oh no. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but the theological storyline tied in with the main plot doesn't do it for me i just i could couldn't care less like yeah. i could I not think, care less. i think a major problem is just the word diarrhea they drop at you like where you need a dictionary with like here's all these terms which is great for immersion if you're a person living in the world but if you doubt nothing about the universe it's a pain mm-hmm. in the ass yeah also the that... combat is in my opinion way too vanilla i think it's way too vanilla and then if you look at uh pillars of eternity 2 you thought it was going to be like a big upgrade in that respect and frankly speaking if you look at tyranny an obsidian game it's not that much different than those games it's it seems like it's certainly better and i i I prefer the second game because i like the more open moral landscape of it 
but people also complain about the whole idea of maybe I don't want to be a pirate, right? Maybe yeah. I don't necessarily <laughs> like this kind of backstory. And it's like, I get that criticism as well. So I'll definitely put Pillars of Eternity 1 over 2 just because of, um, even though I didn't like the story, uh, oftentimes people say that the story was one of its best factors. Okay, so you're putting the one that you didn't like as much over... Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair to say just okay. because so many people talk about it and I feel like mm -hmm. maybe I have a a very unique opinion about it. Do you think it really pushed the medium forward or was it like, you know, on par with other CRPGs like Icewind Dale? Well, example? you have to look at how Pillars of Eternity 1 came about. And I think that yeah. if you talk about the context of it, it's pretty impressive. It For was sure. a crowd-funded project, just like Divinity 2. And those two things need to be mentioned, I feel like, because it's proof that we, as in like the community, can affect development, right? In some yeah. type of way. Mm -hmm. And we can also still put money in games that actually end up becoming something um, that they strive to become, which which are, you know, good games. Right. But it was also crowdfunded at a time when people thought that style of RPG was completely dead. When there yeah. was no profit in making point. them. And yeah, and it was Pillars of Eternity, Project Eternity. And afterward, Tormentides of Numenera, that when they were successfully crowdfunded, it showed like, hey, like people still want to play these games. There's still a merit in making them, which I think paved the way for Original Sin 1 and 2. Yes. And paved the way for uh, um, uh, Pathfinder, Kingmaker, and games like that. That's a good point. And I'm, I'm really, really disappointed that I didn't add uh, Tides of Numenera or Tyranny onto this list. I know some people are in chat are asking about Tyranny. I play Tyranny. Uh, I love the opening uh, mini game. So yeah. cool! I love that. Oh yeah, like, that was kingdom, awesome. kingdom. Where you like it's like a whole like board, and you're like choosing the path of how you built this whole kingdom, and it's like super cool. I want a game like that. As soon as it went into like the Infinity Engine kind of thing, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, well, this is cool. I guess. Can we go back to the board game. I want the board it's game. It's unfortunate. No, the characters are really good. lacking uh, innovation, right? And yeah. The majority back, of the the, the have, main uh, areas of gaming. I haven't had the opportunity to talk about uh, Pillars of Eternity sure. really. Sorry. Um. So I was bored out of my mind uh, because <laughs> it, it was it felt like Neverwinter Nights, but without the rich history of the Forgotten Realms to drive mm. it. Mm. And you know this this is a world I did not care about. And then um, I, I was just kind of playing on the laptop, you know, watching TV. Um, and and over I'd say it took me about six hours to get into it, and that is that's unacceptable. You know, yeah. in, in terms of that's uh, a long, long way. Yeah, it, in order for it to get going, it took about six hours, and that's just. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, I really did, but um, I enjoyed Neverwinter Nights a lot more. Okay, so B B tier, unless you have uh, well. See for me, like I think I'm oh. the only one who, honest to God, enjoyed the first game way more <laughs> than I did the second one because I thought the first one was completely exhilarating from start to finish. I thought the slow pace of the beginning did a lot to build up this new world that we didn't know precisely because it didn't have that rich lore from the strength of the D and D brand. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I really like that sort of theological story and this uh, talk about warring gods and dead gods and like these. I love it in Divinity. I just didn't love yeah. it in Pillars. And, and I interesting. Yeah, and I think the writing really is a problem with that, at least early on, because of just how thick it is and how hard it is to penetrate. Oh, right? not only what uh, you had this overarching story, but 
I, I was struggling, at least in the beginning, to you know, figure out, okay, what the hell does it, all this have to do with the forest I'm in right now? <laughs> you, you know, yeah. I, that I had trouble uh, connecting the plot with my current uh, circumstances. I, it's a concept in game design called conveyance and, you know, guiding you from one place to another and making it feel like it is... It is natural for your character to it's go from point yeah. A to point B, but yeah. it didn't feel that way. It Divinity felt like I was is amazing myself. at that, right? Like, yeah, Divinity's good. you got the collar on you, and they're talking about gods and source, and yeah. you're just like, I mean, this has to be related to me because you're already yeah. in it. You know, you're in the story. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that, that yeah, is. And, uh, Pillars tried to do that one. Sorry, one at least tried to do that with that big scene in the beginning where you like peer into the past, and then you get that. And it's that whatever the wind is. I can't remember. And like go like it hits you. It's like, oh, you're you're not supposed to survive that. Well, I so and then it kind of sets up this chosen one story, but. It's yeah. really good for immersive role playing, I think. Uh, once you really get into it, but the problem is, like, if 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 out of the four of us, our sample is that half of us did not get that far, then what's that tell you for most of the people who played the game? Yeah, willing mm -hmm. to extrapolate. Yeah, right? I mean, uh, I guess we have to kind of look at it like objectively versus personally. It doesn't seem like yeah. personally. Well, you yeah. like you like the first one, uh, Shalashaska, but personally, uh, both nerd. Slayer and Z yeah. uh Run didn't like it at all. So Yeah. B. It's just it, it B or C. It sounds like more like a C, like if we take an average, but I haven't played it. it it's gotten okay with a B just based on what yeah. it's what it's competing against. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it's an average game. I think that its biggest problem is penetrating that narrative. And that's yeah. the biggest. I guess we'll bump it up because Sorry? Uh, look, look, B-tier is good games with big problems, and yeah. the the introduction and mm -hmm. the getting you from point A to point B are those big problems. Yeah. And it also kind of gets a little bit of boon just because of what it re represented, like the fact that CRPGs were viable and right. were wanted. So mm -hmm. it, even though that's not has anything to do with the quality of the game, it did help get things like Divinity Original Sin and all these other games to happen so it yeah. had a lasting impact even yeah. if that lasting impact was not the game itself sure it also taught obsidian ironically a really important lesson because when they did the second game i'm not sure if many people know this but the second game commercially was not successful no and the oh, primary yeah. reason is because obsidian actually tried to handle uh the publishing like they got it published instead of having it crowdsourced mm -hmm. which actually was a big reason why it, it, it essentially cost more money right yeah. and things yeah. like that and so I think that's also kind of interesting in, in the opposite effect, where it almost yeah. like told them that they were right about what they did in the first place and, and trying to do it the other way maybe didn't work. Yeah, and, and if they would have gotten crowdfunding, I don't, I don't think they would have gotten as much money. Probably oh, no. not. No, uh, no, so no. It's, well, it's in, hold, hold on a second. So there's a couple things. Number one, it, when you have a game, a company that kickstarts a game, you think to yourself, okay, well, they got the money from the first game, why can't they use their profits from the first game to make the second game? That's it's being responsible. It, it's showing Obsidian. that the, yeah. they, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It shows <laughs> they, they've grown. Uh, however, they didn't really grow, and they really needed a second uh, Kickstarter as a barometer of how right. well the game was going to do. Especially with tyranny coming out in between, and obviously that didn't generate enough money either. Same which scenario, is, by the way. Yeah, they yeah. published yeah. that. They had to get that one published as well yeah, by Paradox. Both of those were Paradox. Yeah. Wait, was was uh, 
Pillars of Eternity two also Paradox? No, they uh, they went with um, a different publisher. Uh, I okay. can't remember the name yeah. off the top of my head, but I'm sure somebody will say. Yeah, yeah with, um, with Chris and everything like that, I think they kind of lost their uh, lost the paradox thing because Chris left during that, and it was like they wanted more for free, basically, and all this other stuff. It was yeah. a, it was a real messy situation, according to Chris Ablone. But yeah, well, yeah. related to this, yeah. I had a quote that I wanted to bring up from Chris uh, as well, which he essentially said that. Um, the, the problem with Obsidian has nearly always been they're just making an, enough money to cover their asses. That, that's yeah, essentially yeah. been their problem since inception. And this mm -hmm. is a perfect example of that. They do Tyranny and they do P Pillars of Eternity 2, which are not bad games, but they just didn't make money. And so yeah. you just you wonder about that. anyway. Actually, Chad, just to remind me, Pillars of Eternity 2 was crowdfunded. Just they used Fig instead of Kickstarter. Oh, Fig, okay. yeah, but that that's a yeah. very niche platform. I don't think they probably got as yeah, much money. They not probably, as much. No, they get yeah. a bigger percentage, but I, yeah, I never backed anything on Fig. I, and I, like Fergus Sarkart was one of the CEOs, like one of the chairmen for Fig as well, who was is the CEO of. Same of Brian so Far makes Fargo, yeah, Brian Fargo is also. Yeah, big. Fargo was there, and Tim Schafer, and yeah. yeah. It is interesting when you look at Obsidian, though, because they went from this uh, kind of financial crunch to uh from the original creators of fallout like yeah. wait <laughs> wait what uh, well that's because they that's because they got tim kane and uh and uh Larry Larry Barsky. Barsky back and, yeah, and, and yeah, they, they they made fallout along with uh you know jason anderson and a few others yeah um, yeah and i mean there's a reason that obsidian isn't independent anymore which you know yeah. it is they, what it is yeah uh, i don't think Fergus Fergus is uh particularly great at management it seems like no. everything he kind of touches kind of falls apart eventually there's way too much evidence i mean he had he yeah. tried to get his his kids and his wife on payroll so i mean Oof. if that doesn't tell you guys anything uh, yeah Ooh. so so uh, about management and financial you know pillars would be a d tier but you know as, <laughs> yeah, as a yeah. game and everything <laughs> let's move on so uh dragon age series one hold two, on i think since since we're coming close to running out of time we should skip ahead and go to elder scrolls because okay. I mean, it, just to make sure we, we do have our yeah. Elder Scrolls guru here, it would be a shame to not talk about it before we. Yeah, I was thinking about that. <laughs> um, yeah, let's That's just good point. let's tackle the Elder Scrolls. I mean, I'll put it on D tier just so we see them all. D for Dragon Age. Oh, uh, Elder Scrolls. You mean? Uh, yes. All right. So, um, Elder Scrolls. Uh, is Eric? Have you mm -hmm. heard? Have you heard of the Elder Scrolls? Uh, it's that small <laughs> indie game, right? Well, isn't that the Skyrim series? Oh yeah, the, the, the Skyrim, <laughs> Skyrim Two. Skyrim, it's that VR it's game. Skyrim. It had like four prequels. Yeah, it's that VR game I saw it one time. So I was playing yeah. it. I think that's the one. Yeah. So, so Arena heavily inspired by Ultima Underworld to the point where right. it's just kind of uh, ripped off in a way. <laughs> But it put it in a much bigger scope with towns and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I don't have Underworld on here, damn it. <laughs> I forgot Underworld. <laughs> Ultima Underworld is a dungeon crawler. I mean, if you put Ultima Underworld, I would have insisted you put in uh, Elder Scrolls Legend Battlespire then. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> people mentioned um, Arx Fatalis and stuff like that. So yeah. we didn't get many dungeon crawlers in here. The closest thing we got was like maybe Might and Magic or something. Honestly, I think we should next time ditch the whole tier list thing and just talk about games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It I mean, a, it aside from chat, ready to rebel at our decisions. Um, yes, we, so, we are getting some great conversations out of them. So, so uh, um, 
why don't we take turns going through the franchise? I think that'd be an easy way to get through it quick. Sure. I think many assuming, of us might echo some of our opinions, right? I'm assuming most people started at Morrowind. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Morrowind, great game. Uh, full of Enwas. You Enwas. <laughs> ten out of ten. S tier. <laughs> no, true. It, it, it is. That one. It, so, it was basically like a the pinnacle of role playing at the time, like you know, and just a really like, alien world too. I mean, it's not unlike mm -hmm. any other uh, RPG really ever. So very inspired. So it's yeah, go ahead. So my first exposure of Morrowind was actually on the Xbox, which I realized was an awful way to experience that game. Same with me, <laughs> man. I'm right there with you. Yeah, so I played that. I didn't quite get it because that wasn't the sort of RPG that I was playing at the time. And then I played it on PC a while later. And uh, no, fantastic. Fantastic for what it is. Definitely shows its date. Um, even going if you're like, if I you play some of the more modern, um, almost said Skyrim games. Jesus Christ, chat's seeping into me. The memes, <laughs> memes are too strong. Um, some of the later Elder Scrolls games, it certainly, certainly shows its age, but I think its setting is easily its strongest point because yeah. it's not that generic fantasy that you get with the other ones. It's this weird, it's like you said, weird and alien, but it's got its fantasy flavor, but it's also so different. It just, it's captivating, right? Yeah. It's just got a very dreamlike uh, atmosphere to it. Like I sometimes just hear that uh, that one voice actor who does like ninety percent of the uh, Dwemer in the game, just like you know, you know, so and so suits you. We welcome you, Outlander. You know, just kind of like a kind of hey, that was pretty good. Yeah, just like a little, kind of little, almost like almost like he's been breathing the ash his whole life. You just get all these like little subtle bits of uh, mm -hmm. artistic inspiration in the game world and. And it's still, I mean, it took it, you know, we're getting to that. It did take some things out of the, out of the Elder Scrolls series and narrow the scope greatly, but it was a very incredibly interactive world. Like, you know, every item you could pick up, you could steal, you could, you know, manipulate. So, uh, yeah. There I mean, were a lot of hidden places and hidden items and things like that. A little gems here and there. And I, I noticed going through the, Dwemer ruins in uh, Skyrim versus the Dwemer ruins in Morrowind. They're they're just so bare and plain, you yeah. know, by comparison. So Morrowind had, um, n first of all, Morrowind's uh, scope and scale much smaller than uh, other games. Um, however, it made up for it with handcrafted care. Yeah, I think, mm -hmm. and it was. Whilst Arena was my first Elder Scrolls game, Morrowind was the first game that made me actually care about the story. Yeah, it, it was it was clever because obviously they ran out of they were like, okay, we can't make this world as big, so it's condensed, but it's really interestingly it's well designed in a way. A lot, lot of like you know ridges and canyons and and narrow paths and the way the the pace of movement tricks you into thinking it's much bigger than it actually is. And it's like one of the few games where you actually follow signposts to get one place to the other. You can't just like mm -hmm. magically fast travel and figure all that out. You actually like, oh, where where do I go? Let's look at the signpost that way. Okay, let me go that way. And and you can actually, it's one of the few games where you are, can are actually required to net organically navigate through the world, which is pretty cool. I'd like to talk about that too. 
like uh the i like to think of morrowind and i think you and i have spoke about this before with morrowind yeah it's one of the few games and rpgs period that you can take and just add a massive multiplayer online aspect to it like Mm -hmm. the players and the servers and it actually would hold up in a lot of cases and it's like not very many rpgs you could actually just throw other players in and it'll work and i feel like morrowind's one of those few games that you could play with other players and it would i've absolutely... already done it yeah, yeah, test, done that. test yeah. 3 mp is uh, is a thing and i've i have uh several videos up where i'm playing with three other people and yeah. i think that the game uh imagine if that could have came out back then it's yeah. just another thing to think mm-hmm. about how great that game could have been but that being said um i guess my little story of morrowind is the first time i played it just like shalaska was on the xbox and um, that's a very <laughs> strange experience. But more so, the, the best experience about it was that came with the booklet. So you had the map. And I remember just you're just looking at this map and you're thinking to yourself. I told my uncle, he asked me uh, like two weeks after I had the game. And up until that point, whenever I would have a game, he would get me one and then I would beat it. And then I would go play the next game, right? Because I'm like a kid at this point. Yeah. And so with yeah. this game, he asked me, he's like, so did you beat Morrowind? You know, after like, it, it might have been two months at that point. Have you beat that game that I that I got? You know, and I was like... I don't think you can beat this game. That was like legitimately <laughs> yeah. my impression of Morrowind early on was mm-hmm. that you just couldn't beat it because you don't have to do the main plot right away. You don't really have to. You could just ignore Cassius Cassade and just be like, no, nah, I'm going to you know, tell that guy to fuck off and then just go off and do other things. And he even uh, suggests that to you if you visit him too early, right? As I'm, I'm sure everybody remembers, mm-hmm. he tells you, you need to go get a little bit more experience whenever you yeah, go level up. Yeah. Exactly. You try to do the So that aspect was so cool to me because I had never played uh, at that point an RPG where it just felt like while there is a main plot and while it absolutely does matter, especially later on when the dreamers start popping up and stuff like that. So there's more uh, uh, time constraints introduced, uh, or at least more time-sensitive things introduced later on that make the plot feel like it's moving along because like the dreamers are coming out and you're yep. like, oh my God, like all the That was such a cool aspect to me. And then, of course, uh, once you go into the whole sixth house and stuff like that, I mean, I, I could go on and on about Morrowind. I, it's one of my favorite games of all time, and I think it's the best uh, um, Elder Scrolls game. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think we can probably all agree S tier. It's just a such an iconic um, universe. Very, you know, it, it, the it might be kind of tired now, but they it, probably the best um, interpretation of the Messiah. Uh, theme or whatever the hell you want to call it whatever yeah. <laughs> where being a god is actually yeah. part of the plot and it may yeah. be with your character. the interesting the interesting thing was that we don't actually know if you are the destined guy or just someone who happens to fulfill the criteria you you aren't immune to the uh, um the plague because you were gifted it from akatosh or whatever Mm-hmm. No, you're you're immune to it because you tried an experimental procedure and it worked. You know, there, yeah, there's... it could be a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, you go into the room where you get this ring, which proves that you're Lord Nerevar, and there's skeletons all over the place <laughs> of people who failed this test. And it's like the, these, and you can read the like you can basically talk to them, and that they've each failed. They're quote unquote failed incarnates, people who tried to be you and did not achieve their destiny. And yeah. so, yeah, I, that's that's what the really interesting thing is uh, when dealing with like uh, ambiguous themes or you know potential twists or whatever like that. It's uh, 
the question is a lot more interesting than the answer. So yeah. like leaving a question mark at, at the end of, of a plot point is way more interesting than saying, oh, it was actually this, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know, you became the Nerevar, did you? You know, that, that, that kind of adds a, another layer of, of uh, depth to the story, I think. The only thing that for me brings down Morrowind a little bit is the combat, combat implementation, but it's still not enough to take it out of S tier for me, because for me, it's just really weird wrapping my head around dice rolls, but then still using real-time animations. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And so, like, going into it... <laughs> yeah, so you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah Everybody so going that. into it now, it's a, little, it's a little weird to go into it now, but it's still tolerable. You know, it's still, it still works, um, personally, so. Yeah, I've actually had that argument. Um, the exact same system pretty much was in Daggerfall, but there was a, a small aesthetic difference between the two games. I mean, they obviously look very, very different, but uh, Morrowind, if you, if your attack connected, but failed the dice roll, mm -hmm. um, it was just a whiff. With yeah. Daggerfall, it would make a, a clanging, like a, like a, a deflection sound. If yes. You, if you if you connected but but failed your your dice roll, and that they was enough. It. Yeah, that was enough to see. Okay, I'm hitting it. I'm hitting the creature, but he's deflecting my blow. So you mm -hmm. felt you felt the impact, but not the but not mm -hmm. the damage. And I think yeah. missing that that uh, audio feedback was was made Morwin's like whiff combat even less satisfying. Well, but also the yeah in Daggerfall. You wave your sword in front of them, and damage happens. Yeah. Like there's no actual, <laughs> there's no actual crossover between the two sprites. Whereas no in, in yeah. no, 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 what I'm saying is physically, um, in Morrowind, the sword moves through a 3D space, yeah. so the sword intersects the physical body <laughs> of the person, and yet it goes swish, and you're like, but my sword cut him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially it, when you're yeah. fighting early on, right? And you have low skill, yeah. or you're fighting yeah. somebody who's more it, it's mostly than your you. agility. If you you can either pick the lover uh, birth sign, or you can um, specialize in agility as your stat. Do either of those things, you won't miss very much in the beginning. Or you can download a mod that changes <laughs> yes, the way yes, that you can calculate it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although I would highly recommend going for a more balanced one, not uh, one that just increases your skill by uh, like a thousand, because if you do that, it will break the game and it'll it, it, nothing will be hard ever again. Yeah. yeah. So in, in that regard, um, so we all agree Morwin's pretty classic, you know, obviously date a little bit. Yeah. Surprisingly, it holds up pretty decently for a 2002 game, sure. I think it is. Especially, especially with if mods. You, if, especially if, yeah, I was going to say, if you use that overhaul mod, yeah. was it Skyrim? Or not Skyrim. Okay. Yeah, so Skyrim. Morrowind uh, <laughs> uh, Remastered or something? Well, the, the three mods. The three mods. Number yeah. one, uh, Morrowind Rebirth. Rebirth, that's the one I was thinking. Completely yes. overhauls the cities, adds a lot more content to the game. Yeah. yeah. Secondly, Tamriel rebuilt adds yeah. the mainland of Morrowind because remember mm -hmm. Morrowind to the game is just Vardenfell the island. Yeah. Well, right. it adds it adds a good chunk of the mainland, like uh, all of the eastern lands, a little bit of the southeastern, and a tiny bit of the southern lands. They're still working on it. It's a it is a work in progress. So every time they release a new update, there's a little more of the landmass, you know, added. And um, there are currently more quests in Tamriel Rebuilt than there are in any base Elder Scrolls game. 
Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I played with Overhaul, which I remember. It's dummy proof. It's pretty great. It's like, all right, just press this and we'll take care of it. And you just see your mouse kind of installing everything for you. <laughs> yeah. So you have no I, excuse to screwing it up. But it looks gorgeous once it's installed. I've since moved away from that because it has a few uh, problems here and there. And right. I've started using the OpenMW engine, which is an open sourced Morrowind engine. And I can say that in uh, six days, 14 hours of gameplay on a single character, Oof. no crashes. Oh, nice. Awesome. I no also say the OpenMW too, by the way. Um, just because of the primarily because of that multiplayer mod, but yeah. also because it's um it's a more it's weird to say because it's like a different engine, right? But it's a more um vanilla version of playing the game than maybe doing some of the overhaul mods because sometimes what the overhaul mods do, which they don't necessarily tell you, is they mess up the economy, and the yeah. economy is already messed up in that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just yeah. like it becomes like absurd when all of a sudden you get an item and you're just like, there's no level scaling, so you know all of a sudden, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So we, at some point, we should probably uh, have a discussion with the actual developer of the uh, Marwin multiplayer. I, I know him and talk to him online frequently. So I think mm-hmm. I, we, we should connect you two. Okay. That'd be awesome. awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. So we all agree Marwin is great. Uh, yes. Now, um, Arena is definitely the most dated of them. Um, at, a, <laughs> at a proprietary engine, it was actually a 2D plane that didn't have full 3D, you know, even elevation, let alone 3D um, characters, but it kind of set the, the stage and set in motion one of the most uh, influential and, you know, iconic RPG franchises. So for as far as the influence goes, I think it's very important game. Um, just unfortunately very dated. Uh, it's an in-your-face villain. Yeah, very in-your-face villain. Very kind of, it, it, it was more yeah kind of high fantasy i'm the villain i'm the bad guy kind of thing but uh interestingly enough like it, it's really cool to read old video game reviews i was reading this old video mm-hmm. game reviews i was non-stop praising arena's graphics and it's just kind of funny mm-hmm. to kind of only think like 1994 yeah it was cutting edge you know mm-hmm. but uh from that standpoint i think it it should rank higher than probably we would rank it today just through its datedness but because it was influential and kind of mm-hmm. iconic i don't I... know the one memory I have of Arena above all else, aside from mm-hmm. Riverwood being an actual city, you know, mm-hmm. like a city-state, <laughs> um, aside from that, uh, I went to the Imperial City, I went to the Royal Palace, and it, it goes, the Emperor has no time, you are turned away at the gate. It's like, <laughs> what? You mean, you mean a random peasant can't just waltz into the Imperial Palace as he sees fit? Yeah. Jeez, the guards are zero out of ten. No realism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you get used to that. Like I remember in Ultima or Final Fantasy, you could always walk up to the king and say, "How's it? How's it going?" It's like, "Yo, so and so, you know, I'm I'm doing all these great things." And normally, people like, you know, you can't go see the king. Who do you think you are? Or even just like murder Lord British and then like break the game. (laughs) Remember early on in Divinity, whenever you try and like talk to the to Bishop Alexander, and and uh, Dallas is there with her little like Geist, and they're just like. The guys say to you in like that creepy voice, "Shh, shh, my child." And they're like, they like force you. Gone. Yeah, yeah, you can't just like walk up and talk to the Bishop Alexander. Yeah. Nobody would let you do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember that um, in The Witcher Three, 
you had to go through in order to meet the emperor you like they had to teach you to bow they had to shave yeah. you put you, you in proper bath. clothes give you put, give you a bath yep yeah that's funny pick which clothes you'd like when you meet him i don't like any of these well too bad you're wearing them <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly yeah so oh. i i know not all of us have a ton of experience with arena but i, I think it's you know flawed but incredibly influential and you yeah. know they a lot of the same places lore and stuff that is in skyrim and elder scrolls online yeah. was established in an arena like i blew my mind when i played it again i'm like oh whoa it, it had a winter hold and it had you know all these other places and i'm like mm -hmm. or is that, is that game of thrones i've turned i i might give it my i <laughs> i have to agree with chat here though um the the arena is c it's it's just it, it is average yeah. at best. I, I honestly think it's a bad game and that it's being elevated by how influential and how groundbreaking it was at the time. It's elevated to average. I think it's a it's a it's a very good game, but it dated very quickly. So mm. it I, 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 I'd say it's a it's a very solid game, but because of the controls and the graphics and the limitations, it, it, it definitely, yeah. Like I played, I played a uh, Daggerfall in like 96 and mm -hmm. I, data arena was already like, Ooh, this is a, this is a little, like my computer was already playing it too fast. You know, the controls, I didn't get used to the controls because mm -hmm. I had the, uh, you know, click on the side of the screen to drag over and things like that. Um, I'm really looking forward to open arena because that'll handle a lot of those issues. Mm -hmm. But, but um, yeah, as it is today, it definitely is dated more than the others. But should it be elevated to be just because of the influential nature of it, or what do you think? Because there's a lot of like interesting lore, and it obviously established Tamriel as a continent and all the all the races. And That's stuff. just it. Most of the lore was retconned. Yeah, even uh, in Daggerfall, actually, a lot of it was retconned. But yeah, uh, and I mean, what I mean to say is that arena was a dungeons and dragons campaign set in a homebrew universe and mm. they hadn't really defined it yet for example there are fire demons in uh daggerfall and there there are churches where, where they have the cross and everything yeah and and whilst there is lore about the monotheistic religion called the elysian order that is not it yeah, they mm -hmm. they literally talk to you about the hellfires of damnation and all this stuff. So no, no, no. Um, yeah, they, they, they definitely improved it in Daggerfall Morrowind. Definitely stopped mm -hmm. like in in uh they actually wanted to get away from because right around the mid nineties, I actually talked to Ted and Julian about this. Right around the mid nineties, mm -hmm. there's a lot of the kind of doom, you know, uh, scare about video games being you know turning people into like Satan worshippers and stuff. So that's why they renamed it from Demons yes. to Daedra. For example to avoid that yeah. so it's more of a fantasy thing and isn't immediately identifiable but because of those things they actually like made the lore in the universe way better exactly mm -hmm. so yeah all so right so I, uh, c tier just because it dated very quickly um because yes. of the engine um okay. and daggerfall just um overwrote a lot of the things that we would call yeah. influential or otherwise you know special I think Daggerfall is the one who carried most of the influence forward into Morrow. Yeah, for sure. So Daggerfall, S tier. <laughs> I, I, I know we really yeah, like it. today and current <laughs> modern graphics and modern aesthetic. Could you imagine 
the reception such a game would have. Honestly, I think it yeah. proves something. Nerd no, Slayer, if it, have, if you, if it, have you been keeping track of Daggerfall Unity? Uh, no. It's like OpenMW, except it's yeah. in the Unity engine. It has three features left until it's feature complete. And then we will have our OpenMW for Daggerfall. It's, it's already fully playable. It's just missing a couple spell effects. That's it. Yeah, the, the 2D sprite thing is going to be probably a, a difficult hurdle to jump over if you if you can't get past the graphics, but mm -hmm. it is a very... I can't really think of any other game that's quite done quite what Daggerfall has done in terms of just feeling like a gigantic open world. I mean, yeah, it's tool-assisted, procedurally generated initially with some parts overridden, but it's kind of just... It, it, what I find most impressive about it is like you go into a city and it's a city. Like there are actual literally like 100, 200 houses and things like that. And it's one of like 400 cities. And, and I mean, if you pure band the curtain, you can see, oh, well, you know, this is some algorithm put this together. But it's just there's something about actually wandering a city and asking for directions because the city is just so huge. You have no mm -hmm. idea where anything is. <laughs> I don't know, things like that and dungeons you can actually get lost in and, and actually trapped in and can't get out if you're not careful, things like that. Like, yeah. despite it's all its imperfections, it definitely tried to make a very unforgiving and realistic uh, and uh, the scope of a real fantasy world, which I think are its highlight points, despite yeah. 2D graphics. Like, out, of, like out of the Elder Scrolls games I've played, Daggerfall was the one I put the least amount of time into, but I also think it was easily the most fun I've had with an Elder Scrolls game. Just because it kind of ticked my the, all those like old school RPG boxes that get me going, which you know is I guess a little bit ironic considering. But no, like I think Daggerfall even just and I, I fully admit it, I'm not an Elder Scrolls guy. Like <laughs> I wish I was, but I'm not. But Daggerfall, I think, is just so good at what it does in creating this massive world that you just feel that you're adventuring in and it just works together so logically and the way that you traverse the world and everything, it just comes together into this great package that, as buggy as it is, is still so awesome. Especially yeah. considering the time it came out, like that was just pushing boundaries like, like No Tomorrow. Yeah, Dagger's are like fall. single player MMOs. Daggerfall yeah. <laughs> and, and Morrowind can play like single player MMOs, and it's just that, especially Daggerfall, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, Daggerfall is the size of Great Britain. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I think just based on the fact that no other game has kind of achieved what Daggerfall did, and the type of may have not it's not a perfect game, but it it it's set like it set goals and it like got 90% there on a lot of things. I think that mm -hmm. I, I, I want to give it an honorary, honorary S tier, even though I, it is not a perfect game. I'm mm. okay with it in a tier just because of the, the standard of test of time. Like, yeah. Yeah. cause if you're going to say like Morrowind in this test of time versus Daggerfall, I mean, I, I don't, it's not fair, right? The comparisons maybe not necessarily. Yeah. Fair, yeah. But... I mean, for the average gamer, yeah, it would be a hard sell to say, yeah, Daggerfall, you know, Mormon is obviously the, you know, six, years, six years plus of technology, no, technological jump makes it a lot easier a pill to swallow. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but the first time you jump on a st uh, staircase and fall through the world and, and, and then you do it seven <laughs> or eight times 
And then, like, there, there are too many things. Like, Daggerfall is actually my personal favorite Elder Scrolls game, but it, it does not belong in S tier. Yes, it is a flawed game. Um, mm-hmm. I just like, like, in some ways, like, I've gotten to a point uh, where I, I would rather play a much more ambitious, flawed game than a perfect uh, game that's safe game. Safe game, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, A tier, great games that are flawed dated. That's probably pretty mm-hmm. accurate, even though in my heart it's an S tier. <laughs> well, here's the thing that, again, Daggerfall Unity is just like a couple months from being done. Yeah. So, with modding support, because it, it you know the the .df mod framework is there the um the new locations injector is there the new guild injectors there it, like, there's so much potential for the community to elevate daggerfall again remember that i'm always judging games not only how they were in the past but how modding influences them going forward unfortunately daggerfall is just a hair's breadth away from that not quite mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it hasn't some... had the long time that you mentioned, Indigo, of, of being able to have constant community content just injected into it for a number yeah. of years, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's the, some pretty impressive stuff. Like, if somebody actually manages to do 3D models for the characters, they've already done 3D models for some of, the, like, the, the like furniture and stuff like that, where they actually completely yeah. sculpted out, like, a box and make it made it, like, fill them full of potions and things like that. They could do that Water for the characters things. and actually do proper animation. That could be a game changer. That would be, mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest hurdle yeah. for people because the game itself is way more stable and way runs way faster. You can, you know, tweak the graphics and stuff way more than the original did. But the 2D sprites are kind of the thing you have to, you know, the hurdle you have to jump over. But I grew up with those, so I don't mind them as much. Um, okay. I think it gives it a charm. Yeah, it, it works within it. It's own it's like thing. Dwarf Fortress, but you know, <laughs> an RPG kind of game. So it's like, how often does that happen? For sure, uh, Oblivion. Now, uh, I kind of call Oblivion like the one step forward, one step back game. Where like mm-hmm. I liked some of the things that did better than Morrowind, but it also like kind of cut out some things that made Morrowind and Daggerfall great even more. Uh, where would you guys place Oblivion? Definitely less less unique world, but it's like bigger. Got horses. You got B or C. Honestly, the reason is because it is the most fake feeling of the Elder Scrolls games. When the camera zooms into the NPC's god awful face, <laughs> and and the awkward way the entire world just freezes as the NPC is like in your face, <laughs> like. Well, if we're stop ra- right there, criminal scum. <laughs> if we're rating on if we're rating on a uh, uh, face uh, modeling quality, it's got to be S tier, S tier all the so, way. So <laughs> here's the thing for Oblivion. This was the one game that I played. I've tried getting into it three or four times. Mm-hmm. I have major struggles wanting to play this game after I'm done with the tutorial. Like I'll maybe get to the Imperial City and then I'll just kind of like call it and say I don't feel like playing this anymore. It doesn't do anything to cap to like to capture my imagination. I don't know if it's just the setting that it feels very generic fantasy, or if like I just find that like the tutorial like I don't know if it's the, the, the kill off Patrick Stewart too early or I don't know what's going on. But it's just very hard for me to get into Oblivion at okay. all. Okay, 
so the development statement for uh, Oblivion was, we're going to randomly generate, or, or sorry, procedurally generate the entire landscape. We're, then we're going to use speed tree to put the, the forests in. Just, just dynamically, just d dump speed the forests tree, yeah. into the game. Wait, I thought, yeah. I thought Todd, uh, Todd said it was um, uh, hand-placed, or isn't that what... Isn't mm, that what? The... Cities are all hand placed. Yeah. Remember when Todd Howard said sixteen times the detail in Fallout seventy six, <laughs> he actually meant how the lighting affects the environment. Yeah. He was very specific, but he said it in a broad way that made you think it was something else. And in the same way, he he talked about all these things that were hand placed, and that it, it's the cities that are hand placed and the quest areas that are hand placed, but the actual landscape. I cannot play Oblivion myself without the unique landscapes mod, mm. which completely overhauls all of the landscapes and adds interesting things across the world. See, I think like that just kind of touched on it because as soon as I get mm. out of those sewers and like go into that landscape, it just feels so empty and boring. Just yes. looking at those hills, and, and it's not even a graphics thing; it just kind of looks bland comparatively. Yes. Yeah. I think Oblivion was the first time from Bethesda that we were like. We need to mod this game. No. <laughs> we need to mod this game. If we don't mod this game, it's just not going no. to be as good. Now, the side quests yeah. are actually pretty interesting. And this was before they went and completely switched over to map markers. Now, map markers became a thing in Oblivion, yes, but you could turn them off. And they would still, in most quests, actually give you directions. Yeah. Starting in Skyrim, they don't give you directions anymore because all the quests are dynamically generated. Yeah, <laughs> like they just they they kind of gave up like uh Morrowind, you could follow signs, you could take paths, you could actually navigate the world. Oblivion was kind of a hybrid. Books. Yeah, Oblivion had kind of you could kind of have a hybrid. They did have the markers and stuff like that. It started to kind of mm -hmm. lean heavily on that and um I, I was surprised to see that um, if you look hard enough, you can actually find signage in Skyrim, but you never ever need to use it. Like, yep. it's all completely map, map marker driven. Huh. Um, yep. But yeah, it, 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 I do kind of. I actually didn't like Oblivion when I played it in two thousand seven, but playing it like ten years later, I was like, you know what? It isn't as bad as I remember it being. For maybe, maybe I just some of the things that it, uh, Skyrim ditched. I kind of like, oh, I remember that. But uh, <laughs> I guess Skyrim kind of, you know made it made the kind of fantasy uh the different types of terrain the kind of fantasy the you know stats and skills and stuff like that the fact that those were in this game and, and at least try to try to use those to kind of put it in a better light but i'd be i'd be okay with uh i mean what do you think b or c i'm i i still think you know i admit that Oblivion has some good points. You know, yeah. a few quests and things like that are just uh, very fun. But the reality is that the leveling system is uh, takes Marwin's problems and compounds them. Oh, yeah, scale level and, scaling was terrible, yeah. Yeah, the level scaling. Um, you know, there, there's so many negatives about that game. That the few positives are balanced out and it becomes average, nothing special, not great. Okay, so you're C. Oh, what what do you, what do you guys give uh, Oblivion then? 
I would say an A tier. A tier. Um, I but that's primarily because of the mods. I think okay. that you you can make a good case that with all of the mods that there's a good game there. My issue with the mods is that the game becomes a buggy, crashy mess very quickly <laughs> with true. the mods. That's like, very the, true. They they built Oblivion with like uh, popsicle sticks and glue, <laughs> and it's very easily toppled, and that makes me sad because you know I can uh, again I have a heavily modded Morrowind that you know with OpenMW that uh, you know six days fourteen hours no crashes uh, I have <laughs> a a hundred and ten hours with. Um, uh, the Tale of Two Wastelands loadout, that is um, when you combine Fallout 3 and New Vegas using mm -hmm. TTW, uh, that loadout is so stable that in 110 hours I crashed once. And you, you look at all of these, you know, uh, you know, the potential for Daggerfall Unity to, again, just like OpenMW, never have crashes. You, you compare that to Oblivion, where you get crashes every 10 minutes when your loadout goes um, haywire. And I, I just can't tolerate it. I, yeah. I it The state of that engine at that point in time, like I made a, a, one of my favorite tweets I made mm -hmm. was uh, when I went back to play Fallout New Vegas, which was basically the identical engine to Oblivion mm -hmm. at that point, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I, I booted up after like not playing it for like a, a year or whatever, and then it immediately crashes, and it's like I missed you too, buddy. <laughs> it's just like it's become an endearing well, thing where it just like crashes all the time. I yeah. was just gonna ask that: Does Oblivion have the same problem as New Vegas, where it can only hold like a total of eighty-six different mods before it just starts completely disintegrating? Or like I think there's some arbitrary number that the much engine can handle. That, to be honest. Oh, is it? Okay, well. The I mean, engine, just from my experience. Okay, so so the engine itself is only capable of uh, 255 plugins because the base plugin takes up the 256th one, and mm -hmm. they never programmed more than 256 okay. on that. Uh, <laughs> but um, besides that, um, the actual... Uh, there are plugins for the fallout uh new vegas script extender mm -hmm. which really stabilize the game and then there is a uh, cleaning process by which you can remove all of the dirty edits and unstable uh parts of the uh files that bethesda left or uh, both bethesda and obsidian left in and unfortunately, when you actually go through the modding tools, it turns out those dirty edits and, um, you know, undeleted, uh, sorry, deleted references and stuff, those are all made as a byproduct of using the modding tools. So, in other <laughs> words, their modding tools are innately flawed. Oh, no. And, oh, my God. And that's why people have to be so diligent about making sure when... You'll, you'll see comments on a, uh, say, a Fallout or Skyrim mod. Um, it, it will say, hey, this mod has dirty edits or whatever. You need to clean your mod. And very often, like, the mod author will go, sure, and they'll run it through the utility and clean it. But the, the modding tools are a mess. <laughs> and that, it's just indicative of Bethesda. But before I go off track, Fallout uh, New Vegas Script Extender has plugins that fix a 
gigantic amount of the crashes and stabilize it. If mm -hmm. you install Tale of Two Wastelands, which combines Fallout 3 and New Vegas into a single game, mm -hmm. um, then it auto-installs all of those things and like gives you maximum stability. I'm just saying that like Fallout, uh, sorry, uh, Fallout 3 and New Vegas through TTW has fixed the stability issues, but Oblivion is in that weird period before they had expanded the engine a little bit where mm -hmm. a lot of those fixes do not work properly or, mm -hmm. you know, to the extent they do. So, yeah. you know, it, it's unfortunate. I want to say modding fixes Oblivion. I really want to say <laughs> that, but it doesn't. Yeah, uh, and uh, Zarek, you showed me um, some of the weird uh, half-assed fixes that the de official developers did to like handle certain issues. Like there's like the uh, a hidden vault underground where they put that spawn corpses that no longer needed, and and it was yes. like it's it's like the official developers were acting like poor modders in some yeah. cases. Like you well, know, what very you weird. See, if for some reason a script in the game were to try to target one of those NPCs that is dead, yeah. it has to be able to target them properly. Otherwise, the game will crash because there's no one to target. So instead of deleting them from the game world, it simply drops them into an underground vault in a secret location, and that's where the scripts will target the, the corpses of the people you've killed. Yeah, it's very weird. Like, instead of creating some sort of if, like, if alive, then check, you know, maybe like creating like an if that would bypass that whole thing. They, they figured, well, we've got to have the corpses. We've got to store them, the corpses somewhere. <laughs> Let's create a little <laughs> yeah. hidden box at the bottom. So, yeah, yeah. So when the corpses disappear <laughs> from the world, when the, when the cell cleans itself up, it's actually dumping them in an <laughs> underground crypt. Which is kind of awesome. Like that'd actually be really cool if they like put that into the lore somehow, where like, there's like a bring out your dead, you know, guy like dragon bodies down to like a, a oh, box or something yeah, like that. Yeah, just but... like a phantom, a phantom grave digger who just goes around the world, <laughs> collects bodies and takes them. Well, That'd speaking be... of which, that won't be the case with uh, the uh, quest NPCs, right? That was one of the biggest things that I disliked oh. about Oblivion was oh, the they're fact unconscious. that you couldn't kill certain NPCs yeah. oh, because uh, yes. I loved when it said that you're you know, the, what did they say? It's like the tether of your world has been disrupted whenever you would kill yeah. like a key NPC. And you with, like, oh, this with this character's death, the thread of prophecy has been severed. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> reload a save, uh, a saved game, or persist in the doomed world that you've created. Which is so, like, so hey, awesome, right? Oh, man. It's your yep. fault. And Divinity does the same thing. Divinity's like, dude, you can kill Tarkin on the ship, but you're gonna need them for a quest if you want to do that quest later on. Yeah. Yep. So it's but, like you can do it, but anyway. But that but was I, one thing. And then the last thing that I wanted to add is seriously, the Mayroon's uh, Dagon scene in, in Oblivion. I mean, like, I just don't understand what they were going for. Maybe <laughs> they thought that people wanted to see like that kind of cinematic where you kind of don't do anything. But I saw a hilarious version of that where you can actually just slice many runes over and over again. He melts. He'll just like, he'll just like melt <laughs> into a pool. <laughs> yes. It's, it's kind of like a, they should have known their limits. Like, can we really make this look epic? Will this really look like a movie scene where like a giant is smashing through <clears throat> everything? Or is it going to look pretty silly? And, and yeah, it's kind of a bad call there. But so um, I think some somebody said A, uh, Zarek, you said C. What what's your I, call? I, I, hard, I say hard C. Hard C. Uh, what's your call, uh, 
slash gone oblivion i don't know man because like i said i could barely get through the introduction before putting the game down uh the tutorial's nice i guess i like patrick stewart's in it so that's my opinion of oblivion (laughs) um i have to like forego a vote i haven't played enough to formulate a full opinion let me tell you a little something about patrick stewart's son his name is sean bean yeah yeah he dies Yeah, I, I heard. I heard that. I heard that Sean Bean plays the son, and he dies. It, yes. Now it's more of a more of a twist that Sean Bean lives in a in a movie or a game, or right? Yeah. At this point, yeah, or anything, yeah. Subverting even, expectations. They even played yeah. off of that. They even played off of that for like the uh, Hitman Two expansion, where you get to kill John. Oh Sean Bean. yeah. It's like you decide how Sean Bean dies. It's like okay. So uh, I, I'm getting more of a negative vibe. So I think C. Is kind of where I'm okay with C or, as well, even yeah. though I said, uh, did I say A, a with mods? You said A, yeah, with mods, yeah, with yeah. mods, but I think that's kind of going outside the boundaries of the of the initial game. Like, what I think Neverwinter Nights' uh, capability to to create content was intended by the developers, but right. uh, you know, script rewrites. And... Oblivion was a con- was a product of a bad game, is what you're trying to say. I yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Neverwinter allowed the ability to make it better. You know, I think. And, yeah, whereas... I think well, you I weren't think forced it... to. Otherwise, you didn't enjoy yeah. the game. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. if you need mods to make a game really, really good, like if you need mods to fix a broken game, then that just tells you how bad the game was in the first yeah. place. And ironically, right? I think... a good game you should not need to mod. And mods are there to enhance the experience, not to fix the experience. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ironically, I think that Morrowind was probably the most stable. Um, maybe Skyrim. I don't know. Morrowind was pretty stable at launch, which was surprising considering how complex that game was. I, I think I played it unpatched and had very few really bad glitches in that game. Yeah, Morrowind had three major patches that. Um were released officially and if you get the game on gog or um anywhere but the physical disc it will come fully patched these days so yeah i should call like i I, back then like you know internet wasn't necessarily constant like you know you didn't always have unless you had like a dsl connection or whatever you didn't always have completely you know always on internet and so and patches were very manual and very annoying to install like yes. I'd only install patches when I absolutely had to, so I think we pretty pretty much vanilla uh, 1.0, and it was not too bad. But all right, now the moment a lot of people are waiting for Skyrim. All right, I I want to go first because I I had the chance. I have a story. I have a background story. Okay, so 2011, I was at uh, Penny Arcade Expo, and guess what was there? Skyrim. Skyrim, and I remember everyone got in line there was like a line out the door they had the big dragon exhibit and everything and so everybody was going to play skyrim and uh i i I was just sitting there watching people play it and this is going to sound really bad but when i was watching them play it i was like i don't know if i want to wait in line i was like "Uh." (laughs) it's like you know what i'll just wait so like if if that game would have been morrowind back then i think i would have been like i gotta play this game this game looks different like this game looks unique i haven't seen this before with Skyrim, it was just kind of like, I mean, it looks like kind of like Oblivion, but obviously it looks much better. It handles better. The graphics are better. You know, there were things that were better about it, but just something was off about it at that first glance. And then upon playing the game, I bought the game in a, in a you know, traditional uh, box. It didn't come with the game. 
that's when that started happening. They gave you like the 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 CD uh, the Valve key or the Steam yep. CD key or whatever they did. Oh back wow! In the day where, Way back just then. like on that piece of paper. Oh, wow! Holy well, shit! I think we know he's going to have a lot to say about it. Um, and so after beating uh, Skyrim for the first time, the main Jesus. thing I noticed, and everyone talks, and uh, uh, Super Bunny Hop did a video on this. So for people who haven't seen that video where he compares the main plot from Morrowind to Skyrim. I really recommend watching it because it essentially sums up my major criticism, which is that everybody is shouting that you're so special and unique, and yet you're not really special and unique in Skyrim. And that, to me, is just like the biggest flaw of it. It's got a major pacing problem, too. Like, you have the Civil War incoming, and, you know, you're Dragonborn, all these great cosmic events are coming, crashing down. Meanwhile, I'm just going to... Grab some cheese from this and, you know, forge a sword and go into this cave. <laughs> Do a couple <laughs> radiant quests. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, I think Zarek probably has a couple things to say about Skyrim. But uh, <laughs> at least. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say I, 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 I went into it. I was kind of hyped. I hadn't, I hadn't played an Elder Scrolls game for a while. So I was like, okay, cool. And it first impressions were very good. It definitely seemed a lot more modern, a lot more accessible. It's like, oh yeah, left hand, right hand, that makes sense. You know, a lot, a lot of like superficial improvements. And then as I played more and more, I just felt really unengaged. That was my problem with it. I just didn't, mm-hmm. it, it didn't, it didn't uh, egg me to go on. And it wasn't until much later that I kind of like really kind of broke it down and see why that, that I, it didn't grab me as much as the other games. But I do obviously understand that it's an mm-hmm. incredibly, popular game millions of people bought it you know four or five times <laughs> but go ahead go ahead Sarah. as many times as uh todd can sell it to him yeah yeah, yeah. so i um, got my start with skyrim day one i uh, created a nord uh, sword and shield warrior and went off to slay some dragons i was initially off put by the idea that Oh, Dragonborn! At the beginning, I'm like, <laughs> but I've just started! <laughs> I, I just escaped jail, what? Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it, no, it, they... Even Oblivion uh, waits a little while before you go into the first Oblivion gate, you know. like There's quite a bit of legwork to go to the Priory and then to Kavach in that order. And it really, like, they just, they tried to spring the power fantasy on you really quick. And I found that kind of off-putting, yeah. but I powered through it. I, I went through the main quest as quickly as possible just to see what was going on. And I found just, just general disappointment um, as far as the, um, as far as the main quest went. Then I started installing mods, and that's when I had fun. Yeah, I um, installed tons and tons of mods. First, a combat enhancer, you know, a few other things. And by the time I was done, you know, I I start I was able to customize a character completely. Um, I have several character builds up on my YouTube channel where you know if you want to play as the Knight of the Nine or you want to play as a uh, a life taker from the Kimono Tong or whatever, I've got like customized builds using mods to accomplish things that you couldn't in the base game and i thought that was pretty cool for a while but eventually it started to wear on me like indigo was saying i i didn't feel engaged with the characters because none of my choices mattered it was just you know do thing and mm. uh, you know explore dungeons so on like i i was 
all on board with Explore Dungeon from Daggerfall. Daggerfall was, you know, just my dungeon crawling game for a while. Problem with Skyrim, all the dungeons were small and shallow. Yeah. Uh, all of the interactions that tried to make up between that were, again, shallow. You were talked to. You didn't actually discuss things with them. Um, Carlia would basically sell you off to Nocturnal during the uh, th uh, Thieves Guild quest, and you didn't have a choice in the matter entirely. I didn't like any of that. So how did I make Skyrim a game I wanted to play for hundreds of hours in a single playthrough? Legacy of the Dragonborn. Legacy of the Dragonborn is a mod that adds a museum to Skyrim. And it adds a quest line where you talk to a guy named Arian. Arian hires you to be a treasure hunter for the museum. <laughs> all of the items in Skyrim, all of the unique ones, everywhere, from the smallest seashell to, the, to paintings to every single unique weapon that you can obtain in a dungeon, all have their place in the gallery. And if you want to use one of those items but still keep it on display, you can create a replica of it. Meaning that I ha have successfully, by installing this mod, transformed Skyrim from a lackluster kind of um, pseudo-RPG dungeon crawler into a proper collectathon Ubisoft open world. <laughs> But it sounds like you took that main mechanic from Skyrim that was probably the best realized thing of just like go into the dungeon, explore the world, see what you can find, take all the brooms you can because you never know when you're going to run into the broom dungeon and need all of them. <laughs> yes. And then like actually gave meaning for all those, you know, exactly. all those items, right? And yeah. yeah. And there's, um, there's a quest line that is part of Legacy that actually has you reforging the Amulet of Kings, doing all this really cool stuff and establishing a an explorer's guild. You, instead of starting at the bottom and working your way up, you start as the guild master, you go hire the individual people who are going to work for you, and then you delegate them to actually do shit for that's you. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That sounds really fun. Yeah, the modding community like really can has transformed that game into something far beyond the, the developers ever imagined. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, I, I think the so, alternative start mods are better than the mm -hmm. the main start oh, of the game. Oh, dude, yeah, I love those. Yes. The, the alternative start mod was awesome. Mm -hmm. But, like, I had the similar experience that Zarek did. Like, I played it, I played through it, and I'm like, alright, this is okay. And then, like, the game really started to shine thanks to the modding community. One of my favorite mods to this day is Here There Be Monsters, which is nothing more. It adds epic monsters for you to kill, but then a newer version added, like, this entire quest line where you yeah, basically have to stop Cthulhu from awakening and consuming the world. Oh, Very lore-unfriendly, but just <laughs> as a fan like that, of Lovecraft, yeah. If you like that, I have a feeling you'll enjoy uh, uh, Inferno Envoys of the End. It uh, it just adds these epic-level bosses and like, pocket dimensions where you have to get these ridiculously overpowered spells that would one-shot anything in the base game. Mm-hmm but are necessary to do absolutely any damage to these titans that you end up fighting. <laughs> and, like, there's this, guy, this one guy who can one-shot you, so you get a super uh, running speed spell, where you're holding your hand up, and then you're, um, you're running super fast, and mm -hmm. you, you need to do that to dodge his attacks, and then, you know... 
stuff like that. Yeah, basically adds Nephilim rifts to Skyrim, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. But uh, my ultimate thing with Skyrim though is when uh, they just released Enderal on Steam, and I had never played Enderal before, so I installed it. It's like, all right, this total re like rehaul of Skyrim, like Mm -hmm. new world, new lore. It's gonna be great. And kudos to the developers. Like everything they have made to make that mod work is phenomenal. The problem was, as I was playing it, I came to the realization that at the end of the day, I'm playing Skyrim. Mm -hmm. And everything just felt so dated to play. It felt so old. And other games just did everything so much better. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, like, wait a minute, I play games that are old. I still play Baldur's Gate. I still play Planescape. I still play Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. That's, like, probably my favorite game of all time, or at least one of them next to, like, KOTOR. I love those games. Why is it this one? Why is it this one is I am struggling to play after 10 hours? And it's just something about the way that it implements its systems so simply, so threadbare, so surface level. Yes. That the mechanics actually are make me feel brain dead. Yeah. It's very it's very uh sterile feeling and sterile looking after a while. Like it doesn't you know yeah, like uh when you play even the, like you said, like Bloodlines, which is uh probably what five years five or six years older than that uh than skyrim 2000 yeah uh uh bloodlines i think was what was it bloodlines was 2000 2005. actually no i think yeah 2005 yeah oh four didn't it come out the same uh day as uh or same month half-life 2 yeah 2004 yeah you're right yeah but um but yeah i was thinking redemption yeah yeah yeah, redemption was older but um like that game kind of feels fresh at times, like yeah. has better facial animations in a lot of ways, like has more character. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe that was an intentional artistic direction, but Skyrim just kind of seemed to suck the life out of a lot of things. It just kind of felt mm, very, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, a fantastic soundtrack. I, I, you know, I think, uh, uh, Jeremy still is a genius. I loved his work since, Absolutely. since uh, Morrowind and he did like four hours of music for skyrim some ridiculous amount like that so it, it definitely has like that kind of audio thing and and but yeah I, I, I there was just something very it's like it's like the blizzard effect where they just kind of polish away in a way so much until it's inoffensive and uninteresting yeah. that's what i kind of felt yeah. it with with skyrim after a while but modding yeah. it to hell uh you know s tier but yeah. you know base game like even- you know even, even Dawn Guard, like I, even platform playing Dawn Guard, like that brought enough content to make me like really like it. And I enjoyed, yeah, there's a theme here, Chad. I like my vampires. Um, <laughs> but like playing through Dawn Guard and, 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 uh, what was the other one? The other DLC that I can't remember now. Dragonborn. Uh, dra- was it, was, was it called Dragonborn? Yeah, Dragonborn. Called, yeah, Soul Stone. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like playing through those, it was like, oh, cool! It's more content, more things to explore. But then that was the thing; it was more things to explore, not more things to fight, not like more quests, not more resolutions. It's like new areas. Yep. You know, there are some really good new world mods, and then there are some really bad new world mods. <laughs> uh, you were talking about uh, how like plain and bland Skyrim is. I, I would argue, like. When I said that I kind of make the game into an Ubisoft collectathon, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm thinking in my head like Saints Row Four, you yeah. know, a game like that where uh, let's be honest, it's just you doing the same garbage over yep. and over and over again. 
and yeah. yet it, it can be entertaining you know when you throw some superpowers into the mix and you know have mm. some enemies which are you know ridiculous knockoffs of the agents from the matrix <laughs> and you yeah. um, people with dildos and all that good stuff yeah <laughs> and then you reenact the scene from they live with Cotty <laughs> piper and <Yeah>. with <laughs> well David Keith. anyway so you were talking about uh, Indril. Now, what really got me in Dendril was that it is the continuation of a series that I've uh, been playing since Morrowind. See, Arctwind takes mm -hmm. place in the world of Vin. Mm -hmm. So so does Nerim for Oblivion, and so does Enderil from uh, you know for Skyrim, mm -hmm. and it's a continuation of the same story. When they're talking about how the Lords of Light died in um, Enderil. They're talking about shit you did in um, Narim. So, awesome. yeah, exactly. So if you haven't played the earlier ones, it's like all of those references just... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, fair, fair. But yeah. I just meant like a mechanical standpoint because I was enjoying yeah. the lore. I thought like yeah. the way the world spread out was awesome. All mm -hmm. that was great. It was just at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm playing Skyrim. <laughs> I can't yeah. get over that fact. I'm playing Skyrim without any of the neat gameplay mods that I had installed previously. Well, it's like, mm. what if I don't want to be the Dragonborn? Yeah, like it's yeah. like that's where the you essentially need alternative start and and then just yeah. kind of ignore the main plot because it's like not everybody wants to be the chosen one. Despite me, you know, mm -hmm. ranting endlessly about how much I love Morrowind, as mm -hmm. Eric pointed out, there's still plausible deniability because, like for example, when you're killing the main boss. You're using tools. So you're not just doing it yourself. You're not just so powerful that you can just murder everything like you can in Skyrim. No. Um, you still need to use a particular tool in order to kill the boss. So there's still aspects I feel like that uh, that they could have taken to Skyrim that would have made more sense, you know. But mm -hmm. I get it. They wanted the whole Fusrodon shouting and <laughs> dragons. and <laughs> Yeah, you got to have that op awesome <laughs> thing every few minutes that you do because you're awesome. That kind of yeah, it entrenches it in its themes. It's dragons. You know, I, I've actually done two videos uh, about Skyrim. One is about is condemning the power fantasy. The other one explaining that power fantasy is good when done right, as evidenced by you know like every God of War game and you know yeah. things like that. Imagine uh, grabbing the dragon's mouth and just you know like inside the mouth of the dragon you know? <laughs> I, I really I really want Skyrim to, I want Squi to, uh, Skyrim 2 to be developed by id software that'd be my favorite game I just like no, like have the dragon like snap it like you're a King Kong yeah. or something but, but the idea but the idea is yeah you they they push their power fantasy so far uh, at the expense of other storyline elements and didn't know how to commit to the power fantasy to yeah. you know take it to the next level so what we were left with was just mediocre in terms of story they're kind of non-committal like they didn't commit to you being a, no. a world famous crazy you know legend that can harness yep. the powers of dragons and defeat the horrible dragons that are scouring the world clearly probably wreaking havoc to all sorts of people and you're the yeah, only yeah. person who can stop it People barely even notice you. Notice you. Don't even know who you know. Recognize you or anything like that. So it's like they kind of try to play <laughs> both sides. But and on top of it, you're also the only one who can uh, uh, like rebuild that Mockingbird Order, or the assassins in the Assassins Guild storyline. Uh, you're, yes. you're the only one. Thieves Guild storyline. Sorry, you're the only one who can murder Emperor Septim on his boat. 
you're the only one who can end the civil war that's going on you're you know <laughs> etc cetera, et cetera, et cetera. without the mods by the way yeah, yeah. okay yeah. So, so uh skyrim yeah skyrim uh, better than oblivion absolutely better than oblivion yes. okay better than oblivion no I... brainer worse than daggerfall i would argue yeah. so b b tier yeah, A-tier. it's a good game, but it has big it problems. I think so too. Yeah. yeah, and those big problems really do overshadow. Because at the time, it was fresh, it was new, it was great. Now, looking back on it, it, just hasn't aged well. If it wasn't for the modding community and for the crash fixes and all of the things that have come out over the years, I'd be arguing for C tier. But the modding helps elevate it. Yeah, and which... it's done yes. well. Yeah, and the modding for it is... I don't think I've seen a game that has better mods for it than Skyrim, to be perfectly honest. No, it's it's, it's like to the point where, like, it's almost become a modding platform. Like, people are like, oh, yes. I can't wait to install the Skyrim, you know, platform to, to install my game, you know? <laughs> yes. Wait a minute, you need Skyrim for these mods? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I switched from uh, Steam to Skyrim the other day. And like... have, oh, so... by the way, did you know OpenMW uh, has... Now it has a module that lets it read Skyrim assets. So they actually oh, went and and had the character walking through Whiterun. No, none of the objects worked, obviously. You you could see them just sitting there. Everybody couldn't interact with them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in the open Morrowind engine, they were able to run around Whiterun. The, the frame rate was a mess and everything because, you know, these, this stuff isn't made to be loaded in Morrowind, but they did it anyway. So... <laughs> The possibility for an open Skyrim exists. It just may take a long, long time. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, i got to hop off in about 20 minutes, and I think it's probably getting late for you guys, too. Um, yeah. I've got to, unfortunately, really miscalculated how long this is all take. <laughs> but I've got a couple franchises. To, uh, if we can spend, like, maybe 10 minutes per franchise, I gotta, I've got the Dragon Ages okay. lined up, the KOTORs lined up, Mass Effects lined up. And Witcher's lined up, and the Fables Ooh. lined up. So, uh, which of those in two? In twenty minutes, are, that's ambitious. Like ten minutes per. <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to keep us on the clock. So, uh, which of those? So, again, Dragon Age, Kotor, Mass Effect. I love Dragon Age, uh, love or Dragon Age. Origins specifically. Uh, okay. Dragon Age Origins is the only game in that series that I love. I can't. I I thought that Dragon Age um, uh, Two was some kind of abomination of an action game that tried to use the Dragon Age IP. Then <laughs> Dragon Age Inquisition came in, and it's like an MMORPG that forgot to include the multiplayer. I don't know why they forgot yeah. to include the multiplayer, but yeah. it's, uh, you know, Inquisition's absolutely... Um, it's engaging in the sense that, like, if, if you are an MMO player and you're ready to do that grind, you know, Inquisition's there for you. It's just going to feel a bit lonely without all the other players in it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird. Like, you bring up a good point. Inquisition felt like a really good MMO, but they forgot to add the players. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you're like, oh, man, this, you know, collect 10 bear asses. This is awesome. And then you're like, uh, <laughs> wait, this is kind of like an MMO, but there's like, <laughs> there's no guilds, there's no players. So, and, right. Uh, none yeah. of the contacts, none of the other things. That's exactly yeah. what so I experienced. Being a longtime MMO player playing Inquisition, it felt like a, a really bad MMO in some yeah. ways. But then you remember that it's an RPG, and so you have to also weigh that aspect with it. Inquisition. I mean, I, I guess I should probably talk about the other ones because they're um, yeah. like Dra Dragon Age uh, Origin is one of the RPGs that if I had to suggest to somebody, 
it's like a guaranteed suggestion just because mm-hmm. yeah. even if you don't want to beat the game, just do the origin stories, man. It's not that much time. Yeah. Origin stories were awesome. A couple hours yeah. in, do the origin stories and do like, honestly, I've done them all. So do them, do a couple of one, uh, ones, yeah. like maybe the ones that sound interesting. You're going to you enjoy a, that. If you create a dwarf noble, you're going to have a completely different starting story in the tutorial yeah. than if you had created a mage. Or oh. if, you, yeah, and, if you, yeah, go on. And it, and it completely changes your interactions with those characters when you go back to either the, the circle of mages or going back to, uh, I can't remember, whatever yes. it's called, the Dwarven Kingdoms as a dwarf. Yeah. Yep. So I think that... You uh, actually re-encounter those NPCs, which is great. Or- um, I think Zarek pretty much hit my opinion on the head when it came to the Dragon Age trilogy, uh, with the exception, I think I'm a little more lenient when it comes to Dragon Age 2. Uh, it is certainly a huge disappointment and it's not anything what i was hoping for but now he i pretty much agree entirely with what zarek said i will say this about inquisition it had some decent character writing i did enjoy mingling with the npcs and getting to know them a little bit but that open world gameplay it failed for inquisition but andromeda did it much better even though it's the same kind of core yeah it feels tacked on doesn't it in dragon age absolutely it just seems like they didn't go as, uh, uh, go far enough with the Inquisition thing. If there actually was kind of like a strategy mode yeah. where you're like actually plotting like how where the Inquisition is going to go and stuff like that, it it felt. Yeah. Remember when they added those mechanics into like Assassin's Creed? I don't like Assassin's Creed twenty or whatever it was where they added those like you can send an assassin <laughs> to Venice and kill somebody. You won't see what's yeah. happening, but hey, you'll get some yeah. gold. It was just like that kind of like like a little added, table with timers. And okay, uh, added so the element, yeah, it didn't really feel the Inquisition very Inquisition map. The Inquisition map just acted as a time gate to prevent you from completing the main quest too quickly. Yeah. yeah. I modded it out, and I got the entire thing done in less than 10 hours. You don't really oh, need yeah. to mod it out. You just need to change the time zone. That's how I got by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The time zone there was one biggest disappointment for me. When you go to that little map, and it's like, contact the hero of Ferelden. Hit him to join the Inquisition, because <laughs> if you import a save, my guy survived. It's like, oh, cool, I want to do that. Maybe he's going to appear. No, it's just like a little text blurb. It's like, yeah, they got back. Here's your reward for doing that. Like, piss off, yeah, when man. you meet Hawk, uh, Hawk's like, hey. And that's like yeah. your interaction. You're like, oh. That's basically man. it, right? I thought they were going to help so me. <laughs> and the biggest, biggest problem with Inquisition as well is like, the fact that the final boss is a DLC for Dragon Age 2. It's like not even in the base game. It's like, here's the DLC boss. He's now the villain. That's weird. Hey, yep. Yeah, it's a... Each game has its like uh, particular quirks. I, I think for some reason I never got really in. I bought Dragon Age uh, on the, its really really high recommendation on launch. I played it for like four hours. I was really engaged and I never picked up again. I bought it again later on Steam, and that's actually one game that uh, if you go look at GameStop or GameSpot, I should say, has a whole point higher on PC than it is on consoles by the same reviewer. Like the the console <laughs> version was that uh that lacking like just mm-hmm. the they did they did nerf so many things on the console that it was actually like considerably worse but i did respect no. uh like the different combat modes they had like a very tactical kind of old school rpg combat mode or like a real time mm-hmm. if you didn't want to bother with any of that and uh you know I, the origin system i think is definitely worthy of like at least a tier in terms of innovation like I, i'd sure. like to, i'd like to see that in every game personally what's your time <laughs> okay so dragon age uh a tier dragon age 2 something's gonna happen <laughs> yeah that's yeah. that's basically the summary of age, dragon age 2 what do you think like c c for Dra- c two it's 
as yeah, an yeah. action game, it's average. It's story. It does an, it's it's good enough to set up Inquisition, but it doesn't yeah. go far enough. Because yeah. like that final conflict happens and it doesn't matter who you support. Yeah. The final You also you know, don't even know who the main villain is until essentially the end. Yeah. Like, you don't figure it out until the end of the game. So yeah. uh Inquisition I enjoyed more than more than two. Would you put that as a yeah. B? Yeah. A B? Yeah. It with Skyrim, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree. Alright, so now we're doing Mass Effect? Is that what we said or okay? Oh, this will be the last one if we, uh, if, if based on the time. So I think Witcher would be better. Witcher. Yeah. Oh, you said Witcher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. We're getting Witcher. a request from Chad anyway. Yeah. So I've uh, played all three. I've not beaten all three, but I've played all three. Uh, it's one so, of those franchises that I wish I was more into than I actually am. Yeah. <laughs> I respect okay. them a lot, but yeah. Every developer should be forced to play The Witcher 1 as an example of how not to do your combat system. <laughs> hey, you like, you, like, you like uh, rhythm games. Come on. You, you like uh, Dark Souls rhythm Yeah, which is no. the Dark Souls of CRPGs? <laughs> it, it's, it's worse than that. It's rock, paper, scissors. Which combat stance are you using? Sorry, this guy. This this is a high, swift medium, guy. or low. Yeah. Yeah. This this guy's a swift guy, so he can dodge your 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 powerful strikes. You got to got to do your fast strikes instead. Yeah. It's, I want to uh, tell a story about that. Um, okay, so I remember the first time I played Witcher One. I played it on my old ancient PC, and so I had really horrible FPS, like twenty FPS or something bad, yeah. right? And I remember I'm like, man, this game handles like really badly. Like even with the the FPS drops, I was like, it just seems like it's really buggy and the combat sucks. But I was like, oh, it's just probably the FPS though. My FPS is so low. So then I went and played it like at an actual uh, computer store where they had it playable. <laughs> and I was like, this doesn't really feel that different. And so I just could never play the game. I'm sorry. I, I thought Witcher 1's combat was not just bad, I think it's abhorrent, and that's why I think yeah. that it can't be above a B tier, no. personally speaking, even if it no. does have cool. Once uh, once you get over combat. once you get over that base terrible combat, you'll realize that uh Geralt of Rivia is um uh, he is immune to diseases due to his mutations, yeah. and he is infertile due to his mutations. Uh, so he cannot have children. Uh, as a result, uh, sterile. Sorry. Uh, the point is, uh, there is a sex card system where you, when you screw a girl, you, a card pops up, and it's a collectible card that gets added to your menu. Mm -hmm. And so you can it, look at the cards anytime you want. And look at the cards anytime you want, and remember yes. which girls you bedded, because Pokemon. that is Witcher. Yeah, <laughs> got got to collect them all. Apparently, that's the, the Witcher one. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, the character interactions and development in The Witcher One are the pretty much the best. However, it's it's hidden behind absurd systems and terrible combat. And yeah. so I I played through it once, disliked it greatly, and moved on to The Witcher Two, which, in my opinion, was a much better game all around. Um, then The Witcher Three is kind of um it, it it's a lot more simple but that simplicity serves it i think and it, it was an enjoyable game all the way through i didn't have any hiccups on the witcher 3 that's my so, opinion out of all three games i feel witcher 1 is the best role-playing game out of all of them okay it is the only one out of the three where 
creating potions and oils mattered. Where buying books and reading up on the monsters that you had to kill mattered. Like if you did not do that, the game was still beatable, but you're making it so much harder on yourself. It yes. actually simulated the aspect of being a witcher from the books into a video game format hidden yeah. behind an awful, awful, awful combat system. <laughs> some really bad animation, some really wooden voice acting, and an act two, which is just a string of fetch quests. Aside from that, it's actually like a really good game. Out of the three of them, I think it's my favorite of the three witchers. Yeah, so. definitely the most flawed, deeply flawed, but I agree it, like the you know, the first time you had to actually like prepare a hunt of like the, the drowners, you're like, oh shit, these guys are really, you're like a certain time of day and like, you know, like your special oils and uh, that yeah. preparation, they, they dabble in it in the later games. But, uh, if they would make a whole game about Witcher actually being a Witcher, like uh, better combat, obviously, but kind of like how they approached it in Witcher one, that would be amazing. I think it'd be really cool. Like, like kind of like a, a monster hunter with a good story, you know, that's what I was yeah. thinking as well. Yeah. But uh, like but yeah, it, it is the the dance dance revolution uh, combat not so great. Well, more, more like uh, I don't even know what to compare it to, but uh, yeah, so deeply flawed. So probably uh, what do you call Witcher B tier? Uh, good At games most, with big problems. Good games with I would even put it yeah. in C tier, honestly. Overall, I think C tier personally, but I'm okay yeah. with a B tier. Yeah, no, no, no. I I agree. Witcher one. C tier. I don't want to play yeah. it again. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't uh, mind I, playing no, it again, I, but like I'm just hard uh, pressed to play it again. <laughs> now, Witcher Two completely revamped the the combat system. Was much like it still looks amazing today. Really, really technologically advanced. Yeah. Uh, cranking up to ultra. It's like gorgeous. Uh, it's a, a very difficult game. Very difficult well, mm -hmm. compared yeah. to the third one. It's more difficult, and then also the aspect that I personally think that brings it over i like it more than witcher 3 i don't know if i'm the only one here but i like witcher yeah. 2 more than witcher 3 because yeah. although i see what shlaska said about the rpg elements in one and mm. two the aspects that i like specifically are actually the storytelling and narrative yeah if you guys remember some of the big decisions that you make there's never been a game oh. that's made me agonize more over my decisions than witcher 2 <laughs> and that's because essentially they didn't tell you if it was good evil moral in between they were just like here's what would happen and you don't really know the ramifications of it and so you're like man like i don't know what i should do like you had to learn about the lore of these different factions in order mm -hmm. to make these informed decisions or to the point yeah. where like if you made a particular decision you'd get a completely different game in the second act going forward so like you yeah. have to play the game twice to see either path based on right. if you side with the scoyatel or if you side with um but uh, you know what I'm talking about. So you have two different games entirely with two branching stories, and that was so well done. Whatever you call them, the the rep, uh, they became the rebels in the third game. I can't remember what they're called now. Love that part of it. Yeah. So yep. uh, a lot more refined, a lot more polished. You know, I still wasn't in love with the combat really, but it was definitely something I could Step get up. my head around, and it made more sense. Uh, yeah. So Witcher two. A tier or is it still kind of B tier? Does it have enough flaws to kind of keep it back? Or do you say A tier on Witcher 2? I think the Witcher 2 is um, it's a good balance of choices and consequences, which you know are kind of my gold standard for what makes an RPG. Yeah. Um yeah. I, I mean I prefer the Witcher 3 myself, but I understand completely why it is a better rpg under the category of rpgs okay 
So would you say A tier? Or would yeah, you I'd say A tier. What, what are you I think vote? besides the amount of effort it takes to learn about the characters, which is, you know, for me, it's awesome. But for some yeah. people, they don't like that they have to read into all of these factions. And they're like, how does this affect me? That was like the criticism I would hear about Witcher 2 is like, you go into mm -hmm. Witcher 3 and none of those decisions kind of matter after that. Yeah. And it, I think oh. people will make that argument that they're like, well, so did it really matter in the first place? If it didn't matter at the end, I still think it's a better game uh, than the third one. But that's just, again, that's just my opinion. You can't really fault the third one for not deciding not to carry over decisions from the second. If it if it mattered in the second, then that's cohesive within itself. But yeah, I can kind of see how pulling a Mass Effect where yeah. it's like your choices didn't really carry over that importantly to the next game, mm -hmm. you know, is disappointing, I guess. But so uh, a, a or B on the on the two? What do you think? I'd say A on on two, but I'm I'm biased clearly. Okay, we got two A's. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm I'd like a. a. I'm okay with A. Um, okay, uh, I'm of two just... minds with it because like I feel that a lot of those RPG elements were scaled back because of its consolization. Um, yeah, that's true. But that being said, as a whole, I think it's a wonderful product, and I quite liked it. I thought it was much more playable than the first game, although, like I said, I'm biased. I think the first game is the best one because it's that raw RPG, but Witcher 2 was a good step forward. Yeah, it definitely was a jump forward. Um, now, Witcher 3, I think I'm probably a lot more critical about Witcher 3 because it's gotten such unanimous praise <laughs> that whenever something gets like unanimously praised, I'm like, there's right. there's flaws <laughs> there's flaws all right but Get ready uh, for chat chat i'm gonna tell you witcher 3 is b tier don't at me <laughs> b tier don't at me <laughs> i've um, got some i've got some like it's like you said i've got some criticisms about it um not because i'm contrarian and because it's got that praise but just playing through it i just noticed some things that struck me um struck me the wrong way and what i expect from a role-playing game or like what I want out of a role-playing game. So mm -hmm. I just want, where do you guys like stand on it before I elaborate on it? I love what they tried to do with Siri, and I love what they they tried to create that relationship. I really enjoyed that. But then we saw uh, God of War, and it just kind of made that look kind of like uh, so early in, you know what I'm saying? Like the same concept of making you learn about your family member. And obviously it's a much different context because series, you know, mm -hmm. this yeah whatever you want to call her <laughs> i mean it's kind of hard to explain in just a single yeah, word daughter whatever this is yeah let's just call it daughter yeah. um the I, witcher I think there's some early uh instances of that i guess is what i'm trying to say mm -hmm. witcher 3 uh how do i put this i enjoyed it more as an open world exploration game where i would stumble upon you know little side quests and things like that it actually was very good at conveying the player from point A to point B, but I always wanted to just veer off left and see what's over there. And that's how I played it. I ended up playing it like, uh, well, like Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. You know, I that's how I ended up approaching it. So I enjoyed it for more than it really offered in terms of the RPG arena because, uh, I mean... I loved things like, here, here's an example. They, I, I use this example all the time, in fact. There's a village with uh, some witches. And um, you're basically told, you're given a magic dagger and told, uh, go into this uh, evil tree and destroy it. You know, destroy the heart of the evil tree. And you have an option to listen to the spirit inside the tree and hear him out. 
And you can either do the witch's bidding and destroy the spirit within the tree, at which point they'll they'll laugh at you and say, he was actually just an innocent soul that we uh we we'd been torturing this whole time and now you killed him for us. Ha ha ha. You know, uh, so or the alternative, give him a horse to to take possession of so that he can leave. So he, he becomes the horse. And the horse rampages through the village and kills all the innocent people who yeah. who, who worship the uh, the witches. You know, just just destroys the entire village. Everyone's dead, and that's just one side quest. I was gonna say, uh, Witcher Three did something that I don't think any other game I've played did, where they every single side quest is interesting and usually has some sort of twist you're not expecting. Regard, it may not be the best in terms of choice. You know, your choices may or may not really matter in the long run of the game, but it coming up with a unique and, and engaging story for every single, pretty much every single side quest is definitely a feat. And, uh, you know, mm. it is graphics, it is, you know, voice acting, it is mocap, it is, you know, dialogue um, scripting and stuff like that. But the production values are obviously out of this world mm -hmm. for the, you know, for an RPG, like, you look at that and then you look at like mass effect the mass effect is just like a very wooden back and forth pre yeah. pre-cooked animations whereas they go through great depths to add a lot of character and a lot of flavor to every single npc and every single dialogue interaction so from a art aesthetic uh, and a writing standpoint i think that witcher 3 is yeah. pretty exceptional oh from a production standpoint witcher 3 is phenomenal like yeah. in all aspects i love how well quests are written i love the dialogue the interaction between people i felt it's a it's a world that feels alive in terms of characterization and discussion i felt that i was very limited in how i was to accomplish my goals playing throughout the witcher 3 and i also felt that ultimately my decisions didn't make any difference in the grander scope of the world with the exception of the invisible mechanics that you get in the third act with Siri interacting with her with Geralt. That yeah. is the one part where your decisions will actually have an effect on the outcome. Everything before that, like, and here's my, here's my go-to example. So the bloody Baron, and I will say right away, I love this quest line. I think the yeah. bloody Baron is a phenomenal character. I love doing this, but at the end, going to the quest that Zarek said, that side quest, that is the determining point on what whether the Bloody Baron lives or dies, basically. Hmm. Ultimately, it doesn't matter which one you choose because he's removed from the game regardless and the game goes on. Nothing changes. Either he hangs himself and his second-in-command takes over, runs the fort, or he takes his wife north to go get healed and he leaves the fort and his second-in-command is in charge of the fort. Yeah, I think that, I think there is no tangible effect on that decision other than the narrative framing of that decision. Yeah, I think you tap on a really good point. Um, each like quest in The Witcher is like immaculately imagined, you know, graphically, uh, mm -hmm. through voice acting, through things like and and each quest has like a very morally ambiguous tone to it. Like, there's no one right decision. Mm -hmm. There's no one. No good answer like even like a troll he's like he's eating people but he also also just has to kind of live so like you let yeah. him he doesn't have any ill will to you he's just there you know surviving mm -hmm. so like you kill him do you let him continue and possibly kill wary unwary travelers but the problem is each of these really really exceptionally realized quests are in a capsule 
and yeah. they're they're in a vacuum and they don't affect anything else in the world. So yeah, I was thinking of that as well. They're not interconnected, right? Yeah. And uh, one one thing I wanted to add uh, about the system that you mentioned earlier with the side quests, um, I have LA Noir behind me, and um, <laughs> they had also a mechanic. If you guys remember the whole detective vision, I yep. cannot stand one button vision. <laughs> I I just I can't stand such a mechanic. I think you can make it work, and definitely can make it work artistically. I think Arkham does a much yeah. better job of it. For example, yeah. uh, to go to the ba the Batman franchise. But I, I just that that's one thing you see people mention as a big criticism of Witcher Three is like you're kind of just breadcrumbing to the next place, and it's yeah. like if you look at it that way, obviously that's a very pessimistic way to look at it. You can yeah. kind of see what people are saying, right? You kind of mm -hmm. are just going from like the zone to the next zone or that the quest to the next quest, and like you said, Indigo, they're not inexplicably or inextricably rather linked together, so you don't yeah. feel like maybe one is affecting the other one as much as it possibly should. Or here's the other thing, like even doing those quests, they're very linear in their construction. Like they're all great mysteries. Like find the oh, okay, find the blood stain. Okay, the blood stain leads here. Now find this object. This object is going to tell you what happened. Now good. Now find this person. Talk to this person. It's all a very much like point one, point two, point three. You don't have different ways of accomplishing the same goals. You can't do them out of order. Yeah. Um, you know. So I just feel that. Somebody told me it's like it's great at making you feel like a detective. Like, yes, if you're reading about how a detective is going about the job, but it doesn't make you feel like you're playing a detective. Right. Yeah, it's almost like an episodic RPG that you just happen to play in one long stream where yeah. it, it, I mean, ironically, they're making an episodic TV show, but uh <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it, great stories, great, you know, like I remember some of the scenes with like Siri at the campfire, you can see like campfire lighting like glimmering off her eyes and just like the really like exceptional attention to detail really you know extraordinary uh, production values and uh really immersive beautiful outdoor environments like you know crackling you know trees and branches and stuff it's just it, it's unfortunate that you know the actual story main storyline and stuff w wasn't as cohesive as uh the rest of the game because like like i said I, it was like zarek did i just go out and explore the lands and check out the really awesome cool environments and ride my horse and do all this kind of stuff and run into interesting things but mm -hmm. uh you know the game obviously wasn't really designed for that it had open world but it really meant it really wanted you to explore its stories and and each individual story was like a little great little piece of of narrative but unfortunately they're all kind of islands in a, in a big ocean and didn't really connect yeah. any any major thing yeah so uh but other than that, though, I mean, it's a still I'd consider a very good game. Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. So objectively, obviously, probably the most polished of the three, right? Yeah, and yeah. phenomenal playthrough. I put like a hundred hours into that. I haven't touched yeah. the DLCs yet, and I would not object going through it a second time, despite my misgivings. Right? Okay. Oh, yeah. the DLCs. Examining the list in general, I think. We've been far too generous on everything. <laughs> and, no, no, I, I'm serious. Like, yeah. except for blades. Blades is S tier. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot exactly. to go over that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, yeah, actually, that is correct. I was trying to argue for D tier to fill that in, but no, um, I, I can't. Uh, the point is, like, almost everything on that list should be. Uh, really pushed down and evened out a bit more. The 
it's it's top heavy and is that top heavy because all these games are good or is it top heavy because we simply can't differentiate the um you know like arena is as good as fallout 4 is as good as dragon age 2 you know like th this is my problem with tier lists i'm yeah. sorry I, I i can't abide this it's 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 not it's not scientific yeah. uh, spoiler alert we're not putting it on a big stone and and burying it in, uh, alongside <laughs> yeah. the, memes, the meme statue uh but yeah yeah, yeah we are we are we, we we're right now we're IGNing it we're like yeah. 7.5 in yeah. everything i mean unfortunately so. to be yeah. fair we can probably just take a single one of these franchises and turn that into a podcast by That's itself yeah. people want right? to have a discussion about like yeah. what exact rpg is under what genre it's like we could do that but just realize it's another four hours plus yeah, yeah. 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 we've been that. we've been skimming through a couple of these we, we, we exactly. dug pretty deep into elder scrolls and uh mm -hmm. and uh you know a couple of these fallout and stuff like fallout. that but yeah there's a, there's probably another 20 games uh, that was supposed to be on this list that is not on this list, but it's, it's and we one... still didn't even get the JRPGs yet. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the JRPGs, so, well, I, I think, uh, it was an interesting exercise and, in, uh, you know, mm -hmm. scope creep and, uh, but I had, I had a lot of fun. I hope you guys had a lot of fun oh, yeah. too. I had a lot of fun too. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the Witcher three is a really fun game, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the choices and consequences are, uh, superficial. However, very often it's the journey that's important, not the destination. In other words, you can have uh, timelines in games. Like here's a JRPG to munch on: Odin Sphere. Hmm. You know, like those those timelines all uh, diverge, but then interconnect at the end. And you think, but if the, the you know, at the end of the day, you got to experience the world from so many different perspectives. It's the same thing with, um, you know, lots of different games. So I don't think necessarily the outcome is, needs to change. No. I, that's all. Yeah, no, and that, that's a fair point. It's just something that's a little disappointing. I guess maybe I'm yeah. used to it because I played so many games where that mm -hmm. is a thing, where that does happen. And uh, even coming from like a Witcher 1, Witcher 1 had that, Witcher 2 had that. I was kind of expecting that in Witcher 3 as well. Um, but no, I agree with you. It's the story, the destination. That's where you get a lot of the fun out of. You don't need that, but it would have been nice to see, I guess. If you guys mm -hmm. play the, the DLC Blood and Wine, it's an example of their writing on display because it, essentially it's an expansion, sorry, a DLC that doesn't have a lot of combat in it. In fact, mm -hmm. I don't even think you, can, you need to fight in it uh, at some scenes if you can do it properly, but it's all about getting the, the court's favor. And okay. uh, if you guys remember that uh, scene in Final Fantasy VII where you have to impress them at the gym, or it's like a similar kind of concept, but obviously way yeah. more complex. And I think yeah. that that's, a, uh, that's proof that the Witcher writers, um, they're very talented. They don't need to make Extremely it just talented. about the game, right? They can make good, compelling stories without having to make it so much about action. Yeah, I think that uh, that kind of boils down to um, they don't they, they couldn't make a full game like that or also it'd be like, Where's the action? You know, I, I want to kill exactly. stuff with my sword. You know, it's like you got to you got to kind of appeal to the, the you know. The... I love your like casual voice, <laughs> like casual audience voices. Like, yeah, we yeah. all have our own version of that voice. I'm sure. But, 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 but yeah, like for example, a great example. Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Levine. Ken Levine. Um, got a lot of flack uh, about the cover for Bioshock Infinite, and it's like you know it was just a dude with a shotgun, and he's like. 
yeah i gotta i gotta uh i may have these like really esoteric themes and like you know political you know debates and and all these kind of like mind-blowing twists and and great storytelling in my game you know regardless of what you think of bioshock infinite but i gotta uh, appeal to dubros i gotta I have a guy this back turned to the camera with the, with the gun in his hand just like every other cover yeah. so we gotta wrap this up yeah yeah Anyway, thanks so much for uh, coming on, guys. I had a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for uh, throwing your evening away. <laughs> make yeah, no, thanks for having me. I had a blast. I love talking shop about this kind yeah. of stuff. So Absolutely, I, and I agree with Indigo. And also, Zarek said really early on in the podcast that we should just talk more about RPGs in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did like I did like the tier gimmick, but yeah, maybe we should just have like maybe a couple themes or. Well, uh, I'm not saying like you can't even have like a tier list, yeah. uh, but, but maybe one time we talk about what makes a genre a genre. Uh, for mm -hmm. example, like you know, there's so many yeah. things that need to be explained about RPGs that we Absolutely. debate about all the time. Just look at chat. Mm -hmm. I mean, chat has been like, oh, is this game an RPG? Is this a? There's so much discussion to yeah. be had about RPGs. For sure. Yeah. So, exactly. Um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I'm not sure how regular this podcast will be, but maybe every few weeks or a month or something like that. We'll see. But thanks so much for making this one awesome. And thanks, chat, for uh, enduring our uh, ramblings about <laughs> games nobody cares about. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, you see you guys soon sometime. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for spending time with us, chat. Bye. Awesome. Have a good one. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed it. See y'all. See ya.